Friday, July the 21st, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have the busy summer months coming up. I love this time of the year. And because of it, this this particular episode and the schedule will be just a little bit different. What I want to make sure all of you do is come and give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B, or subscribe to my YouTube channel because I will be posting a lot of videos throughout the next few months handicapping the races from Del Mar, handicapping the races from Woodbine, from Saratoga, all over the place. Just in the last few days, we posted a video opening day, Del Mar, handicapped all those races. We post videos for Woodbine every day, the pick five, and we also have video for Haskell Day, five of the stakes races. Darren Zocali joins me to talk about the stakes races from races 8 through 12. So if you want help with any of that, we've got it all for you online or on the YouTube account, all free. Just come give me a follow. It's me, Gino B. Now on this episode, we are going to talk AFC South with Eric. We're going to preview that division. So we'll talk Jags. We'll talk Titans. We will talk about the Texans, who kind of high on this year, and we'll talk about the Colts. We're going to get into this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, everything going on in the world of WWE, with Raw, with SmackDown, with NXT, and then with AEW, Dynamite, and Collision. And then we finish up with Secret Invasion, the deep dive, scene by scene, positives, negatives. Tim Kelly joins me. We weren't as high on episode five as we were on episode four, and uh, we will be all set up for the season one finale with episode six next week. Tim Kelly joins me to talk about everything going on in the world of Secret Invasion. So we've got football, AFC South, team previews. We've got this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, and we've got Secret Invasion episode five with Tim Kelly all on this episode of That's What G Said. For horse racing stuff for the weekend, make sure to come follow me on social media. It won't always be that way. It's just the the way that we got everything scheduled and as far as fitting everything on one episode, that's what we were able to get on this one today. But if you need more help with the weekend stuff at Del Mar for Saturday, if you need more help with stuff for Sunday at Woodbine, come and follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Let's dive right into the NFL AFC South team previews coming up right now with Eric. We are moving right along in our NFL team-by-team previews. We're up to the AFC South, which means we've already been through eight teams. And we get to, I got to say, Eric, this division might be my favorite division this year. I love it. It's because there's there's a lot of uncertainty in this division. And when you look at the win totals of the Jags, the Titans, the Colts, and the Texans, I think they're only separated by three. From top to yep. bottom, like the Jags are projected around nine and a half and the Texans around six and a half. So right off the bat, that's not a whole lot of separation from top to bottom. And you and I both in, in just talking over the last couple months, a little bit here and there, like we haven't sat down and had a real conversation about the AFC South yet. But in just picking your brain and knowing you a little bit, I feel like you think that the Jags might be a bit overvalued this year. And that's definitely the way that I feel, at least just in this division. I think they're, they have a talented team and I have no reason to believe that they're not going to be fine, but I think you can look into some of their success late in the year last year. And I don't want to say fluky, but they just didn't play a whole lot of strong competition down the stretch. And now this year, I think some of the teams in this division are a little more talented and a little bit better than the common perception. 
So I think those might come together with this division. Most people probably think Jacksonville is a little bit better than they are. And I think most people probably think the other two or three teams in this division are probably a little worse than they really are. Yeah. And I think the thing people think need to remember is Joshua Dobbs, who is the Lions practice quarterback, almost beat them in a de facto playing game in the last week of the season. The late pick six sealed the game, gave the um gave the Jigs the win. And then I mean they were down twenty seven nothing in a in a playoff game at home, too. They get in the playoffs and they're down twenty seven nothing. But you know what? Props to Dougie, though, in that Saturday night game, kicking that field goal to guess that cover against and, Kansas City. I mean, you got to give him props for kicking that field goal at the end of that game. Isn't it amazing how quickly things change and how our job as a gambler has changed? Because just a year ago, in the last couple years, Jacksonville would have been the team that we were trying to play or to find value. We we thought that they may have been a little bit better and they had more talent and then they put it all together. And now after one year, all of a sudden they're the big bad team in the division. And now we're trying to beat them. It's funny in one year, it just is completely flipped, right? You go from being the hunter, the hunted to the hunter, right? Or the hunter to the hunted now. And that's, that's what worries me a little bit. They had a great turnaround. They were, you know, two and six turnaround overall. And even in the season, they were two and six. They end up winning seven of their final nine games. They won six of the seven final games, host a playoff game. They're down 27, nothing. They come all the way back and they win 31, 30 Trevor Lawrence. He's only the second quarterback since 1950 to double his wins and passing touchdowns from, from year one to year two, while cutting his interceptions in half. That's pretty crazy. Double the wins, double the passing touchdowns, half the interceptions. You know who the only other guy is? And I'll give you a hint. He's a really good quarterback. Like he, he would, he broke a lot of records and stuff. He would be in like, not the top five, but probably that next year. And in someone that's in our era that just recently Stafford. retired. Oh, just Drew recently Brees. Drew, Drew Brees. Brees. Oh. Yeah. So Brees was the only other one that had such a great jump from year one to year two. They do bring in Calvin Ridley, who could be a real X factor for them. He didn't play a whole game last year, but it wasn't like he was injured. He got suspended because of gambling. He he averaged 82.8 receiving yards per game from 2020 to 2021. So over a two-year stretch, that was fifth highest during that mark. And their receivers are a pretty underrated group. You, you were hitting on them a lot last year in DFS. In particular, Evan Ingram. They had three guys, three different pass catchers with 750-plus yards last year. Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram. And they were one of only three teams in the entire league that had three different pass catchers with 750-plus yards. And probably something that a lot of people didn't realize. They got a lot of young talent on the defensive side. Their defense was top six in takeaways last year. Passes defended, quarterback hits, defensive touchdowns. They only allowed 15.6 points per game during their five-game winning streak to close the year. Where I'm worried, though, Eric, is the offensive line, especially to start the season. They're going to be without Cam Robinson due to a suspension. Lawrence, not fantastic under pressure. And they lost their best-graded pass protector from last year. So even though they drafted a replacement for him, he's a rookie, they're going to be missing basically their two their two best offensive linemen from last year through the first four or five games of the season. 
And that could put them in a bad spot. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it. First of all, I have to say I'm not a Doug Peterson guy. Uh, what he did his last year in um, Philly when they sat the game. They oh, that was brutal. That just rubbed me the me too the wrong way. But I'll give him credit. Urban Meyer did a shitty job, excuse my language, with Lawrence. The offense that he's installed is very similar to what Lawrence had at Kansas. Heavy use of the shotgun and the RPO, and it made Lawrence more comfortable. He looked a million times better than what we saw last year. You mentioned the offensive line. That's a big concern to me. Taylor, who had his best season of his career last year, is gone. Cam Robinson is out for the first four games. That means they'll be depending on rookie Harrison at right tackle and Walter Little on the blind side, who struggled last season when he made it onto the field. I find it interesting what they did in the running back room as they used high draft capital on Travis Etienne, who you and I both think is more of a Reggie Bush type running back, not really like a lead in between the tackles back. And then they drafted Tank Bisbee, who is a great in between tackles runner and that's not let's remember they also have Jamichael Hasty, who's going to be a state who was a staple in the passing game the back half of the season so just looking at it like this I'm really questioning how much usage Etienne Etienne is going to get this season I think the wear and tear of him being an every down back kind of caught out at him you look at him before the bye he averaged 72.5 yards rushing per game after the bye that ticked all the way down to 57 yards per game. And when he was rushing for those 72 and a half yards, they had James Robinson. So when he was getting more opportunity, his production dropped, 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 dropped. So I have an outside rusher who's losing both tackles for the first part of the season and production dropped throughout the season. And his team just used a third round draft pick on a running back. I mean, my first bet in this thing is I bet the under 950 and a half yards rushing for Travis Etienne. I just don't think he's going to get that much usage with the draft pick used. And they have Hasty lurking around. Um, And then I don't know if you remember that back half in that playoff game. He was completely non-existent. Yeah, he wasn't even. From like third quarter on, he he wasn't even on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned Ridley. He's back from suspension. You have 116 abandoned targets from last season. Those listening that don't know what those are, that's when a guy is on the team from last year, not on the team this year. So you have so where are those where are those balls going to go? Right, 116. All right. So getting um so like you know most of those will go to Ridley. He'll obviously cut into some other guys' production. Kurt is going to move back to his natural position in the slot where he's more effective. Will be allowed to generate better matchups with the DBs. In terms of Ridley, the person I think it's obviously going to affect the most is Zay Jones. Tight end is a staple of the Peterson offense. Ingram had a huge season last season, especially the back half of the year. And he just ended his holdout Sunday resigning a deal. So he's going to be at camp. I was big on him last season. Like he was my big fantasy football prediction. I bet all his overs, which hit. But they used a high draft capital on Strange, the rookie tight end. So, yeah, I got Strange. You got Ridley. So I'm kind of out on Ingram this year. It might be better for – or it might be okay in overall football. But from a fantasy standpoint, he just may – like, they may have more options. It might be nice in real football. But fantasy, when you're the only guy in town, 
it's obviously better for you. And if strange is, is any good or towards the second half of the year, right? If you invest in something in Ingram and then you need him down the stretch, he may not be as maybe the first few weeks of the year, but then as the year goes on, you have a young tight end like that start yeah, to get more average in. 10. Like, and that was, a, that was my big selling point last year is the Peterson tight ends. When he was the play caller out, always averaged over 10 points per game. And when you can get that from a tight end, but with Ridley strange, I just don't know how that's going to be possible with Ingram this year. You mentioned the defense, the two areas for me that are concerns with the Jaguars defending the past second. And I really, really don't think they address that. And if they're playing a team with a passing attack, I feel that's going to eat them up. They were really good defending the run, but when you look at sacks, they were bottom 10 in sacks last season. Um, so the pass rush by and that was um, one of those things where you need to you take want, that step forward for them to kind of band-aid what's going on in the secondary. And it was one of those things where they've got a lot of these young guys on defense, like you were pointing out, can they, they, they are like talented and they're raw, but now they've got to start playing smarter and more efficient than they were last year. Like you can't be, get a ton of pressure, but no sacks. Right. Like things like that can't happen. So that you have to just be more efficient. Can they do that? I mean, I I think they're right where I think I wouldn't bet it because I don't think the division is strong, is, is that strong, but I do think they go under slightly. Like I have them at nine wins. I have them at eight or nine. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have them at seven. Yeah. See, I can and that's what I mean. I don't and I struggle I, to get them at seven. Me too. And I don't I don't like their schedule at all, Eric. I mean, I think I gave them the benefit of the doubt a couple times because I just don't like we're looking at the rest of the division, and while I think it, they're all of these teams are better than the common perception, there's no juggernauts in these divisions. Like Jacksonville, on paper, could easily win six games in this division. I don't think they are. That's why I don't. I don't think they're going to win the division, and that's why I think they're a fun play against. They they even go, and they got to spend a week in uh, for two games in London. Yeah, and I mean when you just kind of look at that schedule, let's just kind of look at that. So. They leave to go to London. That's that's like a fourteen hour flight, I believe. Um, yep. That's a pretty long flight. So and, and the second game be there in London. for two weeks, yep. and with the time change, you really can't go back and forth. So you're, so you're kind of stuck there. In my yep. they're going to stay there. That, they've and already then, said that. I'm pretty sure. And, and, the, and the, the worst I, part is the second game. So before you leave, you play Buffalo, who's good. Yeah. Like you could get and beat then, up coming out of that game or having to chase Josh Allen around. Like you may not be in great shape and then they don't take their bye for three more weeks. And then you fly back, play a divisional game for the second time against Indy. And that you're you going to take your foot off the gas, right? Like you're going to come in and, and Indy in week six, they might've figured some things out by now with a young team yeah. and a young staff, new coaches, like, Maybe they're starting to feel better about themselves. And then you, on a short week, so you travel to Thursday to go play at Nolo, then you get you a 10-day break, and then you play at Pittsburgh. If you I mean, had to a pick a rough, two, brutal stretch. Two of the toughest places to play at, it would be those two. Like, yeah. if you were going to make a list of the five or six probably hardest places to play, especially on, like, a Thursday night game like that where the crowd gets up, you're a standalone game. I, I don't like the schedule at all for them. And then even, so you, you have the buy, you come back. Here's your schedule. 
You got the 49ers. I mean, I think they're going to be good at least defensively. And at this point, they probably have something figured out with the quarterback. You play Tennessee, divisional game. We think they're better. I think they're at least better than most people do. At Houston, divisional road game. Then you got three games in a row against the AFC North. You could lose all three of those games. The Bengals, at the Browns, and then the Ravens. Like That could be three straight losses there. It's a stretch. It's a brutal And then even, even that, like, following those three, you go, who knows how good Tampa's going to be, right? We have no idea, but they got to close the season with two out of three on the road. I'm with you. Like, and I'm, I'm even more towards the eight side as we talk it out. I just, yeah, I think I they're going to play against this year. They struggle to get at seven. I think they're a little, a little overvalued. Uh, but the, like I said, the only thing that I did was Etienne under 950 and a half yards rushing. Let's move along from the Jags to the Tennessee Titans. Their win total seven and a half. And it feels to me like just a perfect team for Vrabel again. The thing about Tennessee the last few years, they were almost getting too good for Vrabel, you know, Eric, because Vrabel is one of those guys that he coaches guys and, and motivates them and is able to get the most out of guys that aren't necessarily the most talented. And I think he is in the better role when he's not the favorite, when he's trying to beat the teams that are in front of him. I think he'll he'll be a little motivated and kind of have a chip on his shoulder this year. They brought in a new offensive coordinator, and they seem to be really on the same page. And I think they're going to be a run team and just try to run the ball, have less uh, possessions on both sides, and they hope their defense will be improved. Keep in mind, they were 7-3 and three last year to start. Then they had the quarterback in injury, and they didn't win another game the rest of the year. They ranked 32nd dead last in passing yards allowed. They bring in Murphy Bunting. It's not as if I'm, I'm not going to say he's the greatest and he's missed time, but he's just a veteran that gives them some experience. Like He was a better option than any of the options that they were putting in a lot of the time last year. Um, and the offensive line, I don't really know what to think here, Eric, because their offensive line was bad last year. They were they were one of the worst offensive lines. But now they cut two of their players from last year. Two of their others signed with different teams. Their third-round pick's going to be suspended for the first six games of the year. They brought in a couple different players to help fill. So I have no idea. They drafted an offensive lineman. He might be the best offensive lineman in the draft. It feels like there was a ton going on, but they were really bad last year. It's not, they can't really be much worse than they were. It's sort of a weird situation, right? Like for, for an offensive line, you want continuity, but if you're really bad, maybe you want to change a bunch of the pieces, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting group. Um, You know, obviously the big news that they just made over the weekend, they signed D-Hop to pair with Burks. Uh, obviously this comes back. You mentioned the offensive coordinator. This is, he's here because of Tim Kelly. Um, obviously his first choice was going to the chiefs. Chiefs didn't want to pay that money. He had a relationship from Tim Kelly when he was with the Texans. So that is why D hop is here. Kelly's offense comes from the shotgun. It's going to be different than what we've seen a lot more shotgun than what we're used to seeing from the, um, from the Tennessee Titans. 
Uh, when you look at the numbers from last season, Titans were toward the bottom of the league in run plays and third, no, sorry, top of the league in run plays, but third from the bottom in play action passes. When Arthur Smith was here, this was a staple. They were constantly toward the top of the league in play, play action passes. I expect this trend to go back to when Smith was here. Another thing that stood out for me is when looking at the numbers, this was the first time in Derrick Henry's career that in the second half of the games, his production dropped. He wasn't as effective. So that tells me he's starting to wear and tear. Yep. Now, I know I, I hate to bring up a bad a bad wound for you with your boys losing to Tulane last year in the Sugar Bowl. But Tulane star Spears, who's <laughs> an all-world running back, they spent draft capital on him. Yeah. Like, he is a legit dynamite player. He had some great runs, runs, some great plays in that game. And anytime Tulane needed something, that's who they went to. So I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of a splitage here. At least do something to get Spears on the field a little bit more. Sure. Um, and and you know what? Honestly, even if it's just in the first half, that way you keep Henry fresher for later in the game when he can and, just run and, and bang. And yes, they brought in Hopkins, but dude, this team – is not swimming in playmakers either, right? But I like mean, the getting thing with Hopkins though is it opens up Burks where Burks yeah, is and, and be it, against weaker and it, and it helps them. My my point is just you got a guy like that from Tulane that you bring in. You need to get the ball into some of some really athletic people's hand as much as possible, right? Because as, as yeah. awesome as Derrick Henry is, it's become a little predictable. You know when he's out there a lot of the time it's going to be handed right off to him three or four yards. I even like that they got Derrick Henry a little more involved in the passing game last year. I think that helps him overall, his durability, not having to take as many hits down the middle. And like, you bring in this guy, you draft him. I, I I wouldn't want to draft Henry in fantasy this year. No, I mean, he's just, he's been to stay away from me for the last couple of years. There's no way yeah. I'm going to be drafting him. Because it's uh-huh. you just know he's going to have the fall off a cliff year one year. And you yeah. don't want to be there when it happens. That's that's yeah. the problem. And we've been predicting it that this is going to be the year. And who knows? Maybe this is going to be the year. Offensive line will be better than last season. As they're moving Aaron Brewer to center, they got Bunskill from the 49ers to start at right guard. They drafted my boy Big P, who's going to start at left guard. Left guard. They added Dillard from the Eagles, who's going to start at left tackle. The only question mark is the right tackle. You mentioned um, – their draft pick suspended for the first six games of the season. So it's looking like rad news is going to start until the suspension is over. Wide receiver, obviously, you know, we mentioned that about and now everybody kind of slots there. Kind of the, this. They all slot in better now, right? Eric yeah, with Hopkins go, as one. Then you got yeah. like Burks is better now in the slot as a two. Uh Oconquo, the tight end, he was like had a really sneaky good year last year too. And then you've got like just overall now you got Westbrook Akeen in the mix. So now everybody sort of has better roles Bef- before yeah, Hopkins. They were like fits. questions all over. It just fits. It, it, it's just a Kyle Phillips. Yeah. It's just a better fit for what, what they're doing. And you mentioned the tight end whose name I can't pronounce at all. I absolutely love him. Second on the team last season in red zone targets and in red zone TDs. I think he's a very good sleeper in terms of fantasy, even with Hopkins coming in. Tannehill used to play tight end way back in the day. He's out of the current quarterbacks 
you look at his career, he has the heart, the highest target share to tight end. So that's something to remind you. Remember, remember, excuse me, the issue with the defense has been they didn't have anyone that could, could create pressure last season. So for this defense to read it, reach its two pr- true potential, they're going to need Weaver to take that next step as a pass rusher. Had five and a half sacks last season. For them to be good, they need that at eight. And the back because four, they were bad, it, it was, and you talk about this all the time, they're related, right? They didn't put any pressure and it hurt it made things harder on their back four, right? Yeah. Because they weren't putting any pressure on it. They were good against the run. They were just terrible against the pass, stopping the pass and putting pressure on the quarterback. They should, they, they like, they bring in Landry on the edge and Simmons there. If they get a little healthier, like overall, I think their defense will be more balanced this year than it was last year. I think it's good. Yeah. And I mean, they've spent a lot of high draft capital on the, on the back four. So that talent needs to start showing soon. They do have Jeffrey Simmons up front. I think this defense is going to be greatly improved from last year. And look, I'm I'm down on the Jags this season. I am Me really too. down on the Jags. Um, I'm expecting Weaver to take a step forward. I'm expecting this young back unit in the, of the secondary to take a step forward. I am actually pretty high on this team. I bet them – I I got them at plus 360 to win this up. And what – what it's it's really hard to do this as a gambler because we're especially with you and me I'm I'm very into numbers statistics things that I can see or watch rewatching things I don't like to play as many narrative-y sort of intangible things but Vrabel's just a really good coach like that's a, that's like one of those things that I don't think is built in enough sometimes to their lines, like he's going to out coach a lot of other coaches. And in this particular division, look around, there are two other first year head coaches in here right off the bat. So he's going to have four of his games against two other first year head coaches. And then another couple games against a young team in Jacksonville, a good coach, but a young team that he can sort of scheme for. Like he's, he's played against Lawrence now, over the last couple of years, a bunch, he's probably starting to figure some things out against for him. I think it's really hard to count them out when I, st- I still think really highly of Rabel as a coach in particular with this type of a team. I think he's a really good high floor coach, like, like a Tomlin type where you feel like he's always going to be close to 500, almost with whatever group you gave them. He is naturally always going to, always going to make people better. He's going to, just raise their level. So I totally agree with you with that. Um, and you, I, how can I say this? I think he's good for three wins this season. I think too, him yeah. alone having your coach is going to be three wins. We really don't know what we're going to get from Indy with their coach. We really don't know what we're going to get with Ryan with the Texans. And Peterson, I know everyone kind of loves him for that one run he had and what he did last year, but he's really inconsistent too. I think he's the best coach in the division. And the schedule, yeah. they – catch a lot of teams like in good little spots so i kind of like the way their schedule plays out eric let's move along and we will hit the indianapolis colts team oh yeah so schedule wise you have them like we you know they do have a london game they do have a stretch where they play three straight road games yeah and their first like with this team their first six games like we could see anything at new orleans home for the chargers at Cleveland, home for the Bengals, at Indy, home for Baltimore. 
Like if you told Baltimore, me any Baltimore, those overseas, Baltimore's in London. So it's not a home game. It's a, it's in London. So five game, like the first six, you know, I think they're probably three and three in that range for like three and three, four and two, two, four. But I think they're close to 500 in that stretch. They do. I mean, like games that you could honestly see go either way. Now the game is like, there's a stretch of those three road games, Thursday, November 2nd, Sunday, November 12th, Sunday, November 19th. Following that, they come home and they get four out of five at home and they're pretty winnable, right? They get Carolina, Indy, they go at Miami and then they come home and they get Houston and Seattle. If they can be close to 500 by the end of week 11, this might be one of those teams that we look to bet right then, right? After those three road games or during that stretch, because that may be when their value's down. And then we can look in the schedule and go, they may be able to win like four or five games in a row. Yep. Yep. They could make a, they could make a little run. Um, But I mean, there's just certain things like they get Cincy after playing on Monday night football. You look at that Seattle thing, Seattle's playing a new, a one o'clock East coast game. They're a West coast game on Christmas Eve, you know, just kind of like little things like that. I like how they actually took their buy after the London trip. I think that's pretty big. I don't know. I, I see, I, I see the three games in a row, but one of them is at Pittsburgh that you have a 10 game break. So I don't know. It's for them throughout the schedule plays, plays out decent. And what's if you're playing this division and you don't, and you think Jacksonville is a little bit overvalued, the next two teams, the Colts and the Texans, they're anything could happen, but they're less likely to honestly be able to make enough improvement to win the division. So the Titans are probably like the safe play that they can just be right there. Like you, you sort of, handicap the division and go by process of elimination. And I really like the Texans this year. We're going to get to them in a minute. I don't expecting them to actually win the division and get that big of a turnaround. That's a lot, but could they improve a few games and get themselves, you know, a a puncher's chance? Sure. Tennessee, they're not far away from, from being right there again. And um, yeah, they're, I think they're just a tad undervalued this year. Eric, let's move along to the Colts. We talk about, the Colts, who's over-under for win totals, is six and a half. They have a new head coach, former offensive coordinator from the Eagles. He's done some really good work with Jalen Hurts. So the thought process was he should be able to get a lot out of their young quarterback, Richardson, rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson. And the backup, my guy, Minshew. I know you're not a Minshew guy, but I am a Minshew fan. And honestly, he's good in this role. This is a good role for him. He's probably one of your top the top five backup quarterbacks in the league. And he's someone who's taken a lot of snaps as a starting quarterback. So if you have some uncertainty, I don't think anyone thinks Minshew is like a franchise guy, or there's probably not a competition or anything like that. He's like a safe backup to have. I think in certain situations last year, they were just a mess though, man. They fired their head coach during the season. They replaced him with Jeff Saturday who had zero coaching experience who was on TV at the time. Yeah. Taylor, had a great year two years ago. He had over 1,800 yards. Then last year, it was like the total opposite. He couldn't really get himself going. He wasn't healthy. The offensive line was miserable, and the team was just bad. 
So you're a bad team. You're behind a lot. You're not running the ball a ton. It just, everything went wrong for Taylor last year. And the offensive line, Eric, it was, it was bizarre. They all struggled. They were injured. Nobody played well. Rookies were forced into playing earlier than they were ready to. They just should be better this year. Nelson was an all pro his first three years. He was awful last year. He had allowed four sacks in his first four years in the league. And he allowed five sacks last year. Yeah. But it, it's been two years since he's been elite. Two years, like a year and a half ago, he he was fine. He was just more injured. Last year, he was just bad. But what I like and why I think that their offensive line should be better. Again, this is something that I listen to you and I sort of now look for these types of things. They brought in a new offensive line coach. And in looking and sort of reading into him, apparently he's very meticulous um, about the way he he prepares. I think it'll really help guys who have already shown that they're talented, but maybe they were a little sloppy. Maybe their work ethic slipped. Maybe because of injury, they developed some bad habits. I think he's going to clean them up a lot. So, I, you know, just from a coaching standpoint and from a, a being prepared, like we knew Frank Reich was sort of on the hot seat to start last year. And then in the middle of the year, they bring in a guy who, who they don't have people that have ever called plays. They don't have people that have ever like scripted out a game plan. Now they actually have adults around that yeah. have done good, good work. Like I don't think they're winning the division. My biggest concern is I've never really been a Richardson guy. Go on the Colts. Talk to us about Richardson and what you think about this squad. So for me, I look at it like the quicker you give Richardson the key to the castle, the better. Because you have to see what you have. I feel he's a better fit for the offense. Uh, RPO offense, four wideouts in the gun, a lot of vertical routes, putting pressure on the DBs to cover the wide receivers. You have the tight ends doing drags across. And then if nothing's there, one or two reads is there, you just run. This is basically going to be the offense that they look to do. Um, you mentioned the offensive line. Kelly had his worst season ever. And look, he went through something personal. I could never imagine what he went through. The fact he's even out there playing is amazing to me. I hope he takes a step forward, gets his career going in the right, in the right direction. Nelson, you mentioned, struggled last season. If those two can get back to what they were, I thought that my boy from CMU, Brahman, had a good season playing a tackle. And I saw, thought Smith had a good season playing playing at the other tackle. So if Nelson and Kelly can get back to what they were, or at least somewhat close to it, I think this offensive line is going to be better than last year, probably a top 10 unit. You mentioned Richardson. My thing with Richardson is I looked at his college stats when he played elite schools, 53 percentage, 53% completion percentage, a one-to-one TD to INT ratio. That's what worries me. I just never thought he was a thrower. But But I'm going to say this, though. Would you say Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts are both top five quarterbacks right now? Yeah. And 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 the coach is responsible for developing both of them. Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. And and, and so if you can do something here, that would be the the thing. And the fit with the offensive line, too, right? If the offensive line, he will help them with his ability to get out of the, the, to get out of the pocket a little bit and to take a little pressure off of them here and there. I, yeah, I mean, I like, I just think they're a young team 
with you know with pieces there you're like a year a couple years away you know finding if this guy is the guy but i feel just a lot better about their team right now starting the season than yeah. you know where they were last year where we saw them last you know they they've got some turnover in the secondary i think the three highest graded defensive backs are all gone um and they lost but they, games. Like but they drafted four the four defensive backs they drafted this year yeah, so they're gonna they have a t- DC. they kept their dc from last year and gus bradley and so, they were only 15th in yards allowed. They were 28th in points allowed. So it was sort of weird. Um, they also got Leonard coming back. He only played three games this year. He's not healthy yet, but they hope they're going to get more out of him than they got last year with just those three games. Yeah, I mean, I don't. And you get your your style up front. Um, you mentioned Taylor. Offensive line, if it takes a step forward, I expect him to produce. The only issue with him is if Richardson struggles, he's going to be facing a lot of stacked boxes. Thus, I think it's going to be hard for Taylor. But Taylor in the RPO with Richardson, that that could set up to be a pretty pretty good look. In terms of the passing game, I kind of think Pierce is tempting to me in best ball as a dart throw just because of Richardson's throwing the ball down the field. Look, I know Woods is getting a lot of – buzz because of what the coaches said and the history of the tight end in Philadelphia but I just kind of feel it's a little too much buzzy for me um yeah it's they're going to be an interesting team defensively you got my boy um you know oh my god I'm, of course I'm spacing the game spacing his name DeForest Buckner up front which is huge yeah, they're just letter comes back you keep the same DB uh defensively I think they'll be okay but that's why I think you have to see what you have in Richardson. Cause if you don't have it, you have to, you know, unfortunately find, find an alternative. Now their schedule, they open up with two of the first three on the road. They go to Germany in week 10. This is a team that I'll probably play in some weeks. I got them in like the six to seven range. I could see yeah, low. I, I could see low of five. I could see five being the low. I, I could see. I mean, Seven the, thing just, the thing that just sticks out to me is Richardson struggles against elite, but I will yeah. say that I, I, that and that's my thing. Like I'm dog against Jacksonville. I'm definitely betting them against, I, against, the I Jets. did not like, I would have not drafted Richardson myself. I, in particular, I just did not think he was elite level arm talent watching him ever and sort of decision-making now from an athleticism standpoint, maybe that that's key and maybe they've found the right type of staff or the right type of coaches that can help him. I just, I wouldn't have bought a whole lot of stock in him. So that that's my concern. And that's why I think if I had to make a, a decision, I probably would lean the lean on five as the number I would settle on with the, with the Colts this year, Eric, let's finish up with the Texans. I got to say, I'm I'm really pumped for this team this year. I I am. Their their over under is only six and a half, but they have the third easiest schedule this year. They bring in new head coach D'Amico Ryan's, former defensive coordinator for the 49ers. They also bring along safety Jimmy Ward, who knows D'Amico Ryan's well. They have a second year safety Stingley Jr. He was the third overall pick. He got injured last year, but all signs are that he's healthy. He should be set for a big year. They have another draft pick from last year, who should be much better this year. So I think the secondary could be a real strength for this team with a defensive coach in a weak division that right there could keep them in a lot of games. 
Now yeah. they draft a rookie pass rusher too, right? They go up to get Will Anderson. So now they've got top tier talent at the front and the back of the defense. Now elite talent, like prospects that, that should blossom and grow into being really good players. Oh, I mean, this team, in my eyes, they drafted the best quarterback prospect in the draft in C.J. Stroud. I think he's going to the great situation with the Texans because of their offensive line. I really don't think people realize how good this offensive line is. Their tackles, they have Howard and Tunsell. I could make the argument that they're the best combo of tackles in the league. Then you add Scruggs, who will be the center in the draft. Then Shaq Mason, who graded out very elite as a run blocker in Tampa last year, they brought they brought him in. Second and, round pick on the interior offensive yeah. lineman. Um, yeah. They got a former first round pick, Howard, and mm-hmm. they have a second year guard. They just yeah. they're young and ready to take a step forward, and they locked in Tunzel for the next three years. And you add Bobby Slowey to be. Slowick to be the offensive coordinator. What does that mean? Shanahan and zone blocking. And they said that he's putting his own spin on the San Francisco offense. I, one of the former San Francisco players that's been around, I I sort of like that. They call him the young offensive whiz. Okay. Yeah. Um, just kind of looking at what, rookie quarterbacks and first-year quarterbacks, first-time playing quarterbacks have done in the Shanahan-type offense is they target the tight end a lot. And I really feel Dalton Schultz, his receiving props are going to be a little bit low. I can't seem to find any. I'm sure, like, once the season gets started, they're going to be posted. But that's something I would look at just because of the history in the Shanahan offense of the tight end being targeted by a young, inexperienced quarterback. Another player prop I want is Damian Pierce with the improved offensive line. Pierce did not take a pounding last season because of the injury. From what I was being told, he could actually play the last two games of the season, but they elected to hold him out. With this zone running concept the Texans are going to install and the talent on the offensive line, I think we're going to see him take a huge step forward. I was able to find his rushing prop for the season at 875 and a half yards. I bet that. I also, my crazy long shot, I took him to lead the NFL in rushing at 35 to 1. I think this offense is going to be able to su- surprise a lot of people. Eric, I think this Will, like I, I think this team is good. This like we're going through the like piece by piece of this team. Pierce last year, he had almost a thousand rushing yards in 13 games before the injury. He rushed for 72.2 yards per game. That was eighth best in the league. Tack on 30 catches for 165 yards and a touchdown. Hopefully those numbers can improve. You mentioned Dalton Schultz. They actually had a brought in the second and third leading receivers from the Cowboys from last year. You know, Dalton Schultz was the second leading receiver. He had 570 yards and the third leading receiver was Noah Brown. Both of them are now Texans. And Dalton Schultz, the last three years, he's played at least 14 games. He's caught at least 55 passes and at least 570 yards in three straight years. And he has 17 touchdowns. That's a really nice safety valve for a young quarterback. A big target, someone who's done it now three years in a row, who's played a lot of games. And then you get Noah Brown, who... You know, 
has been produ- uh, very productive when he played, when he hasn't been hurt. Robert Woods didn't seem like he had a whole lot left year, left last year, but now you're bringing in a veteran wide receiver who's always been talked about as a great locker room guy. And even if you don't get a whole lot of production out of Robert Woods, he's a guy who's here to help teach this young kid, the young quarterback, what to do, how to hit the spots, when to release the ball, just sort of be the wide receiver that can help mentor the, 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 the young QB. I like, like all of the moves that they've made from the head coach to the offensive coordinator to bringing in Jimmy Ward. They're, they're guys that were hurt. Even Mechie. Mechie, like Mechie and, and Singley Jr., it's like you forgot about these guys. Yeah. And Mechie had leukemia. Yeah. You know, and they're just so much positive. Now, are all of the things that we say, are all of these units all going to hit together? No, right? Some of these guys will get hurt. Some of these guys won't be as good as we're hoping or that they may have been projected. But if even half, like every unit we're talking about, you feel better about them than you did last year. Everyone from quarterback to running back, more experienced to the wide receivers, they're better. They've got more depth. The tight end is better. The quarterback is better. And the defense, the defensive front is better. The secondary is better. Every single unit. Yeah. And I mean, I think the big thing that they did is they addressed and look, I did they pay a lot for William Anderson? They did, but sure. They needed a pass rusher. And I really like what they did. They traded up. They got the pass rusher. Um, it's going to help the Ryan defense, excuse me, because that is the key to it. They need someone like Yann and Bosa to disrupt the backfield. And I, you hit the nail on the head. The D, the DBs are actually better than people realize. I think this go, is going to take a huge step forward. And the I, schedule. I'm really like, deep in overs with Pierce. Me too. And I think you go – for the Texans, what might be fun this year – for me is I might play like an adjusted, some of their adjusted totals, like oh, to try to get them to like over eight wins or, you know, eight, eight and a half, something like that. Cause I think this team could be a 500 team. I'm a little nervous. Like I will, I am going to throw a little on them to win the division. I am going to throw a sprinkle on them to make the playoffs, things like that. I am more worried about that though, in a contentious AFC, like making the playoffs is kind of hard. They could win the division maybe cause it's not that great, but I just I like them as being a better team than people think, and and on you know, the book I'm looking at, you can get six and a half at plus money. So. That that's Eric. They have the thirty easiest schedule. You know what's cool about their schedule too? They have seventeen Sunday games. Look at that! Not one short week, nothing. Seventeen games on Sundays. That's that's, that's perfect. That's, that's that's a great like. You have a young quarterback and a young staff, so you don't have to worry about any weird weeks, right? You can get in a in the in a nice routine early in the year and never have to change it. Here's the way we're gonna do it: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every week. Boom, boom, boom. Like, you know, you look at their schedule at Baltimore. Okay, maybe they lose week one, then they come back. They got Indy at home. I think they could win week two. They go at Jacksonville week three. They come home and play Pitt week four. And then at Atlanta, home for New Orleans. I think they can win in that first six. I think they win two or three of those games. As long as you win two of them and you're still, then you're within fighting range. The key stretch for me with them 
are the three games in a row that they get to play at home in week 11 through 13. Because those are three winnable games there. They get Arizona, who we think is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Then you get Jacksonville at home. And then you get Denver. If if they want to actually be a team that can do more than, oh, be feisty here and there, that's the stretch of the year where they got to probably win those three games in a row. And, you know, you handle your business there. You get lucky once or twice other. I mean, then you, I, I think they're an eight-win team. I have them at eight wins this year. And I and yeah, I think I agree. Like, I actually just about the over. You talked me into it. I just I'm gonna. This team was the was one of the teams I've been the most impressed with, and I don't mean like I'm, they're gonna win the Super Bowl, but just overall the little moves that they've made and maybe like a bounce back for some of their players that got hurt or had bad luck or you know you're on a bad team for a year or two. Some of these young guys at the end of the year, you kind of pack it in your team's sort of tanking, you know, now they have a young coach, a coordinator. Like we're in a situation now where the last two years with lovey and the year before, what was his name? Cully was it David Cully that they fired. Yeah. Like they fired coaches after one year. This feels different. This feels like this is going to be a coach. that's going to be around for a few years. They can build. I just feel really positive about a lot, a lot of this team. They, yeah. I feel it's definitely headed in the right direction. Yeah, they only have one. They only have two back to back road games one time, too. No three games on the road. No weird schedule. 17 Sunday games and only two games where they go back to back on the road at the Jets and at Tennessee. The schedule is great. They made a lot of improvements. And when you're bad for a few years in a row, what ends up happening? You draft high, you pick good talented players and those players get better or you trade away some of your pieces at the end of the year for draft picks or for younger players. And then those guys get better. You get assets that, that start to have some value at some point and let's go Texans, baby. And even let's if for go. some reason Stroud's not there, who's behind him. Got Davey. Got Davey Mills. Beautiful. And we've joked about him a lot, but this if Davis Mills was even the starting quarterback this year with this roster and the staff, and let's say they drafted a quarterback, but someone like Stroud, but Stroud got hurt in training camp, and but we know he's going to be the quarterback in a year or two. But I still think they would be feisty with Mills. This would be the best setup that Mills had been in the last two years. He didn't have offensive lines that are going to be this good or defenses that are going to be that good or that good of a tight end or even that many options to throw the ball to. Brandon Cooks was better than probably the options they have now, but they probably got three or four guys when they really only had like one and a half. Oh, 100%, dude. Like, you're, I think the talent there is going to be 100 times better. Even if my boy Mills is a starting quarterback, I think with the upgraded offensive line, and my, my game plan this season in terms of betting for those listening is teams that invested in their offensive line are teams I want to back. And that Houston is one of those teams. They invested in their offensive line, which is greatly going to be better with a young quarterback. I think it's going to make it better, better coaching in the defense, more blitzing, more pressure. I, this team is going to be a sneaky team. I think we're going to get some value on them. The AFC South in the books. Uh, Eric will dish out uh, some his final plays on the division. Make sure you come and hang out with me and Eric tomorrow, Friday. 
uh, every Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for a betting show called The Winning Ticket. We give out a couple baseball plays. Then we give a couple weekend plays. Look ahead. And then we talk about uh, NFL division again. We'll look at some lines. We'll talk a few different things there with these AFC South teams. Eric, give us your plays here. And then let us know what you have coming up this weekend before we get out of here. Um, I have the Texans over six and a half wins at plus 115. Um, Damian Pierce over 875 and a half yards rushing. Damian Pierce to lead the NFL in rushing. Travis Etienne under 950 and a half yards rushing and the Colts to win the division. And uh, what's up this weekend? What are you focusing on on the podcast and with some of your content? Uh, my podcast this week, we're going to have NASCAR bets, CFL bets, and we're going to do a fantasy football preview of the Lions and the Steelers. And then my show, my live stream this week, we are previewing the AFC North. Eric, buddy. I will uh so I will talk to you on Tuesday for that one, right? AFC right. North, you you and me. We uh talked that one on on my show last week here. And then yeah. next week, you and I will be finishing up the AFC. We're going to head west and uh, we'll talk about the AFC West. We'll finish up the AFC before we bounce on over and talk NFC. You know where to follow him. Give him a follow at etof 21 sports etof 21 on different social medias. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you ever hear Eric talking about something on any show, on any one of his, you always know that he's put in the time, he's put in the effort, he's well-researched, and he's going to put his money where his mouth is. Eric, my friend, we'll talk uh, over the weekend, and next week we'll dive on into the AFC West here, but make sure to tune into Eric's stuff this weekend, and you can uh, check us out talking more AFC North there next week. Have a good one, my friend. You too, buddy. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is full-service realtor Cindy Carava, and she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to vendors if you need help with home improvement or to lenders if you need help with the loan process. Anything in the world of real estate, Cindy will take care of for you. She's going to make your life so much easier. The website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. If you just want a free analysis of your home's value, she will do that market analysis and let you know where you stand. Anything you need at all, reach out to Cindy Carava. Now we head to the world of wrestling. Chad Cooper joins to talk about everything going on in WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, Collision on This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's that time of the week again, folks. It is time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW. Let's start over on the AEW side this week as we are recording Thursday morning coming off of uh, AEW Dynamite and Blood and Guts the uh, the night before. 
We are also coming off of what, like the fourth, fifth week of collision now, Coop. So we kind of have a good feel now for collision. And you and I were talking the other day. It from a rating standpoint, it see it seems like it's gonna settle in in like the five hundred thousand ish right now, I think, until football season starts, and then maybe maybe we'll see things change. Um, so you know, the ratings are okay. We all we all always thought it was gonna be sort of hard on a Saturday night to get a good number. I will say I like the feel and the format and just the overall energy and vibe of the show better than I do Dynamite, where it feels like the show has a little bit more of a focused purpose for a small group of guys and gals versus Dynamite feels like, hey, we just got to get everybody on the show, as many people as we can on the show. There, there doesn't seem to be as much flow to a Dynamite. Sometimes it can be like a demolition derby. It can just be really crazy and entertaining, but not necessarily as easy to follow. I think I come off of the collision shows and it seems like, oh, look, like a storyline built throughout the show or, um, you know, something that they build up from last week. You can kind of follow a lot of the the stories. I, I just don't know what that means long term, but I like the way that the two shows are different, Chad. The short term has been very, very interesting. Um, they hung their hat on CM Punk being uh, available every week on those Saturdays. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I think the show flows a lot better. I think it's easier to watch. I think it's easier to follow. Um, I just don't know why we don't get as much promotion um, through Dynamite, which is their flagship show, right? There is um, some weird stuff with that because, for example, and if, and even like last night, they had – there's a Ring of Honor pay-per-view this week. Yeah, I had no clue. No, would, I, I literally Nobody would not. know. Why Why don't – it's funny because at the same time we say, well, I don't want them to use a whole bunch of dynamite to promote Ring of Honor. And I'm not saying they should have done that. We didn't even get a commercial. We didn't even get one ad. Like we didn't even get a – oh, yeah, these guys are – I think there was a mention that Claudio will be defending the title this weekend. They didn't even announce who it was. They were sort of putting a storyline into the main event. Which I, I didn't like what that did. It sort of made it weird with the heels and the baby faces. The baby face team had an advantage against the heel team, which is never what happens in like a a war games blood and guts type of match. So it it is really strange because it doesn't seem like they use their own programming to promote their other programming, which is like marketing one hundred and one, right? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like we get more. Rampage promotion than we do Collision and maybe if we're Still trying to punish if, if, if You say well it's CM Punk And all the The elite group don't look good Along with CM Punk you're punishing Your the, the fans You're punishing the fans the network And the bottom line to it I don't Buy that excuse at all anymore and I, I just Don't I don't I, like I this don't. because What it does yeah you you kind of Hit on it perfectly it you you got to make a decision if you're Tony or you know and all of the AW executives. If you wanted to bring Punk back, if you knew that was good for the for business and for the company, you needed to get these guys all in a room and you needed to, to to have it put out. Hey, look, you guys don't need to like each other, you don't need to love each other, you don't need to talk to each other. But we have to we can't have this crap where we can't even have our full roster in the same room together or in in the same building. 
right? Because now all of us as fans are doing this in our head. I think we've started to split too. We start wondering if there's something happening on Saturday, can it happen again on Wednesday? What's going to happen if somebody gets involved with CM Punk? And are these two worlds worlds that can cross over? It's it's something that we just need to keep monitoring. And I wish that for a new company, they were able to have all of their resources together. But it's it's frustrating, and I, it's got to be frustrating for someone like Tony Khan because – not only is he trying to do something that's hard, he's trying to book a, t- a wrestling company. And we've seen a lot of people through the years that we thought were smart or good and new wrestling, and they didn't book very well. And he's trying to book a brand new wrestling company, run the show, answer all the questions. And now he has to deal with these two separate rosters and everything that comes with that. Um, so, I mean, it can't be easy for him. No, no, absolutely and, not. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't envy. Him, I just think that it's one. It sort of like it reminds me of of a conversation you will have like as a parent sometimes, and I I've had this conversation. If I get mad at my girlfriend Milo's mom or she's mad at me, we got to be careful that we don't do things that take like that that are trying to get back at each other that hurt Milo, right? And that's sure. what you're saying right here is like the same thing, right? If you're if you're trying to prove a point to CM Punk, if there's still bitterness between Punk and the Young Bucks, that can't ever be shown on the TV or on on your product. Dude, Shaq and Kobe hated each other. I, I lived with those guys not liking each other. They were they grew up like Kobe was young, Shaq was older. He thought he had he thought he was way better. Kobe didn't like that Shaq didn't want to work. But those guys went out there <laughs> on the court, and and you didn't know that when they were out on the court. No, and, and I think like that's a great example. And fast forward, I mean, go back even further. I think now we find out that Jordan and Pippen basically hated each other. They yep. didn't like Rodman either. But, you know, I look at it two ways with this collision and this dynamite. You know, one, you look at it, okay, they had to separate, they had to create a brand to bring Punk back. You know, TBS wanted, uh, maybe wanted more. So, did AEW want to put three shows regardless if one of the three is taped after one being rampage because WWE has three shows on, you know, the USA network two on USA network and one on Fox. And then at the same time, do you look back and you say, well, TBS is just running reruns of, uh, on Saturday evenings of, uh, big bang theory. They're not getting 585. So they, do they feel ecstatic? Well, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't, don't either. It's a good question. I, I don't know that answer. But, you know, two days out of your show on Saturday, I think we you got one, one match announcement for this Saturday, right? Um, it, it's a trios tag team championship. I think AEW um, and WWE does this a little bit. I, You know, AEW has a, or excuse me, WWE has a, has a bigger presence on social media. Their numbers just speak for themselves, but I think they just expect people are going to tune in on Saturday at at 7 PM central uh, on TBS and watch this regardless who we, you know, say, I, I just, you and I both know, regardless if you're a college football fan or not, and I don't know what percentage of professional wrestling fans are or not, but when that starts, in about six, five, six, seven weeks, 
Every last week was eight weeks for the NFL. Last Sunday was eight Sundays before the NFL. And so there's like two weeks before college starts, usually, I think, with like the week zeros. Yeah, I think it's Labor Labor Day weekend. It kicks off. What is that, Saturday, September 2nd, or or maybe even the following week, the 9th? It is going to change dramatically. And and how much, you know, you're going to see numbers in the two and 300,000 range. You just are. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people that do watch wrestling on Wednesdays, uh, you know, AEW, but they're going to go out to bars. They're going to go out to games. They're going to be invested in more things. It just happens. So well, like, I don't, long-term, I have no idea what's going to happen. Cause no here's, idea. what's weird. We had a AEW dynamite last night. So it was on Wednesday on that show. We had a buildup to the next tag team championship match. So we did have FTR come out on the show and we did reference that they had a 58 minute tag team match. That was awesome. And what was cool about the match, it was on uh, collision. It was very territory, old school territories sure, type match sure. to where it was like a two out of three falls. It wasn't a bunch of high spots at all. It was not what you would have seen on Wednesday night with a, like an hour long blood and guts match. It was just old school, good wrestling. And again, like just small little things, they should have waited to debut Jay White for this show. Sure. I agree. The first three weeks of Jay White being on Dynamite were just nothing, completely nothing. He's been way better on this show. He's felt a little more important, but the problem is now you can't get out of your head the first few weeks or of the first month where it's like, oh yeah, he's, but he's kind of just a tag team guy with Juice Robinson. Like he should have been a big deal on here. He should have been someone at the end of this show, one of the first few episodes that it comes out in a taxi and punk and sets up a program. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I you know, because you can tell the booking's completely different. Yeah, it you is. You just can't. And you, I, you just can't. And I wonder sometimes because, like last night, for example, did did they mention Ricky Starks? Oh, that is a. Very good question, and I don't think so. I don't either, because that's the, so the two big things that happened on did they mention collision Willow? from from Saturday? That's what I mean. They had the 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 finals of the Owen Hart tournament, and then they had the tag team match that was awesome. Well, they had to mention the tag team match because a lot of the show was built around MJF and Cole, who are building to a tag <laughs> team match. So they had no choice; they had to mention that because now they win and they're the number one contenders. They didn't even mention the other stuff, as far as I remember. I didn't hear any mention of Punk. It's like his name was not even said. And so, if you were, if you didn't watch Saturday, no, you wouldn't know that CM Punk lost to Ricky Stark. Yeah, you wouldn't have. Why wouldn't you make a big deal about this for Ricky Starks then? Even if Ricky Starks with the biggest win of his career, he's the Owen Hart. Like you know, and it seemed like based on what they did. Didn't it seem like Ricky Starks is going to have a heel turn again? Is going to like turn back heel? Yeah. Because he, I, and again, he cheated to not- win the match. And then after the match, when Jushin Thunder Liger was handing him the, the trophy, he sort of like grabbed it from him. So that seems weird. I, and if it's being done intentionally, uh, it's, it, why, it's a why? recipe for disaster. But like why? Right? You're, why you're would you? Hurting, yeah. I don't. I don't. In, Here's the you thing. know why. You know why. 
because sure. they don't want to turn CM Punk. I don't know if that's a him thing or if that's the Tony thing, but at what point are you going to, you know, or do they think they're going to, they're doing like the John Cena, Roman Reigns thing. The problem is there are, there are some places where he just gets booed punk. Yeah, sure. Sure. I absolutely, absolutely. Just lean I, into it. Well, it's just, uh, now that you mention it, I don't recall anything about Starks or Willow Nightingale. And she, Me neither. She, she won. I don't recall any mention about Owen Hart. It, look, 50, 50. I understand maybe why you put it on Saturday. You because you want to give an an incentive to people to watch it, but then but, you got to act like it exists. I completely right, agree. That's with what you. somebody said. If you really respect Owen Hart, why wouldn't some of this stuff been on Wednesday nights? Well, and I would have their flagship show. And I have no problem with what you're saying. Like, totally agree. Hey, look, this is going to be the exclusive place of the Owen Hart tournament Saturday night on Collision for the next few weeks. All of our Owen Hart tournament matches are there. That would even be kind of cool. It would be like when we would watch the Cruiserweight Classic or the Mae yes. Young Classic and they would have sure. the specials on there, you know? Like, I would have no problem with that. But there's just not consistency to it. They don't tell us that. We hear about it on Dynamite, then we don't see anything else about it again. And it's that that right now i know it's it's brand new but they've got to figure this out because they threw a tournament they threw punk and ricky starks they've already thrown a ricky starks heel turn they threw punk versus samoa joe i don't know how many more of these right now they have to go to so they got to get they got to get <laughs> some like some consistency they've got to find their footing a little bit after what i thought was a really good collision but you're not promoting it like no. in I noticed this week in particular, as we can now move sort of to Dynamite, the difference between when WWE promotes something and when an AEW or any other like smaller company promotes something, man, that's what they call the machine with WWE, right? <laughs> like we're seeing, is it a Barbie movie coming out this week? You know oh what I mean? Gosh. It's like yeah. you see the pink stuff everywhere, everywhere you look. That's what the WWE does when they've got something big. When they've got a big WrestleMania, a big Royal Rumble, a big event, a big match to promote, you you hear about it on Raw, NXT, SmackDown. You hear about it on The Bump. You hear about it on all their social media programs for a week and a half. And then by the time that match comes, you're already so sick of hearing about it, but, but you, like, you're ready for it. When last night comes, I got to be honest, I kind of forget – that blood and guts is coming. Oh, I, absolutely, absolutely. And look, I already forgot that collision took place. I, I mean, and, I've already watched Raw and NXT because I'm, you look, look at NXT. Holy cow! I mean, that thing is on fire now. And the numbers are are reflecting how well it's doing. So I you just, forget, you forget already. So I, I you know, it, we they they give you two updates for Rampage because that's taped that night, so they already know. If you don't know what's not going to happen a week out from now, I, yeah, you can run this promotion for the next 15 years. Uh, if, if he wants to be relevant, they need to change some things. I, I just look, they just come out last week with a list of no nos that you're no longer going to be able to do as an AEW wrestler. And then we have an hour-long match with thumbtacks, with glass, you, with beds. You of, broke all of their rules, those your own rules that last match. It's just none of this. Slide of sense. hand and twist of fate <laughs> on a bed of nails. She makes me wait. Sleeping just, on a bed of nails. 
Yeah. I just look. We were told. Look, we say it. If this was the way you're going to be, so be it. But stop saying you're going to be the most transparent company. We're going to tell you this. We're going to tell you that. When they don't, they don't. It, it, it's just and, kind of like a ride along. Well, and here, here's it. the thing. Don't even moving forward. Just don't stop. Stop with the with the pro wrestling too, because we're yes. we're in, we're, yes. we're back. Because we're in sports entertainment. Funny. I'm glad you brought that up. The sports entertainment company is out wrestling the quote unquote pro wrestling company. And and we we will say I don't have a problem. And I think me and you have always said. AEW needed to have a little more of it. I don't think you want to yes. go do WWE light, right? You don't want to go do what they do and do it less, but I, I don't necessarily need campy sketches all the time, but I don't mind some of them. We've seen Jericho and MJF have fun. We've seen funny things through AEW that I had, I have no problem with. It's more of the way you produce your show, the way that you, you build guys up. We, Honestly, it sounds silly. One of the the things I think AEW has done the best they've ever done was how they built up Nick Wayne before his first match. Did we hear anything about him? It was he was on last night in a vignette and a okay, cool. Because I missed, I, I did miss that. So I'm glad we got to follow it, up on that. Look, okay. it was a it was a backstage segment. Um, I don't know if it, I is think Darby hurt. Was... Is Darby hurt right now? Were they pushing that? I think he might have gotten hurt. He could have been, but he was he was just kind of standing there last night backstage. Okay, so I'm glad we at least saw him because I will say I thought the way they built him up before his match was like the best thing they've ever done because they just gave me five minutes of showing me who he was in a few weeks. I like I like that. I didn't like what what happened. I didn't like that he lost, but that was a positive. Um, AEW Dynamite. Now, I mean. Wednesday, the whole last hour was the blood and guts match. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. I was, I was, I didn't end up sending it to you, but <laughs> I was sending you a text last night. It was late because I was catching up. I was watching uh, Dynamite a little bit later, and my my text at the end was about to say, "Do people really, really, really enjoy this type of a match?" I mean, I I, I was honestly watching it, and at the end. I know it's like a spectacle, and I know there's the, oh, my gosh, what will they do next? Look, he's got, <laughs> he's got a shoe with, you know, thumbtacks on it. He's got a barbed wire bat, and, you know, they, and it, it's fun, right? It's creative, but it's, it gets to a point where it gets a little silly. I think almost like we got to suspend our disbelief so much to where it's like, these are still human beings, right? Like if somebody's just beating the crap out of me with glass, I'm gonna I'm not gonna be walking around like this. Or if I'm getting slammed onto beds of nails, they're gonna actually dig in even more than they do. I'm it's and and then for the same reason, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, you Moxie's bleeding five minutes into the match, and then you've got forty five more minutes to go. I just also wonder whenever WWE does this. I say the same thing. Even with their war games matches, the this style of match isn't for me. No, and, really, and, really. And look, let me be uh, full disclosure here. I've never been intrigued with blood and guts. I didn't mind the steel cage because during 
when I, you know, I was born in 74, I'm 49. So watching, really remember watching professional wrestling. My memory started, uh, apparently I was going at five because my brother's five or six years older than me. So he was, I was going with him to Houston Friday nights, every other, every other Friday night going to the Sam Houston Coliseum. And once a year, Paul Bosch, Houston wrestling would do a steel cage match, whether it would be Nick Bockwinkle coming in, Junkyard Dog. So, yeah, but even when they bled, um, even in the the Attitude Era for WWE, I just never got into that. And I think you're you're catering to the very – look, let's say the the AEW audience. Let's take 100% of it. What percentage of that, which is only, what, 800,000 a week on Wednesdays, five to 600,000 a week, on Saturdays, what percentage of that really, really gets into this? Because 30. on TV, it really comes off really terrible in this day and age. In this day and age, where you know you come out of a pandemic, where we've for the most part gotten over that, but still to this day, I just five minutes in, as you said, Moxley's bleeding. It just say it was- for your pay per view. This it's it's funny because while this feud I is, out. it felt like this feud has been going on for a long time. They've had different iterations of it, different big matches. But then it felt like like last week they announced out of nowhere Kota Ibushi's coming in. And and Ibushi makes sense for the if you know Kenny Omega thing. But like what did they do to introduce any of us to Kota Ibushi? Like any of any person that didn't know who Kota Ibushi was. Like, why would you know who he was now? And then two, if you watch that match and you didn't know much about Kota Ibushi, you wouldn't think he's anything special. He well, didn't have that, big that, moments. That, that's he, number one on my notes. I'm so he didn't have any that. big moments at all. I will say, Hangman Page didn't do any, like, I don't know if that was a by design. I didn't feel like I saw him do much of anything th- throughout a lot of it. It felt like a lot of moments where guys were walking around Really slow spots. I, I know I saw the critique for the Bloodline Civil War match that it was so slow. And that because it was like a they were telling a story that the match quality was hurt by it. I didn't think the quality of this match. There was a, a time where it felt like Con, uh, uh, Kenny and Coda were going to do a, a tag, like a tandem move. It did not go over well. And I don't know for the reason, but I did hear a lot of people say this. Kota Ibushi was someone who physically always looked like he was the most in-shape guy in the locker room. He was in tip-top shape. That was not the Kota Ibushi we saw on Wednesday night. No, and I'm glad you brought him up because that was number one on my notes in the match, other than Moxley was the first, you know, you know, basically, as you know, Abdullah the Butcher, you know, walking out, you know, just coming to the ring. Abdullah Butcher was, Abdullah the Butcher was already bleeding. Um, he looked rough. He looked out of shape. He didn't look good. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the guy never took a tack spot. You know, you had tacks on the mat. He took that spot by himself. Like for what? I know. I, I just don't know. He 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 did the tack spot on his own. And it just again it, it just I, I I don't get it. I, I would so much better in person. I don't. And know. I wouldn't even have had a problem with like let's say this match is really bloody and Moxie's. 
if they hadn't have already done it 25 times before this, right? Like, this match would hit more if we didn't see Moxley bleeding on random matches against people that he has no storyline with. Like, I don't have a problem with the blood in a big, like you're saying, if it's once a year, every six months, it's the end of a storyline. If it's these guys have had a brutal feud and now, okay, let's have a little blood at the end of it. It, you know, it adds some impact. There's a story there. I, maybe it's just me and I'm, and this is me and all of you who are listening to this show, you guys are following my stuff and you see like, if I'm not out there going, oh, hey, Chad Cooper joined me to talk about wrestling this week. Here's what we promoted. Who the hell's going to know? Like, how do you know if I don't promote it? Why All week long from last week on Wednesday night when they ended and we saw that Kota Ibushi was coming. Every single day of the week, we should have been getting get to know Kota Ibushi moments, clips on social media. They should have been blasting it out. There should have been, they should have had other influencers to help promote who Kota Ibushi is and pushing those things. There should have been a week where every email that blast that you got from AEW was about Kota Ibushi, the blood and guts match coming up on Wednesday, reminding you this is going to be an hour long match because you know what? I didn't, I hadn't realized they broke a million both times they've done this on TV. This has been like their biggest selling draw. On TV when they had the blood and guts match I'm really curious to see how it will do this time Because their ratings are in sort of a swoon right now Um, Well let me bring up one more point about this match Please And a couple of months ago we were talking about this guy And we talking man they're building him up This guy is special What's kind of happened to Wheeler Yuta I mean he came out last night uh, uh, Okay Crowd doesn't really react Didn't he take the pin did he take the pin? Mm-hmm. You know, there was a guy in here, too, that at one point we heard that he wasn't getting treated well enough in WWE, which we all agreed with. At least we saw him on WWE Cesaro. You know, like, he he feels like he's not even around. Like, he just feels like such a side part of the show. Like, oh, yeah, he's in Ring of Honor, so he's part of the Blackpool Combat Club, and we see him as part of a group. Do we ever really hear him, like, talk? Or anything individual about him. It's just part of the Blackpool Combat Club. And that was the same gripe people had had about Cesaro before. Is that, oh, he's just always part of a team or part of a group. But we don't let this guy uniquely be the guy he should be. Like, How cool would this company be if we had right now a babyface Kenny Omega wrestling in a match against like a heel Cesaro for the title? I don't know. I'm just good throwing point. that out there yeah, as, like a, as like something because... As we continue along with Wednesday night, Blood and Guts was a big part of the show. And I will say, you will hear me say this about WWE, TNA, NWA, anything. I don't love the false count anywhere, last man, well, the more, more so the last man standing style. Because it's <laughs> the same sort of format like we have here with Blood and Guts. I don't, I, and I'm, I'm not even as much of a fan of the Iron Man stuff for that same reason. I don't like when there's a time clock on our match before it can even start. Like, you know that in a blood and guts match, for the first 20 minutes, nothing's happening. And and I say nothing in that, yes, there's going to be some hard-hitting action, but nobody's losing. There's no chance of a pinfall occurring. It's just build, 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 build. I think I really 
I need to be so into a match for that to happen. I'm not, and I think our attention spans, everything's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Do we need to have hour-long matches as often as AEW has been doing them? Even if they're great, they're they're great. Like, they're they're fantastic. I think they're good. Like, I'm not knocking the quality of the matches, but in the last four days, AEW had two matches that were basically an hour long. Well, and I and I think what people lose track of you, and some people maybe not care, but the ones that always want to look at the final number rating, look at these segment breakdowns. Which was the lowest? Which was the highest? And which one lost the most amount of viewers uh, as it progressed? Which one gained the most uh, as it uh, as it went on? And you'll find out a lot about what the television audience is doing at that moment when you see that stuff. And I think some of these matches start losing um, because they're not a spectacle. They're not special anymore. If it look, if WWE gave away all their big matches, how good would these PLEs be uh, once a month? How, how good would, would spending $9, $10 a month on the Peacock app? Or the ROH wanting to be, uh, you know, subscribing to them. I just, if, I don't, it's just frustrating because you brought all these former executives over from WWE that worked on air, that worked behind the scenes. And now you're, you're, look, look, when you open as a business and you have to get away from that business plan, um, fine. You have to adjust as, as time goes on. But some of the stuff that they have done just makes absolutely no sense. And if you go back to that that press conference, remember they were all these superstars or all these AEW wrestlers were walking around this pool as they were announcing it, you know, at this venue. And there were thousands of people there. That excitement is gone. It's gone. And it just doesn't feel... um, it just doesn't feel natural anymore watching some of these matches. I think it's gotten way too predictable in some of these segments for them. Now, other things to take out from Wednesday. So, and it's hard because, like, I when I when I'm, we're talking about AEW and we're critiquing these things, like a lot of the matches solid. It's like good in ring work. It just ends up going too long. It ends up going too far. And these guys are really creative with their with the spots they're they're doing. I think they could do, they could do so much less to get so much more out of it. The crowd was cheering louder earlier in the night for a freaking double clothesline spot than for <laughs> yeah. than for any of the things that they are doing. And I think that sort of goes to show you that like the most polarizing thing right now I think happening in AEW is the MJF Adam Cole tag team. Yes. Yeah. And like the first thing I want to say with all of this is I would have zero issue with this if the world title wasn't involved. Literally zero. Like none. I would have no problem with this. I would even say this is this is good. This gives them two guys that don't have a whole lot going on something to do. We we probably had 25 or 30 minutes of MJF and Adam Cole on our TV together last night between their segments and then their match before the world title was even mentioned or brought up. When we had Adam Cole sort of grab it, and then at the end they sort of teased a, a little, a little dissension. But I don't. It's just inconsistent. MJF is the devil. He's the devil. He's <laughs> this guy who's talking about like murdering people in his promos weeks ago, just like brutal. 
and he's your world champion. And now we don't hear anything about the world title. Nobody else cares about it. Nobody else wants to have a match for it. And we're just not getting like, it's just so weird to me that that's a whole thing. That's not even a part of the show right now, the world title. It's like, it's, it's just like these guys are a tag team going for the tag team championship, which is a fine story. Like I would, I, again, I would Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens team. Hell no. RK bro. Like, I like, I enjoy a lot of this. I think a lot of what it is is entertaining. I think it's funny, but we we mentioned it last week. It's like the wrong role in the wrong movie or the wrong TV show, Chad. And just don't crap on it when WWE does it, right? Just 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 don't be that guy or, or gal. And again, I I thought when Jericho and MJF we're doing these dance-off. Remember, they did this Broadway show thing. I thought that... I remember that. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. Seriously. What would you do Friday night, Gino? And I, I watch SmackDown before you because you live on the West Coast. The majority of the time. Sometimes I'm out gallivanting with these sea-level these rock stars, right? Um. What would you do if I texted you, Roman Reigns just had a dance-off? You would say, man, stop. Stop. Stop the madness. I don't care if this is yeah, that, that, that MJF has done this before. Um, and so again, I wouldn't. Happen, right? so, so MJF and Adam Cole, we called it. They won, they won this tournament. I have no problem with the tournament. Sure, whatever. I, it wasn't promoted enough because I love every, I love a good tournament. I just do. So we knew they were going to win it. Are they going to win the tag titles or is this? And you know, here's the problem again: what they've done, right? So with all of this, because now, because a lot of match, a lot of the if it, Gino, if this tag team title match ends in a schmoz, a DQ, you've just wasted and ruined all kinds of things. So who's going to get pinned, MJF or Adam Cole? And then and, he's going to be in a world title match because MJF is going to turn on the guy. Well, because and because honestly, what what should happen right now? Even if you and I, like, I'm not, I don't hate watching this segment, these segments, right? I'm not, so let me let me try to clarify it. I'm not when the t when it comes on my TV, I'm not like, oh my god, this is so bad, I have to turn it off. It's just confusing <laughs> to me. I'm confused by it. I'm like, why are, why is this happening with the world champion evil guy? Like, why is this what's going on right now? And I don't know. So for me, if I'm booking right now and I'm seeing the responses to this and that a lot of people are liking it and like the crowd is loves this, right? The crowd loves the Cole MJF stuff. And MJF, he's super entertaining. He's doing the baby face, the, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he does the tope suicida. He does the show. He's going, no, it's it's good. Like, he's a talented guy. He's he's a good actor. He would be a good comedy actor. He would do He would do well in whatever role that you put him in. The problem that I have for this is, so now it's going well. What are you going to do? You want to keep running with it? How can you do that? You, you have, like... This program kind of ha- has held your world title hostage now. This, How this do you? Is defi- this has definitely been a disappointing run for M- MJF, and I think we hit on this a couple of weeks ago, maybe not a month ago. This title I, needs to be on Kenny Omega. I think that <laughs> MJF and Adam Cole 
are entertaining. And I very think the entertaining. Two, I think the two of them together would be a very entertaining part of every week. Is just don't have them with the world title. That's all. That's literally all. Like just have had they one would, of them. They would be a. They would be, be honestly. They would be a great AEW tag team champion title holders. Hundred percent, and they Fantastic. would be super. You're and then, about entertaining. That's your Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, right? And there. then it leads that to one the, makes sense. Then after a while, it will end up leading to a match. See what ends up. Why I'm I'm confused about this too is when you have turns. A lot of the time, it's somebody turns on someone because they want the title or because of a match. In a match, we see it happen. It's different when you already know it's going to – like we know that the MJF's already the world champion right now. It'd be, it'd be so much better if MJF and Cole were friends. They win the tag team titles. They're buddies, and then they've got to go in a match for the title. What happened with Beer Money? Right, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I want to see the one guy turn on the other guy because the title makes him do it. it. This is just there's a lot of things to this that are backwards, and it's because of the presence of the world champion in it. This should be a, a program when MJF has already lost the title, and he's he's now not the evil guy anymore, and and that's why Adam Cole is kind of believing him. He's like, yeah, you know, guys. Um, you know, Max lost. He's not the, that same dude he was anymore. You know, he's like he's humbled now. He's you know he's he trusts me. We're friends. And then MJF screws him over because right now everybody is telling Cole MJF is going to screw him over. So what's going to happen if he does? I'm going to be mad at Adam Cole for being so stupid, aren't you? I, like, do I, you, do you think? Be, what are you doing, dude? We all told you, <laughs> you don't do this. Don't do this. Britt told you she was on the phone with you, bro. What are you doing? So I'm not like. That's not. I, hey, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What if Adam Cole becomes the heel out of this and turns on MJF because the crowd's eating MJF MJF up now? Would you be okay with that? Is that the best of the worst case but, scenario? It, it's or no? like to me. That's like having Daniel Bryan and WWE play a heel, right? It's like, sure. True, M- true. MJF can be a baby face, and as we're seeing, he can be entertaining with it, and he can be fine. Is that the best use of him, though? It, he was the, the best use of MJF is this slimy, smarmy heel that we've all seen. And now— Because if they don't win the tag team titles and MJF turns on him, I mean, come on. You just wasted a lot of time and stupidity, and you. It, it, unless, do you think? Do you think they're winning the tag team titles? And do you, well, here's not, the thing: they so, should. Adam Cole win this title. They I should. Think they, I think they need to be the tag team champions after all of this. Me too. They should win it for the story they're telling, and that's where where if I end up. Really involved. What if they say, "Hey, well, we're not going to wrestle each other for the world title now." I, I just what you you're going to make. They're making themselves. You talk about booking, book yourselves into a corner. They're in a I, corner uh, now because FTR, you know, comes out and says, "Hey, look, here's who the fans going to cheer for." I'm telling you right now, they're going to cheer cheer for MJF and Adam Cole. Completely agree. I am. Um, again, I don't. It's like I know why they're doing this, and I would keep booking it if I was Tony Khan. I would just try to get the the world title out of it. You yeah. don't need this, and then. So now if they win the world tag team championships, he's going to be 
having both of those belts and you're not even you're not even wrestling. Like I don't I don't have a problem with the not wrestling very much. Roman doesn't wrestle all that much, but we had talked about it. That's why they had to create another world title. Because Roman wasn't wrestling and because people started getting fidgety. Like, hey And imagine them not promoting that world title. Yeah. You know? And, and not even say, mentioning ah, it. No, don't even mention it. Well, he's I mean, the his stuff Here is, you go. But so as for as negative as it sounds like we are about it, like and I and I just think it's out of place, you know, like the stuff where he's doing the brother. I slammed Big Bill, brother, in front of ninety eight thousand, and the roof was loft, and the place was rumbling, and and you know, like MJF is is a smart. I'm not player. saying this is not entertaining. No, it, absolutely, it is. It just it feels a little. It just feels out of place. Like this is supposed to be what happens when you have two guys that don't have something to do. Not when they are the main event. <laughs> like, that just is supposed to be a little bit more serious. We'll talk about WWE in just a second. Seth Rollins. Oh, oh <laughs> he's singing. He's dancing. He's got flamboyant clothes. He's doing whatever. But on Monday night, he said, Byron, get out of here. I'm going to talk. And he stood up, and that's the guy that I like seeing a lot of the time, right? Being able to go back and forth. You can be funny and goofy but then you got to flip that switch and be able to get serious and real like he did that's what i want in the world title yeah that's right like that's what i want here we haven't had any of that with mjf recently he's just like the silliest goofiest dude i mean he's so i know it's supposed to be laying it on thick but he's out there like you're my best buddy man come on buddy like it's just so so over the top it's not even like Oh, yeah, you know, me and Max hang out, and we wrestle, we do stuff, and Max is good, so we're going to get along. It's like, no, I trust Max. We're best buds. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely out of place to me um, with the world title. I think you, I would love this on ev- any wrestling show, and I would critique it on any wrestling show if it was the champion that was in this angle. We we got a heel Jungle, jungle Boy. He's Jungle Man now as he comes out with uh, dyed black hair. He's wearing the black. He's got a new new music. He's, I will say, he just feels like a bigger part of the show now as a heel. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if it's good or bad, and his matches aren't going to be probably the same quality as they were as a heel where he was a babyface, but he, like, I could see him doing stuff like he did on Wednesday, stealing titles, cheating. He just sort of comes off like that kind of a guy now. I think it fits him a little bit better. That, I I have no issue with this, even though I still I, I I like the Jungle Boy gimmick, but I understand. I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed the the title change. Here's the problem I had: you didn't even give this guy the time to celebrate anything. We immediately cut to some footage of Jericho and Callus, and then we went to footage of MJF and Cole in a restaurant. So we didn't even get to, oh, my God, this guy just won his first major, even though this belt, not major, but he won his first, what, singles title? Why didn't they make a bigger deal that Hook was undefeated, too? I know. Like, right? this should have been I a big one time. He signed, they he could have made this a big deal throughout the match or showed us more that just in general, like, these are all the things I'm talking about. Why didn't we That's know? That's the more, problem I had with this. It with every, so but much more special. And it's everything that we're talking about, though. Why didn't we hear more about 
Starks winning on Saturday? Why didn't we hear more all throughout the week about blood and guts? Why didn't we find out more about Kota Ibushi? They've got money now. They've got a big company. They they can do this. We've seen what they do when they want to do it with Nick Wayne. Yeah. Even last week, they showed a little Chris Ar- Archer package of him winning. They can do these things. They just don't want to for whatever reason. That's just, This is like a Tony Khan thing. We don't want to spend a whole lot of time promoting and setting things up, which I'm sorry. I I don't know what numbers he's looking at, but whatever he's looking at, they're not thinking about the big picture at all. And this week, there were like a bunch of things I'm looking at going, okay, why didn't we hear more about how Hook was undefeated coming into this? And it should have felt like a bigger deal for Jungle Boy, for Jack, like you said. And then right after, that's it. Moving on. I I just, you know, I think there's so many little things that could be tweaked and they would make the overall big experience just that much better. You know about the the restaurant that they were at in Boston? Kolu? You've been, you been there? No, I was going to say, do you know about it? No, I, I was just sort of hearing a little bit about it. No, no, I do not. It's sort of like the Ribera's, I guess, of Boston. It's like one of those oh, legendary yeah. places that like all the local wrestlers go to. I was listening to somebody who called into the Wade Keller show uh, Wednesday night, as you and I are recording on Thursday. He was he was at the show last night, and he said when he was growing up as a kid in Boston, whenever WWE would come to the arena or come to, to their towns, the kids would ask their parents after the shows to go to this place because that's where all the wrestlers would go eat and drink. So you'd always be able to go get like an autograph or like run into someone sitting down there eating. So people have always known it was a – it was a place, but like, I didn't know that. No, I didn't. I, I had no clue. No clue. Like, can can you do something on the show to let me know that? Because Wade Keller said the same thing. He was like, I had no idea. And if so, if like the second most wrestling historian over the last twenty five years doesn't know a, a place, how like how many people out there are? Maybe this was just a Boston thing, and that's fine. Like, you do some things sometimes that are just local, but. If they just spent a few more minutes explaining things, setting things up, letting me know things, I would care more. I would care more about everything they did. I don't – I would have cared more about the blood and guts match if I saw more about Kota Ibushi this week and I knew about how, oh, remind me about him and Kenny and why they're so close and that they were best friends. But there's like a love thing to them, and they were actually one of the first real like openly gay or bi – like. Storylines in pro wrestling that wasn't like a trying to be a um, a rib on it, right? Like mm-hmm. that wasn't trying to be a rib on on homosexuality. It was like actually embrace. There's a lot that they could have gotten into. We don't hear nothing, none of it. Like none of it, yeah. nothing. Yeah, I, I, it's like bizarre to me as we finish up with AEW and like what the hell was the point of that Brit match? Just to get her on the the show and like get a squash, but oh yeah, remember Britt's still here. She's important. The match was not good. It, Britt, if, if she was important, why did she lose in the first round of the Owen Hart tournament, which she won the year before? That's and, my complaint. And Britt is to me like her friend Chelsea, and like the opposite of someone like a Ronda Rousey. If you want to get Britt and Chelsea over, and I'm not. Let me say this. I, I think both Britt and Chelsea are underrated in ring. I think they're Watch better. What you say. 
Watch what you I, say, pal. I, I, I think they're better in ring than they get credit for. But the reason why Britt and Chelsea got over and get over is because of their characters. That's their yeah. strength. Their character work is their strength. The flip side for Ronda Rousey, she's better in ring. She's tougher. She's more of a badass. Don't have her cut promos and do things that are going to make her look bad and struggle. For Britt, it's not that it made her look bad, but her strength isn't like a squash match. Britt isn't even some big imposing character. So she's not going to look impressive in like a two-minute match beating someone. Britt Brit looks more impressive in like a 15-minute match like because she knows the ring psychology and she knows what to do. But and, and then once you care more about who she's invested with, then the match is better. Why, why not just have her cut a promo? Yeah, I like, agree. I, just, I agree. I just don't think it did anything for her with with what happened. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess shout out to MJF and, and Cole and then uh, Daniel Garcia and Guevara were dancing. Like they were they were <laughs> dancing. And I, I will say the Garcia was trying, man, like watching him. He was into it. He was selling those hips as he was shaking it, man. He was like, I'm, I imagine some of these guys are having fun with this too, right? Sure. Like this would be fun sure. to go out there and be goofy with. It just, I heard some, some people like furious, like this was for a chance to go to, to win the world, the, like the world tag team titles and you're dancing, you know, I didn't, I didn't care about that as much, but, but that's, that's a, like a thought from people who want to take this seriously, who were told that AEW is going to be seriously presented professional wrestling. Again, I have no problem with it because I like story in my pro wrestling. I like sports entertainment. Just just tell us that's what you're going to do, right? Just say, yep, we're a sports entertainment company as well. You got lots of blood. You got lots of guts. <laughs> Stephanie said at one point, should Milo be watching this as the match was going on? I was like, yeah, maybe we should turn it away from him as like somebody's being slammed on top of a, a bed of nails. But that was this week with AEW. Let's flip on over to WWE, man. They are flying on all cylinders from from just a rating standpoint. And it's not that's not always the only way to gauge how hot your company is doing, right? Uh AW is selling a ton of tickets right now overseas, so they're obviously really hot over there. But all of the WWE shows right now are getting fantastic ratings, and it feels like a lot of the characters all simultaneously are in good places. They either have good stories going or they've been built well recently, and you just feel really good about where a lot of these guys and gals are headed towards – SummerSlam, as we get closer and closer to SummerSlam, Coop, I'm very intrigued by Bianca, Charlotte, Asuka. Just the combination of Bianca and Charlotte together makes this all feel very fresh. It it just feels like we haven't seen it over and over because Bianca and Charlotte haven't interacted a whole time. I'm more intrigued with Bianca right now than I was when she was the champion. And I'm not downplaying her championship 100%. run because 100%. it was impressive. It was impressive. Her run to get there was impressive. Uh, her winning. And I'm not. And, I'm not and almost every match she had was was great. It was never about the yeah. in-ring. Oh, absolutely. It was, it I was just... the in-between the in-ring. It's exactly what we're complaining about with AEW. See, you're consistent. Yeah, you you had I'm, the same I'm... gripe about Bianca then that we do about some of the things you don't like. So it's not a, oh, I didn't like AEW from the beginning. I just, 
I'm miserable. I'm negative about all of this. That's never, that's not the case at all. If you or I ever thought AW was just bad and didn't like it and thought there was no, like nothing, we just wouldn't watch it. We wouldn't talk about it here. Like we wouldn't spend the time talking about it. We would just say, ah, nah. But there's so much good that can come out of it. And like we see right here with Bianca, she now has a purpose, a story, just something going on instead of the, hi, I'm smiling and I'm winning a match. And and I like the point. I like the little indication that Charlotte is kind of helping Bianca and defending her. You know, um, there's a couple of instances, you know, because Bailey and EO's guy, of course, EO has the briefcase. You know, uh, Charlotte says early in the show, right, she's leaving. She's got faith in Bianca or whatever. You know, she thinks Bianca is going to win the title. And then, you know, Bailey and EO show up and say, no, we're going to be at ringside or whatever. You know, we're, we're going to be involved. And so, so Charlotte says she's sticking around. So there's a lot of good working individual segments in this in this storyline with those five. And it's uh, Charlotte's kind of helping uh, Bianca a little bit because they were targeting her at one point during the match. And uh I just thought it was well done. I thought it was well done. I thought it was a great main event for SmackDown. Coop, we uh, we keep rolling on SmackDown, and again, overall, well, that, show's on, that show's on fire. It is. I feel bad for Pretty Deadly. Uh, was Elton yeah. Prince got hurt, so they'll got be uh, they'll be missing for a little while. Grayson Waller feels he just feels a little more important now, and he calls out The Rock, and then The Rock's coming at him, coming yeah. back at him, which is great. So they sort of. I don't think it's going to be Grayson Waller versus The Rock, but they're like that's a big deal when The Rock even acknowledges you. And, it, and, and, it, and you know what? And a lot of people, a lot of people bitched about Waller taking the pin in that the the second elimination uh, for the U.S. title eliminator match or whatever. It doesn't know, bother me. It, that doesn't bother me at all. That he's a heel. Definitely. He's a heel too. It, it's it's yeah. totally different when someone's a heel character than when they're a babyface character. Like Johnny Gargano shouldn't be getting pinned clean in in spots like that as much as a Grayson Waller should. Yeah, that you know about the match. You know, Escobar defeated uh, what AJ Butch and Grayson Waller. The match. I, I'm gonna nitpick. I, I thought the big screen distraction. That, that's one thing I think WWE does a little too much. I hate them making the someone sound stu- seem stupid. Yeah, right? and I, did, I didn't like that at the end. I have no problem with Waller losing. I just didn't like that little bitty distraction at the end on the screen. And that's whatever. It's just it seems like WWE does that too much. Carried over the momentum with uh, Jey Uso. So Jimmy oh, is, is yeah. hurt now, and he's out for foreseeable time. But we had a, just a great segment here. With Jey Uso, with Paul Heyman, with uh, Solo, um, Jay just looked awesome. And now him challenging Roman Reigns at SummerSlam is the match. That's got to be the direction they're going. I mean, I don't think he's winning, but again, we're coming full circle to where we sort of started with the bloodline. Shout out to Jey Uso. If you would have told me like a year ago or two years ago, you're going to have Jay Uso in a segment with Paul Heyman and like Jay Uso's brother, but not the other Uso. I would have been like, ah, I don't know. Man, really, really good stuff here. Like, How really- hot is that, Matt? How hot is that crowd going to be at SummerSlam when Jay and, and, and Roman? When there's a false Square. finish, when it looks like yeah. Jay's about to pin him for a second. Yeah. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. And we, uh, 
We got our guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me talk to you. L.A. <laughs> Knight, part of the United States Championship Invitational. And this is what we had hoped. This is what we thought. And this feels, this has got to be his moment, right? He's got to be the guy. Nobody even, right now, if I asked a bunch of people who was the U.S. champ, I bet half of them wouldn't even know. Yeah. He would yeah. make this title relevant. Right now, people would care every time he came out there holding that belt. Yeah. And because as good as Austin Theory was, and we jumped on this kid's bandwagon, man, it easily can, you can be cooled off in an instant. And he has definitely cooled off. Chad, I can't argue with you there. I wish I could. I wish I could defend Austin Theory a little bit right now. He just not... He's just it's not, not been... his fault. I don't think it's his fault. It's not. It's not. It's. It's not a lot of these people. People's it's, fault when they cool off. It's. It's booking. It's how you, know, you get presented. What when you're on TV and now and, he and he's had that title. When you get titles, we say what's the one thing we say most often on this. And yeah. then look, we can be wrong about everything. The one thing we're not wrong on is when you win a title. That's when it really begins. Yep, and it changes everything, and that's when it gets a lot harder the for you. The dynamic is completely changed, and it has with him. L.A. Knight next week. We've got Rey Mysterio, Sheamus, Cameron Grimes, and L.A. Knight in a fatal four-way to see who gets in to the U.S. Championship match. We also get Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, rules of engagement. And keep in mind, it's going to be on FS1 there yes. next week. So, and SmackDown again. Rolling along, it was a very good episode of SmackDown as we move on over to Monday Night Raw. And again, you just look at Monday Night Raw and you go through all of the stories and a lot of the wrestlers there. And most of them are in really good places right now or have like a hot angle happening. Cody Rhodes, he's in Atlanta. Dude, he was like one of the biggest stars in the world there. Everything about this, you could feel how Cody was like, Feeling dusty there There was just something so personal To Cody being out there On Monday He challenges Brock Brock comes out I'll see you at SummerSlam Bitch And uh, he <laughs> he puts the Kimura on Cody's left arm And he's beating the crap out of Cody Right in front of Cody's mom and family his mother. And this was like Grey baby face stuff for Cody So th- Think about where Brock was just a few months ago, he had a match with Omos that nobody was caring about. Remember? And now Brock all, all of a sudden on. feels like super relevant again, and he feels like he's that top of the the tier heel. So, Cody, Brock, good stuff there. I mean, we're we're gonna obviously get the Cody to win to put a bow on this feud and then move on to wherever. Right? Does he go to Seth or Roman or yeah. what? What there, you figure he's going to be the guy to get back to Roman, but shout out to him, to them. They've kept him important. Everywhere he goes, the crowds care about Cody Rhodes. Do you think, um, I, I, I saw a question raised on Twitter. Do you think he uh, he's just a megastar and this is what he's going to be now? Or do you, which, look, when somebody compares you to John Cena, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. No. Right? The guy had a phenomenal career in WWE. He comes back more often than not. And uh, now with, a you know, a, a writers and now Hollywood actor strike, you know, this guy may be clamoring for a, <laughs> a SummerSlam, a Survivor right. Series. And you yeah. imagine, who knows? But 
when somebody compares Cody Rhodes to John Cena, it says, well, the crowd's going to get tired of him. Um, if somebody compared me to John Cena, Gino, um, I, I've won the billion and, dollar lottery. <laughs> and and here's the th- and here's the thing, right? Yeah, you know, they they probably will. The crowds have always gotten tired of pretty much everybody except for Cena and a few others. And Cody might be Cody might be unique in that I think people feel the con- this connection to Cody about how much he loves pro wrestling. Like I really think that like it almost comes off phony sometimes, right? Like it, if you didn't know Cody and if you hadn't watched him repeatedly, you would be like, ah, is he acting? Is he being like actory? I don't know if this is real. But then that's just who he is, week in, week out, over and over and over. Like it's not a facade. This is a guy who grew up embracing everything to do with pro wrestling. He mentions it. His dad was on the pro. The Mount Rushmore, they're going to have a really good Cody documentary this week. Is it on Sunday? It's this uh, yeah, weekend, they, right? Yeah, and they had a big uh, premiere. Big, yeah, big premiere, and uh, this this is supposed to be uh, the best of the best. And if you hate the WWE, if you just hate them, the one thing they do better than even some of the big networks, better than the NBA, better than any, and better than any network. You're right. Better than any industry. Better man, than sports. Their, their documentaries and their 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 video the packages are would, insane. Would, they could take the worst built storyline and feud over six months and like Katie Vick, Triple H and Kane, right? And they can take a, a, a two minute video package and make it seem like it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. They, oh yeah. They've always been able to do that. And that's again, that's the machine that they get behind. They can spin things. They can make you feel a way about something that you didn't even realize. Sure. I agree. And that's a, that's a total skill as we continue on Monday Night Raw. I think for the women's tag division and everything that's been happening there, it's all happened just a little too fast. I don't have a problem with anything that's happened. It just seems like it all should have happened over a couple months and happened over a couple weeks because it seems like Ronda's finishing up, right? That's the rumor, and she's been mentioned by women in the UFC. Otherwise, we feel like her and Shayna probably have another month as the women's champs before they were to split up. I That's really the only problem with – that's my – I don't even know if it's problem. That would that's maybe why this can feel a little bit off, I think, just because it all happened so quickly. But it all really makes sense. Rhonda and Shayna should have been like the first team, dominant team. They team up for a while. Shayna is mad. She's bitter. She turns on her friend. That's fine. Liv and Raquel. I like the two of them as a team. They were fun. They looked like really cute together as a team. They were wearing matching stuff and they were you could just they seemed like they were enjoying it. But they end up losing because they're a babyface team and they want to push through and they lose to the cheap heel team that's been doing fantastic heel work with Chelsea and Sonia. All of that makes sense. It just happened really quickly. It did. And, and the booking for Raquel has been so roller coaster mm-hmm. because of this mystery, this this injury to live and win the title, lose the title. Win well, remember, back. she won them with Aaliyah, right? Yeah. Yeah, the titles initially, That's and how she's been a partner with Shotzi too. Yes, yes, this has just been a roller coaster, and now, you know, uh, she's she's in the the 
Raquel's been now in the, the title hunt with Rhea, which if I think now we're going to see a really good booking uh, storyline. The problem is Rhea is loved by everyone despite being a heel. That's what's tough for Raquel. In right the spot because you're situation. right. Because she is just and not just her, but anybody being put in this situation, I think is gonna have a big issue. But Raquel is re- I don't know what they're gonna have to do for, for Rhea to get even more hate more heat, but man, they love her everywhere. I she think goes, that's why they're gonna get Liv involved. They right? have to because, she's gonna do because something to live and put her out. And that's gonna make people really hate Rhea. And I think that's what happens to set up this the SummerSlam match because it makes if you're not going to go triple threat, I think you just have Rhea injure Liv, and then that sets up the the Raquel match, and then Liv could come back in a month or help make the save at SummerSlam or do something, and then you set up a Liv match. I think you have Liv and Rhea and Raquel for the next month or two together in a story with those three. You can get some different combinations out of it with them, and now with the women, you can let Chelsea. And Sonia have these tag titles for a little while. Now let's start to build because they can be a real tag team. I don't yes. think you have any concerns right now about wanting to break them up because you need to push Chelsea to the top, like like you may have had with Sonia or like you may have had with um, with Raquel and Liv. You may have had with Ronda and Shayna. You may have had with when Sasha and Naomi were the women's champs. Right? You never knew when was going to be time to break them up. Well, at least for right now. You could have Chance and Carter. You could have Chelsea and Sonia. You could have the Witches. Man, the Witches on SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. They came yeah. up in their match against Ronda and Shayna. They were beating the crap out of them. Yeah. It like was they good look for what it, for as long as it lasted. They look so impressive. And then we just haven't seen them again. I'd love for, for them to be in the mix. You could maybe get Candace in the mix with whomever. Like, give me five teams that are teams, and then let, let's start to build this division a little bit. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention from SmackDown, because we didn't get to. Shotzi. What did oh, you think yeah, of that Shotzi yeah, yeah, yeah. promo? That was great. Yeah, it was really, really good. And uh, those who follow Shotzi, I think they probably know why this happened. Um, uh, the shaving of the head. I know her sister is in of is having a lot of health issues. Um, I know Karrion Cross. Uh, you sent me that uh, that post that he was getting involved, helping this out. But this is really, really good. This is someone in the Indies who was wild and bizarre and caught the attention of everyone. Um, even in NXT, it was it was good, but it wasn't as over as it was in the actual Indies of the world. And now a change and get her. Hey, Bailey has driven me to a point where now you can get her involved and have because she can really wrestle. You may not be she a fan of the green hair of the tank and the the howling of the of the wolf or whatever. She can go. And I think her and Bailey can have some really, really good matches. So, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. And now again, think about that. So on the SmackDown side, you've got possibly Bailey and Shotzi. You've got EO with the briefcase. Yeah. And you've got Bianca, Charlotte, and Asuka yeah. all in the mix and all, like, having a nice role. And then on Raw. Oh, and Shayna and Ronda, right? Shayna and Ronda. They have, right. a, they have a feud going. You've got new women's tag team champions. You've got Liv, Raquel, and Rhea. 
you've got Becky, Trish, oh, and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, Zoe. You know, and <laughs> it's loaded, man. There's just so much happening. I'll say, I think Trish has done a fine job with with being the heel. I think Zoe. I think Zoe's done a pretty good job with her role so far. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. like a really good role for her. I don't know exactly what the problem is overall. It it Becky feels like very cooled off. To me. Yeah, and it and it and it's hard to hate Trish too. Yeah, it just is. It is. You know, I think her, as her much as you want to, this is like a Daniel Bryan good. thing, right? It's yeah, like it's you, not good. It's forced, and, and I don't you, like when you force someone to do something. And so it's yeah, I'm not I'm not in love with it overall. It just feels me like either. something that's like okay, it's fine. But we so know wait a minute, that Gino. Wait a minute. You don't think that Becky is going to get the tattoo on her chest? I she loses. Isn't she supposed to get a tattoo? She's supposed to get a tattoo on her chest if she loses. Thug life. Thank you, Trish. <laughs> Thank you, Trish. Um, but she does, and they do one of them. You know, the ones where it lasts for like a couple of weeks or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, but here's the thing. Yeah, I, I agree with every point you just made about Becky. If given time, I guarantee you, Becky and Zoe tear the house down next Monday. And night. if we get to. Which we will when Becky's chasing Rhea. That's going to be awesome. Yes. Yes. That'll be great. Like the two of them interacting with each other will be a ton of fun. And, and, and I think this is of more than anything. I think this, I, I don't know why, if it's being done for this reason, but I think at the end of the day, Zoe's going to lose, but this is going to elevate her into a status. Whereas if she came in from NXT, you remember in NXT, we had no issues with her in-ring work. She couldn't talk on the mic. There was well, no personality there. Here's here's so what's I, funny, you know, it compares someone like her to, you know, like Nikki Cross, where where Nikki is, where yeah, um, so she had a meltdown. I don't know if it was shown on Raw or if it was afterwards on the WWE exclusives, the social media, where she said she's quitting wrestling. You know, um, I, I, Candace, I, we haven't seen her look that strong. How about um, no. what's going on? I, I, did she get hurt? Um, Indy, like, you know, she was a women's champ. She was hurt. Well, and she Indy, came down. Has, Indy has been on these main event shows, so, you know, and you know, the in these these main event shows that they they put on. Um, so I don't think I, you know, she's coming off an injury because remember, she relinquished the title in NXT and got drafted. So and I think she popped slowly... up in a women's tag match she on did. Raw. She did. And, but that was it. She did. But I think at the end of the day, this is about elevating Zoe Stark to where we're going to feel very comfortable she regardless could, whatever she does. You know, you know who Zoe Stark should be for the next 10 years? She should be this version of Natalia. The, yes. And this the, is in, what Natalia was missing. Somebody we – look, because Natalia has it all in the ring. We just – it's hard to take her serious, and I don't know why I haven't, not just me, but we've been disengaged with her about I, all I this. agree. I know. It's like she you feel like you know her almost, and then she's like too nice or something. There's something weird there, but I agree with you. They've done a great job with Zoe Stark. They've done a great job with the Judgment Day. The Judgment Day were all over oh, Raw oh again. God. They're all over NXT. And They're on fire. This is the best version of Finn Balor we've ever seen. His... Again, I'm willing to, from one week to the next, completely change how I feel about something based on what happens. Finn Balor was not in a good spot a few weeks ago, and instantly— No, we said it. We were worried because Finn had a match 
set with Rome or with Seth at Money in the Bank, but there was before that Seth had an open challenge, and then Seth had a match with Braun Breaker set up, and Finn was able to to find a way to make it be more about him. He continued to attack Seth. I thought it was very good, and now like I'm really interested in these the Judgment Day individuals now. Priest with Balor I feel like we're going to get something with these two guys Soon Like after maybe after the Raw and stuff Where one of these guys turns on maybe the other um, Maybe they don't Maybe they let, they let it keep rolling for a little while Because now you've got Dominic As the North American champion He goes down to NXT and he beats Wesley Just overall A group that After Edge was gone They weren't even on TV we thought we we're in trouble. Yeah, we thought before these before guys were in trouble. Rhea, right? They weren't. They were like, yeah. they weren't involved much at all. They were on main event a lot. Yeah, and yeah, just getting the right. Now package. we've got a we've got a briefcase winner, right? We've got the women's world champion on Raw. We've you, got the number one contender who's been in main events against Seth Rollins now for like two or three months straight, and, and the women's which, champ. And I and, and not to jump to NXT, but. Would you be okay with with Damian Priest winning the NXT Championship, cashing in? I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. I, I and and yeah, we finished Monday Night Raw with a really good tag match. I almost thought they were going to win. I really did. I thought Judgment Day was going to win that tag match for a second, and I thought they were going to maybe have Dominic Mysterio as like a double tag, a double champ. But uh, now let, let me. Let, I'm glad you glad you mentioned the main event. Um, one well, thing about a, it. There's one, Do, one, and one negative too. But go ahead, uh, please. Are, go are, first. are we okay? Like, I have no problem, of course, with Sami Zayn and KO. Um, are we okay with this? Are, who knows if we're gonna have a turn between these two guys? You know, they've well, done they, it before. I'm, I'm, this is exactly where I'm going. Where? Okay, what are they? It. What's? What do they have ahead? Right, like where are they going? Where because they've been in six them? man, they've been in six man contest, and they've not had a storyline for a and while now. Heading to, and heading to SummerSlam, they don't. Who's it going to be? Who's out now, there for them? Now we saw Lashley and the Street Profits, right? Is was, this going to be an all heel turn team? Because I would love to see the Street Profits heel. We've been asking for. I agree. Uh, Montez Ford to be solo. We ask it. We ask for Bianca to be heel. Probably not going to get that. Lashley appears. They get into what a limo with them and head off. You know, KO and Sami Zayn have just been in these, you know, these six man tag matches. You know, they, yeah, they they've had some some matches, some tag matches. But what's next for? I would love the Street Profits to turn heel and just go after Sami Zayn and KO and be full-blown heel. I think that would be fantastic need, for SummerSlam. They but need they need something to start right on now. that now. Yeah, they, they need, need that something. Now because right now, these two are just, they're entertaining, they're good. But they're Kevin just the odd man out. Of, yeah, Kevin O kind of complaining and doing the blah, 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 being the kind of annoying guy. Uh, okay, sure, but they they need they need something for them or they're, or they're going to be uh, eh. And we don't want them to be eh. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, last thing before we get to NXT, that Viking rules match was awesome, Dude! man. The crowd Dude! was so into it. Chad that Gable so is incredibly fun. impressive. We forget how good the Viking Raiders are. And the crowd just loves, loves, loves Maxine. Like this is, Fantastic. 
the type of fun Entertaining segment I love in the middle of a wrestling show It was good And now this will help elevate people And then you can move them out of those comedy segments That That's how I think it should be done Um, Yeah, really, really good stuff here That was, I just, I was, that was, was on well commentary He was popping, right? He was popping oh, on commentary it was, just, it was just so good it, 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 You think, ah, oh, this is going to be one of those matches You know, and Corey Graves kept saying Oh, it's a Viking rules match Meaning there's no rules uh, I I thought it could get silly, like uh, their silly stuff they did with uh, the Street Profits, but this was really really good, really good. All six involved were really 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 good. All six. They, they did tease a little bit of maybe a Nakamura heel turn. That was kind of weird. Just a little, maybe him yeah. being a, l- a little yeah. bit more aggressive. Something to keep an eye on. We also. Saw Champa there post match, so there's going to be some involvement with uh, with them um, next week. Drew McIntyre face to face with Gunther and Logan Paul returns. I thought just a quick, good little promo segment from Ricochet. Nothing crazy or special, just quick. Boom, boom. Next week, I'm going to challenge you. So that was a very, very yeah, yeah. good raw. I mean, honestly, top to bottom, just not a whole lot of bad. Not a whole lot of filler. It moved really quickly this week as we roll on over. I'm trying to think. So now, so yeah, Gunther's got Drew. We just don't have very many people on the roster right now that feel like they're going to be placed for Sammy and KO. That's my big question. It has to be the Street Profits, right? Yeah. Has yeah. to be the Street Profits turn. That's that's or, what or I'm thinking. But you can't do Alpha Academy. You're not going to do two faces. I mean, because they're so over right now. You know, the only thing that would the only other thing that would make sense is if they do something like like an oh, they say that they're going to do an open challenge at SummerSlam and then they introduce someone like the Creeds, you know, or they bring that's, someone that's, up. That's 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 a good idea. Um, that's a good idea. Or that could be like a place where Gargano and Ciampa get together. Right. And just have like yeah. this awesome sure. match and, and the crowd loves it. I'm I'm just saying if they don't have anything, maybe that's a route they go as uh, we go over. To NXT, man, I love Dragonoff. I love this guy. Yeah. He's uh, out in the ring setting things up. Now, one thing I don't like is we're gonna get it here too. Can they coexist? <laughs> Dragonoff and Carmelo Hayes. Um, so they're gonna ha- they're gonna be you know paired together, Carmelo and uh, and Dragonoff, and that's where we're going to head. Um, you know, moving forward, so we'll see. That'll that'll help sow doubt and seeds as we have the three of these guys. So they they set themselves up for a match moving forward. What do you think about uh, Dragonoff, about Met Carmelo, and the Judgment Day's involvement down here on uh, on NXT? Yeah, I, I mean the the it, it, the matches are going to be fantastic. Uh, now they give you another option; they could go. Um, and I asked you this last week, if, if Priest uses that as a cash-in after the match, it would be, what, Great American Bash, that these two are, are going to have the world title match or the NXT championship match here. Uh, that would be next weekend, um, July 30th. So next Sunday is the Great American Bash right outside of Austin, I think, in Cedar Park. Um, I, I, I would think that Dom's here for a while with this title. So I don't see him going. Uh, look, the Dom segment was watched by 800 
50,000 people. Uh, Overall, that, what did NXT get? Like 700,000? 750, 760. So it was, it's just, it's been trending up over the last three or four weeks. So that is, that is crazy. So he's going to be here for a while. So kudos to, who's that? DZ that called this. He did. And we, and we, but we both turned heel on him after that. He called it. Uh, it took a little bit, but he called it, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. And it, but it, uh, you know, it's funny. It's in a, it's in sort of a different sense. Like it, it wasn't even as much. And I, I think it will help Dominic to go down there, right, and get some more really reps. But it happened really natural because the Judgment Day are so over. It was more of like they're using Dominic to get a rub than yes. Dominic needing to go down to NXT to get his character work done. He, the one thing I will say with Dominic though, it it is so funny to me. His father is the complete opposite of him. <laughs> right? Rey Mysterio, yeah. God bless, love Rey Mysterio. He's cut a couple promos in his life that were okay. Other than that, he's not good on the mic. No, you know, he's like not. He, he's no. never been a guy that was great on the mic. And, and a lot of it has to do with just the language barrier. You say things that don't connect as much. Sometimes you have a harder time finding the, the exact words that you want. But the reason why Ray gets over is because he's l- – no hyperbole, one of the best in-ring wrestlers of all time. If you wanted to say you thought Rey Mysterio was number one or in your in the top five, I don't think any person would argue with you. Like, I really don't. And his son is the total opposite. Like, his son is not even, I would say he's, like, slightly below average in-ring. Like, I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's progressed a whole lot in the last year or, like, really improved a whole lot. But his character work is amazing. Like he's yeah, a and now, character right now than Ray ever was. And and it's hard for him to even practice, uh, you know, on the mic because as soon as they, they give him the mic, it doesn't matter in NXT or WWE. He's booed. Boo. He's Boo. booed every time for they interrupt him. So I don't know how much time he's going to get on the promo in NXT. But you know, the segment was. The match, um, no one figured he he would win. It was a super shock. And I think the judgment look and look, I think the judgment day are here to stay. I, I think for a while. I'm not saying he's gonna cash in, Damien's not gonna cash in, but it would not surprise me if he beat Carmelo and Carmar Carmelo maybe chases it for a while, then goes up. And then maybe maybe Wes wins the title. Maybe it that's why be. this was done, right? Maybe because maybe you could Dragunov, have Wes. Maybe Dragunov meets beats Carmelo and Damian cashes in on him. You know, there's been some 30 second title reigns with this money in the uh, briefcase. And you've already had, around. now you've got, you know, Dominic and Judgment Day screwing over Wes Lee. He doesn't have the North American Championship now. In a couple months, maybe he's winning the world title from someone in Judgment Day. And you could come full circle with a big story. Sure, I like it. I just, I just like the pieces of Dragonoff, Carmelo, Wesley at the top of the NXT roster, and I like them interacting with Priest, Balor, and Dominic. It yes. just feels very fresh. I do too. I do too. Nathan Frazier and Dragon Lee pick up a win over Los Lotharios. I will say this was a really good match. This thing went like eleven minutes because they're. They're the lovers, the Los Lotharios. I think we hey, forget. You know what? They and can I'm glad, go. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned Los Lotharios because they did not call them Los Lotharios during the match. Okay? And then afterwards, we have a turn. Yes. Yes. They turned on each other. So Carrillo shoves Garza, 
and he lives through the crowd. Carrillo's always seemed more of like the babyface guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Like he yeah. just looks and seems like a babyface, whereas Garza, Garza could be. I want him back with that rose. Me too. Like, like I, want I mean, that I just. Rose. Yeah. He, to me, feels like a mid card WWE champion. He does. Like he, he does. feels he like a, a guy that. That has the Intercontinental Championship with him and that rose as he walks around and he's kissing. Yeah, you know, he he feels like he's got he's got more of the it than Carrillo. They're both good in the ring. They both can wrestle. Yeah. Let's see what we can do with uh, with Garza. Man, I gotta say, I'm not really happy with what's been happening with Gigi. No, with I didn't Gigi. like this at all. I didn't think the match was very good. No, it was clunky. Like it. it was only very clunky. Three and a half minutes and. You know, there was a there was some some rumor not long ago that maybe she wasn't happy with her character or what with, with sort of her place. And you almost you can almost are feel they trying it. to kill Gigi Dolan off. Right, you can to... almost feel it because she and JC, as soon as Mandy left and Roxanne got the title, remember she and JC had that match with Roxanne. It was a triple threat match, and yeah. it was really good. And yeah. both of them were great in that. And then following that, we figured when the two of them feuded with each other, it would be really good. And it just kind of fell flat. And it, it I think she's lost yeah. a lot of her momentum since that. I thought we were going to get a lot. Remember when we had the Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, mm-hmm. that barbershop spot, you know, with them two? Um, Gigi never recovered. Now, I, I don't think they're going to do a name change back to Priscilla Kelly, which was her big indie persona. But I do think we're going to restart with her. We have to because this was this was not good for her. This is no. the only way you can justify this is she's kept off, and we come back with some vignettes with her as uh, as as something different. NXT Anonymous. There was a video showing Booker <laughs> T God. giving Roxanne a little bit of uh, advice back there. Um, just some quick flashes. Bronco Nima and Lucian Price. They debut. They end up beating Axiom and Reggie because Reggie turns on Axiom. There's Reggie, a lot going on here. Yeah. There is. There's a lot going on here with Reg. Um, Eddie Thorpe is getting involved with the metaphor. I will. I just laugh when, when Noam Dar comes on my TV. I will say <laughs> they're funny. Um, and Eddie Thorpe did a really good job in the NXT Underground match. So cu- curious, care a little bit more about him than we uh, than we did Previously, what's going on with Baron hey, Corbin? I, I, I was just about to say, he says this new gimmick is is him. He said, "This it, is I, I'm my new gimmick." I don't know what that means, but okay, okay. I just let, let's let's. We, let's we've always been Corbin guys. Like I'm, I'm always going to yeah. give him the benefit of the doubt in his situ in his you know whatever he's doing. So let's let's see it play out a little bit. I don't mind Corbin. I think he's better in the ring, and he gets heat, legitimate heat. Other things, Tony D, the homecoming, like this, like I want to compare this to MJF and Adam Cole in just a, this is a comedy segment, right? Like it's produced, they're doing segments, they're doing sketches, they're in jail, you know, it's, it's a comedy segment, but it's not for the world title. It feels like it has a place. And then what happens is. The segments are fun and good that because of the segments, people start to care about you more, and then you can push them into a world title picture or into a bigger spot. I just think it's backwards some of the time 
that they're doing it in AEW. And I yeah, sure. I feel like coming out of this, dude, Stax, Stax kind of feels like he's really elevated himself quite a bit in, in here. Like, I could see him stepping up on the on the NXT kind of the tier. Like, I think it should be him and Tony D win these tag titles, have 100%. a little run as the tag champs. And then however it's going to happen, I could see Stax being a guy that moves up and in a few months he's contending for... NXT North American Championship and and for the championship. I agree. I think, I think he's that's on where they're going with this. Yeah. I think he's on that road. Tia, man, Tia just keeps looking hot too. And she was well, about to cuss. They're, they're putting it they're they're making us want to believe she's going to beat Tiffany Stratton. And they keep, they keep she's they keep getting she's getting better in the ring too. Like it's 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 part of her character that she's supposed to be improving more and more. She's actually looking like she is. So, yeah. uh, power to her. I think she's doing a, a really good job there. She ends up beating Electra in like a, a minute in a submission. We are getting set for Blair Davenport and Roxanne. We had a promo with the two of them side by side to continue the build. Oh, yeah. Booker T gave his former student an old pep talk. Yeah. And pep talk. This, was, this was fine. Like, I didn't have a problem with it. Sometimes Roxanne can be really corny. No, but, but she, this. This this needs to end. I think this, it does. this storyline needs to end. I just, um, man, you like you mentioned with Gigi Dolan, uh, Roxanne just feels like she's lost something too. Yeah, totally what do, you, what agree. do you do? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do with them? You know, and maybe with Roxanne, it's something like getting her back to involve with something with Cora, maybe yeah. where you have a little bit of like a history with the two of them. But so, I agree yeah, with you. Cora, Cora was watching what? Who was doing? Gymnastic or somersaults or something. Um, something Dana, because Cora was watching the Dana, because um, Dana's got the one girl as her sort of. She's That's taking it. her under her wing, and they were both doing the Dana Brooke entrance <laughs> where they do the, the the jump. And then dirty, dirty, dirty I did love how somebody told, or when they told Wesley, or was it, it was Ali said they. They call him Dirty Dom for a reason. I just thought that was so funny. And, <laughs> Dirty Dom gets the win. Dominic so Mysterio, your North American champ. Koopa thought it like a good, a, a really good week in the rating showed for WWE, SmackDown, Raw, NXT. Curious what the rating will pop for AEW. But and, and yeah, look, Gina, look, I, 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 again, going back to MJF and Adam Cole, if the world title was not involved, You've booked yourself into a corner with these. We teams. would. They, we would. They cannot break up in two weeks. I That's have what I'm having the issue with. I, me too, because I can't play this out in my head at all. Like, again, everything happens too quickly. This should be a long story. These guys are some of the most entertaining thing on your show. So just find a way to to book yourself out of the corner that you're in, right? See, because like they, I would. They need to win these tag team titles. They would. They do, they, and and. MJF should lose the world title and it shouldn't be Adam Cole's fault. It should be something where like Adam Cole's even trying to help MJF. They he gets screwed over, MJF loses the title and then these guys can tell their story. And then yeah. right when we yeah. all believe that MJF is a good guy, he saves Adam Cole. He they you know they're having fun. Britt is even starting to like MJF a little bit, right? That like that should be a thing. Like like Brit, he should win over Brit, and then the next week he turns on Cole because 
he has a chance to win the world title again. Let's just like not that. get into like the Edge, Matt Hardy, Lita saga, right? No, no, no. <laughs> we don't need to go there. We, we don't need, need to, to go there. We need to get the world title out of this yeah, or yeah. then be more serious. And I don't want this to stop. I just, that's no, what's so I hard. I think it's really good. This has been a good, uh, for us, it's just been with that w, that AEW world title just gets in the way. This has been very plutonic for both of them to do. Coop and it's been, look, and it's and it's been a while since AEW has had some, and I'm not saying MJF and Adam Cole need their characters developed, but haven't you seen this has actually been something fresh that AED, AEW has been able to lock up on and have yes. something work for them to break up in two weeks? Because if this ends in two weeks, I'm going to have a ma- major issue with AEW. Me too. Me too. You have to be willing to call an audible, and this is going well. This is it, and this is this. This is I, we're we're gonna. It's a jump or do not jump the shark moment here coming up for AEW with this, because this could really, really be good or really blow up in their face. Coop, I didn't tell you that we were doing the AFC South this week. So oh, if, my favorite division. I've with, got with something your, on that already. With your teams, I figured you if you have something there, or you can let us know next week. Next week we'll be no, doing got, AFC West. Yeah. But these are your teams. You know this. You know these teams. We've got the Texans. We've got what's, what's interesting about this division with the Colts, with the Jags, and with the Titans. You've got a lot of young quarterbacks now in this division, right? Yeah. You've got like yeah. three young QBs and a lot of upside, but there's not really a great team in here um give us some of your overall thoughts of uh, of the division the AFC South yeah it's wild it's wild right especially with DeAndre Hopkins uh Titans a, and that's what they needed they had no pass catcher they needed right. a pass catcher right so they they they've had some quarterback question marks Tannehill um, they drafted the drafted Will Levis right and I still think they got Malik Willis he he's somewhere around there uh, that's an interesting team. Jacksonville's probably, after what they did last year, is the team to beat. The Texans can't be any worse. You know, they just can't. I think they got an incredible head coach. I think they're going to be much improved. Are they going to be more than six and a half wins improved? I don't know. But See, I'm I, looking at the. It, I like them a lot. I just I don't. Do I'm completely with you. I'm worried about like a full season win total, but I I get the feeling I'm gonna play them week to week a whole lot. But they fill a lot of holes. This. Yeah, this defense well, is gonna play for that head coach. They got a new good head coach who's a good defensive head coach from San Francisco. They brought in Ward. The secondary is gonna be very good. Like the pick, yes. they've had high picks in the secondary the last couple of years, and now then they traded everything up. For the guy up front. So now you're if your secondary is good and you've got a pass rusher up front that they have to worry about and you've got a good defensive coach right off the bat, okay, you're going to be in games. You should be in a lot of games. When you have bad years, year in, year out, what ends up happening, you draft top-tier talent. And in two or three years, a lot of those guys are good. Yeah. If they can avoid a rookie quarterback disaster, Right, because he he's he's going to be your starter. And look, uh, the coach said it. We we didn't have really superstar quarterbacks 
in San Francisco. We made them the best version of a good offense. And I think they can be really, really good. They're they're going and I could be completely wrong, of course. Because they brought I in the offensive coordinator. They brought in to for their offensive coordinator one of the, Amico, the yeah, yeah. The young, young guys from San Francisco who was like referred to as an offensive whiz. Now what worries me the the thing about the the quarterback Ohio State quarterbacks just haven't really panned out a whole lot. They just really haven't in recent years. They've been okay. Um, that is a question mark here. But I think they're going to lose some really really close games. And when they learn to win a couple of those close games, that's going to be really really interesting. So I, I said, well, do I want to mess with Jacksonville? You know, a nine and seven team can win this division. Their their overall win totals nine. I agree with they you. Have a little of a slump. So I, I, I took a look I, at the Colts I, here. I took a look at the Colts. Uh, they're six and a half. I think this division's probably going to have a lot of parity. I think a lot of these teams are going to split games with each other, and I think the Colts can win seven games. I think they can. I think they're loaded too. I think everyone's talking about the the Jags. Everyone's talking about Tennessee. Of course, everyone's talking about Houston because they, they've revamped with D'Amico Ryans and had one of the best drafts of any team in recent years. I think the Colts are going to have a lot to play for, and I think I, I, I like over six and a half here. I'm not saying they're going to have a winning season, but seven and nine, eight and eight can get you in contention in this conference. They brought in a coach in the middle of the year last year who was on ESPN, who had never coached. Yeah, he had yeah. never coached at any yeah. level ever. It was just a torpedo in the middle of your year. Taylor, who had an incredible season two years back, he got hurt early, and he was sort of struggling. And then, for whatever reason, like some of their really good offensive linemen just weren't good last year. No, like it yeah, was bizarre. They it was, well, it was it, bizarre. and I think there wasn't a lot to play for. And I hate when you're, you're you right. See that, and you say it in baseball. After it's it's amazing how guys, especially in baseball, and the same with football, but you can really see it in baseball. Some guys sure have down years, but boy, what is the contract extension year? These guys it's seem amazing, to find huh? The last two years, Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker. You know, these guys find different gears, and I think with a new coaching staff, a good draft. I think the Colts can be sneaky good here, and I think they can win seven games. So overall, you're only giving up a small juice minus one twenty on some sports book. So the one thing it does worries me with their defense. The one thing I'm taking from you in this division, and that's what I think. I'm a little cold on Jacksonville. Like I just, I I just don't think it's as simple as like they're going to take this big next step forward and everything. I don't know. I'm not sure. And and sure, maybe they win the division because the division's not great. And like you said, maybe they win nine games and they're just, it's but like why by is default. Their win total nine and a half then. If yeah. Like, it but be the difference between half. them, like their win total is nine and a half and the lowest in the division is six and a half. That's not a whole lot if you no, think about it. It's not. That's, that's what I mean. Games. So all four of the teams in their division are nine and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, six and a half. I mean, the like, Texans were tanking on purpose. And almost beating these teams, Indiana or you know Jacksonville and Tennessee at the end of the year with a depleted, poor, pitiful coaching staff they, and roster. They brought, uh, they signed Tunsil to a three-year extension. They drafted um, a, a lineman, and they brought in Mason, who didn't have a great year last year, but he's a veteran offensive lineman. Like you, what I really like about the Texans is you go through 
their overall roster, they just don't have a whole lot of like really, really weak spots in their units sure. anymore that they used sure. to. It used to be like, ah, offensive line struggles. Uh-oh, the secondary is really bad. Like you could just, you could point to like one or two things they did well, but they brought in some receivers, Mechie, who had cancer or leukemia. Like everybody in the world is rooting for this guy, like and wanting him to to do well. They brought in Robert Woods, who you know he's a veteran that's that's going to help. What's interesting, they brought in Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz. Those were the top two, or those were the second and third leading receivers for the Cowboys. Yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah. So you know you got a you got a young quarterback. What do you, what is one thing you want for him? A big safety valve as a target. Well, now you got a nice tight end who's had, you know, 550 yards in three straight years, and he catches a lot of touchdowns. You got Robert Woods. He had 550 yards last year. He's not the old Robert Woods, but you got Woods and Brown, Noah Brown, who had 500-plus yards, and then you've also got Schultz. Now you got three guys that are veteran guys that can all just get open, like take a little pressure off you. I like, of all the teams in the division— I think I like the Texans the most. I just have to figure out the way I'm going to play them to take yeah. advantage of that. You know, like yeah, look because last year, what in the middle of the season or uh, three quarters of the way through the season, we, we thought this division was going to have a champion with a losing record, and they almost did. Jacksonville, I think, finished nine and eight, right? And there was a couple of those wins that they shouldn't have won. They had a couple of freak blowout wins. Then they had a couple of freak. Uh, wins that they barely won uh, by possession or a last-minute flub by the other team. I'm not convinced. Maybe they win 10 games, sure, and they're 10-7. and But the Colts and Texans are the two intriguing teams for me here. Koopaloop, we are on the same page with the AFC South at the Chad Cooper. Give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram if he's not – out partying with uh, Cardona <laughs> and Chelsea Green, celebrating the new women's world champion, the world uh, new women's world tag team champion, Koopa Loop, my man. Thank you so much, buddy. Got it, you buddy. have a, a great one. Stay cool over there. How's the you weather? It. Yeah, it's hot, warm. Hot it's warm. Be, huh? Yeah, yeah. I can't. Uh, October, November can't get here soon enough. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. Don't go anywhere though. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to Koopa Loop for helping us out with this week in wrestling. For any of you out there who are looking for a gift to get for someone, you're not exactly sure what to get, try a candle, and you can tell them a story along with it. Let them know that the candle that you just bought them, it's all natural, it's soy wax, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. I'm talking about sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your purchase. We move to Secret Invasion. It's the deep dive, the scene-by-scene recap and review. Anytime there's a new movie, a new show, any type of news or content in the world of the MCU with Marvel or with Star Wars, we're going to be talking about it here on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly. He joins us for Episode 5 of Secret Invasion. We didn't like this one as much. We really liked Episode 4. That's how how you know we're always honest with you. We don't have any agendas to push. We just talk about the things that we really enjoy. Tim Kelly for the scene-by-scene deep dive of Secret Invasion, Episode 5. So, spoiler alert, we get into everything from Secret Invasion... From Marvel, previous Marvel movies, shows, possible stuff in the future. Overall spoiler warning for the MCU. 
Time to talk some secret invasion here on That's What G Said Podcast. Tim Kelly is back, and we are going to talk all about episode five. There's only six episodes in this season, so we just yeah. have one more. And TK, the last two episodes have been pretty short episodes, only around mm-hmm. 30-ish minutes. So you feel like we have a lot of things to cover in this final yeah. episode. Episode five was a lot of scene setting. It was a lot of mm-hmm. setting up the 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 big finale, the big uh, culmination of events. But mm-hmm. I I did think there was like there were good things happening, and there were things happening to yeah. move the pieces of the puzzle. Sometimes these um, penultimate episodes can be sort of a nothing happening. There was yeah. things happening throughout this episode, mm-hmm. and some big pieces to talk about. Um, we mainly we see how Gravic got the DNA samples and why Gravic got the DNA samples of these former Avengers and of these you know, superpowered beings. And basically, it starts to all make sense now. We we get it from mm-hmm. Fury's standpoint more how he was personally involved in this. He feels responsible. He also feels like he has a tie to the scrolls because of his wife, because of Talos. So now he's sort of got a lot of balls in the air now. We understand why he doesn't want to just call up the Avengers. And we understand mm-hmm. why this has been a little bit more delicate situation for him than it may have been presented right off the bat in episode one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this this episode, it 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 added a little bit to the story. And like like you said, it it did there a few things happened here, but it for me felt a lot like a filler episode. It felt like this was setting up a lot and it felt a little bit let down after a kind of a high from last week. Um, but that said, it did leave us in a place where, you know, it's, we're in the home stretch right now. Like it, this, this episode was about turning into that home stretch, uh, and setting up the finale. Um, but it felt a little cheesy Please. at times, a little, a little surface level, uh, very shallow. Um, I almost felt like some of the lines that were, you know, the dialogue in there were, were like placeholder lines that the, they just never <laughs> finished. The one, that they never went back and revised. And the the one scene that I, I I trying to like make the best of it in my head, and I saw it on a couple mm-hmm. different recaps. Um, was the scene right off the bat when mm-hmm. the president has been shot, and the yep. president is being taken to a hospital. Any in, in, any medical show that I've ever watched yeah. or movie. I mean, there when when any person is in a near death experience or is is in critical condition, yeah. there are 10, 15, 20 doctors around yeah. medical personnel, nurses, uh, you know, people all over the place, other people walking through on the other side, another 10 people mm-hmm. doing the same thing with a different person. Yeah. Right? Like there's just groups of people all over in they walked in this this hospital. Little sparks. And there was three people in there. Yeah, um, literally. I, Which I don't I don't know if that's more realistic or less, but it felt me, less realistic. Me honestly. too, because maybe it's the president. They had this wing, you know, secured. I, that's what I was trying to play in my head, right? It was the president. Yeah, they yeah. had this all set up. But the problem was, like, Fury isn't in touch with the rest of the U.S. government. You know what I mean? Like, he's right. not talking to them. Like, I got the president. Set up this wing. Secure it. He just brings him into a hospital and he walks yeah. into a hospital and it doesn't it, this was and I'm glad you pointed it out. Like mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't lose my momentum that had been built 
I mean, it, all all the much from from mm-hmm. episode four. I'm not completely flipped back, but there were a few things in this episode that it just felt like, oh yeah, this is the difference between a Disney Plus show and a yeah. Marvel movie. Yeah, to me, this felt less than a Disney Plus show at times. Yeah, to be to be you frank. could feel. I mean, it felt weak, cheap. It felt like a CW spots. show at times. Yeah, the the weak spots felt felt weak. It's funny. I'm actually watching uh, I'm watching Smallville right now. I've never, I'd yeah. never seen it. I'd never seen Smallville, and so I'm like throwing it. It's like my background rewatch yeah. show that I'm that I'm going through. Um, well, I, I it, would say Smallville has a higher production value than even what I'm thinking of. And some oh, Smallville, no, no, no yeah, so, so it's Smallville is, is not bad, but it's not like it's but, corny. But this, but if this you compare it to like the the Berlanti verse and the like, the more recent like the Flash and stuff like that. That, that, some of that looks great, and then some of it toward the end where it gets really cheap, it looks so soap opery. Uh, and it and this episode of Secret Invasion, I felt like I was watching that level, but with A list actors. So it was yeah. it was kind of off putting, and, and for me, it did kind of take me back a little bit, like where to now I'm back kind of in episode four territory of where I'm like, yeah, I'm I want to see the next episode. I'm pumped for it, but. Ne- is this good? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't, when it, it, they it, set themselves yeah. up bad again with like the the Andor prestige stuff, right? Yeah. Because I think when they like heighten the expectations for something, you expect there to be a, more of a constant flow. And this mm-hmm. has been, I guess, my gripe with with the uh, things that we haven't liked as much. They the flow haven't mm. haven't been good of. A, it's either felt like TV shows that should have been a movie, right? Yeah. Or something like <laughs> sometimes the content is different. Like they just, it's not in the, maybe the right format that it should have been like, Oh, maybe this yeah. could have been like, you know, I think Disney plus can use their, their platform a little bit better. Like some of these maybe yeah. do a special, like some of them, maybe an, even an in-between, right? Maybe it's not a movie. Maybe it's like a release. Uh, like a special we had a few of those right the uh the halloween <laughs> one you know like little right, things right. like that I, I don't know there but but i agree with you like apparently they spent about 200 million dollars on this show <sighs> to make insane and, and there are times <laughs> where you're like oh yeah that absolutely it looks really good it sounds really good and then there are other times where it's just uneven and that's yeah, yeah. 200 million dollars is like an insane budget when I, when, it, when I think about that for the for what's on the screen here. I mean, I know they had to pay a lot for the actors. I think there's speculation as to like how much the COVID situation like inflates the budgets now. So I think that that there's definitely, you know, an aspect of that that's that's sure. affected this. Uh, but hundred million dollars doesn't get what you didn't get you what you used to. No. Right? The, yeah. The big set pieces are OK, but they, they don't feel bigger than TV. I've seen TV, a network TV level action that is 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 pretty much comparable to what we're seeing here. And I saw that 20 years ago. Uh, so I, I feel a little bit let down by the level, the level of the quality uh, of the show. And the the writing, I think, is where it really gets me just because there's some dumb stuff that happens, stuff that is just kind of illogical, unmotivated changes of the characters. Um, things just sort of happen where you think about it a little too much, or if you think about it at all, you kind of go, you go, wait, what? that doesn't make any sense. I mean, every, every scene almost has something like that. So it's, it, I felt very disappointed in this episode. Ultimately, there were moments that I enjoyed true, but it's just so uneven. It, 
what it's funny too is it feels like the last two episodes together could yeah. have been one. Yeah. I think we probably would have felt it's funny because as the timing, like we probably would have felt better about the two of them overall as one as an installment. It would I have did. been a little uneven, but you still would have felt a little like stronger about some of the boxes that were checked as uh, as mm-hmm. we get ready to hit just a few of the overall things on this episode. And then we'll get into the uh, the the scene by scene M- sure, sure. M- more than anything. Uh, graphic. He just wants power. Right mm-hmm. at the beginning of this series, we were led to think he's some, um, you know, really good leader of his people that you know wants to find yeah. a home for them. That you know he's frustrated that you know his people are wanderers, basically they are without a home. But that's not his motivation really at all. He really mm-hmm. just wants to become a super scroll. He wants power, and he yeah. knows about. The the Avengers blood and DNA From the battle mm-hmm. of the earth He was part of the cleanup crew That Fury would send in So yeah. this guy's Basically just become Someone who he's felt lied to He's felt wrong He has your sort of stereotypical Villain, villain origin story right mm-hmm. Yeah yeah It's uh I, I don't know it, <laughs> I don't know I <laughs> His motivation just changes a little, right? Like I wouldn't have minded if this is who Gravik was all along. Um, I it doesn't feel see- consistent with his like the initial character. Uh, uh, when we were introduced to him, kind of early on, maybe episode one or two, wasn't there a scene where you know one of the people in his council didn't want to go along with his plan, but then he was like, "Hey, it's all good, no worries. Uh, we're not going to touch her." Did, did I forget a scene where he actually went back and like betrayed her? Because I thought that like it, it was established that his character was kind of um, kind uh, to his own people, and now it no, seems he, like he's just completely he inverted was, that. Yeah, he was. He he was always. There were little moments where I mean, you could see him manipulating the people, mm-hmm. but he he was not like he didn't seem like he was a killer. You know, like well, he was just like he he was, you know, like. Playing some strings to get to get the support, but even the scene when what what's what I had a hard time following, and I think you kind of hit it. It felt like in this episode, either mm-hmm. there were a few scenes missing before it or like during it, and like two or three different places, I felt like, yeah. man, there might have been a scene here missing or something because it feels like there might have been one or two more scenes to see his to see the the rest of the scrolls. Mm-hmm. Watching Gravik kill someone, or hearing Gravik mm-hmm. on the phone, or hearing him betray them, right? I feel like we we didn't get that. These these they went from all shape shifting to Gravik in mm-hmm. complete support of him to just sort of quickly they're trying to kill him. I don't know if we got enough there in the middle for me either to see these people yeah. completely flip on their leader. It wasn't motive. I, I feel like I there wasn't enough motivation coming from you know the the rank and file to to to, to want to um, you know revolt against him, and there wasn't enough motivation for him to 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 show like why he was doing what he was doing or why he would betray his own people and, and things. It just seems so inconsistent his character. I mean, yes, we did see him sacrifice uh, scrolls earlier on and you know be cutthroat with you know. If somebody was maybe potentially snitching, 
off that guy. You know, that that's kind of to be expected. But then this just this harsh villain turn where it's just he's just kind of like a maniac, a power hungry maniac. It's not really consistent with what's been set up prior to that, which is his motivation is more of in he's 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 uh looking for a, a world for his people. He wants to, to give his people a home. He wants to, he has revenge, feelings of revenge and, and uh, betrayal from, from Nick Fury. But the idea that he's just going to like sacrifice all of new Skrullos, like what, it doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't even understand like what, what his plan is or like why he would do the things that he's doing. And what, cause I, somewhere I had read or listened to know the possibility that with what he's taking, it's changing him. But we didn't. We haven't seen that, right? Just give me one scene of the right. what we see in each of these, where the guy's shooting himself up, or the more that he's taking, the more aggressive he becomes. Just give me a little bit of that, so I understand that's where we're going with him. That maybe that would do right? so much. <laughs> the more, yeah. like the more that he's taking this stuff, and that he's trying to become the super scroll, and he's done it over and over and over again, and now his whole brain, his motivation, he's angry. He's you know, it, it's it's warped him. I again, like that's a two, that's a thirty second scene we could have, we could have had, right? Yeah. Just seeing that, like, hey, I think you're doing too much of this, man. You know, like somebody's <laughs> trying to warn him. One of those doctors letting him know, hey, you know, this is too much. It's going too far. It's not going to respond the way you want. Just one scene with the female doc, because I even felt like easy fix, right? Yeah. The do- the doctor Dalton, who we see in this episode mm-hmm. for a, a moment, Sonia goes in there, yeah. It was another one of those where, like, you kind of forgot who she was for a moment, right? Yeah, like, we could have had yep. a scene early in the episode between her and Gravik that already caused some tension between her, right? She's seeing mm-hmm. Gravik starting to go crazy, and she's, like, if we see it through the doctor's eyes and the doctor trying to warn him, then we start to understand that the guy's losing control. He's losing grip. Like, these are little yeah. small scenes, and I, I mention this all the time when we talk. I think about these things because I think about them when I watch wrestling because wrestling is like a very simple form of entertainment. It's a very like, just tell me what somebody's thinking. Just tell me why that's all. Like all you have to do is just give me a slight reason for some motivation. I'm not needing like a big in-depth backstory. I just need a little bit of a reason. We, a few of the, these, these holes were here for the same reason why we loved episode four. There were some really personal conversations that went on. Felt like we learned a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. This one felt a little, I think you were saying it too, kind of Im- impersonal here. Yeah. We check in with uh, a character that I think is going to be a fun character to check in with mm-hmm. from now on. Uh, Rick Mason, who we yeah. saw in black widow. He's sort of mm-hmm. like the, the get anything you need guy mm-hmm. you know, He's one of those who looks like he's a former agent um, And he can just get you New life, new identity, passport Wherever you are He can help you out he's had, He has a funny sense of humor And you know, for mm-hmm. playing the time game He's been around, involved Helping Avengers or Avenger adjacent people For quite a while now Because Black Widow was yeah. supposed to take place you know, it was 10, cool, yeah. 12 years ago From where we are right now So Right. Uh, cool to see him check in, and mm-hmm. he actually gives Fury a widow's veil, the, yeah. the face veil, so Fury can also disguise himself. Um, 
as many of the uh, the scrolls can. And it was it seemed sort of um like kind of out of nowhere. There was about five mm-hmm. minutes of like they just smacked you over the face with Black Widow stuff. It kind of just yeah. came out of nowhere. There was like a little portion of this episode uh-huh. where it's like, oh yeah, by the way, here's a face veil. Here's the guy from Black <laughs> Widow, and here's Sonya, and you're gonna talk about Black Widow. It just sort of like was like dropped yeah. in the middle. Like it almost felt like there was somebody who was a big part of Black Widow that was like writing this episode. That was like, right. let me get a per- let me get a few dig, let me get a few of those in for uh for our show here. Shout out Black Widow. But uh, I, I just yeah. noticed that, and uh, I like this guy's energy, Rick. He's just sort of mm-hmm. like a funny, like feel good sort of guy. Um, yeah. He, like he has a good a good vibe to him, so uh, mm-hmm. he's someone that's like I like these these sort of characters in the MCU that are not big characters, but we will see them pop up here and there, and we can we can go to. But even yeah. in my overall notes for this episode, like I always have a page where it's like the big things that happened before we get into the the deep dive. Um, <laughs> I've got like four or five things. Normally, I probably have double the, that amount. Uh, yeah, so, like the like, moments in in the episode, like things that really stuck out and, and hit you. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, I felt there was so few in this, and even the ones that were big, the execution of them felt a little either hollow or cheaply done. Um, yeah, this episode was not. But this might be my least favorite. The more I think about this episode, this might be my least favorite of the series so far, which is which sucks because. Last week I was saying, oh man, I'm all in. You know, this is we're finally moving. I'm I'm into this show, and I can't wait to see what happens next week. And this episode just just dove straight into the ocean for me. I, I got I, every time I think about another scene or something that stands out, I think about what was so dumb about it. I mean, the set, the set piece with uh, there's a big action scene that in uh, with um, uh, Fury's wife uh, and they get uh, ambushed and, you know, there's this Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, kind of shoot out in the, in, but the way it goes down to me, it's, it's, it's dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. Well, again, uh, it's like, it's, it, um, it's illogical. It, it starts to look, it's like, okay, you, things make sense. The shot happens. And then you see, mm-hmm. yeah, this is Fury's wife. She may, she wants to stay here because they probably got a bunk, a bunch of cool setups. This is Fury's yeah. house, right? They've got stuff all over. Like, sure. That makes sense. That then makes again, sense. Sure. Th- then again, as soon as it's like the fighting starts, it was it was almost like they just m- cut out a lot of the action, or like they filmed <laughs> stuff in there, and they're like, "Ah, we don't like the way this looks. Let's just take this out and make it real quick." Like again, it didn't seem like things in this particular episode were earned as much. No, as it in, sort of happened in prior. It just sort of happened again, and it's like, hey, this happens. Here's how you're supposed to feel. Yeah, it's like the writers dictating. Okay, this is where the story needs to go. So let's have the characters do X, Y, Z to make that happen, regardless of whether it's uh, it, it's consistent with their characters or the choices they would make, and you know any kind of uh, you know plausible reality. Uh, let's just have them do do X, Y, Z because that's that's where we need this thing to end. Uh, that's that's the general feeling I got from everything, and everything just felt so lazy. Just the thing I thought was stupid about that ambush scene was every, you know, every person that attacked them, I'm, I'm assuming they're trained like soldiers or mercenaries or, or whatever, but none of them can can hit. They're, 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 they're close quarters with like submachine guns 
they t- there's a sniper bullet that that kicks off the whole thing. Thank God, I guess that didn't hit them. I mean, that would have been the end of the scene. Like, why? Wh- like, what if the sniper just hit? What if the sniper hit the mark? Like that? There's no, there's no logic behind that. Like, it makes sense that okay, yes, this is a fortified home. Let's stay here because you know there's all this. There's this, it's a defensible position, but we're just gonna hang out in the middle of this open like like there's windows everywhere like floor to ceiling and we're just going to be sipping coffee here like like waiting for a sniper to get the beat on me like it makes no sense whatsoever let's dive in we'll give you some positives some negatives all throughout the show the scene by scene recap and review episode five of secret evasion the harvest we get the previously on and then we open up with president ritson in the hospital with just fury and Two others, two other nurses. Nobody knows about this. Like, it feel like I don't know, but it feels like if the president yeah. shot, there's all sorts of like radar, <laughs> GPS stuff in the car, stuff on here where you just feel like there would be people following it right away. The motorcade would have yeah. like converged on them and helped I, them. Like, Fury would have had a bunch of Secret Service guys around I mean, I him. Like there would have been like coming up out of the ground. Doctors. You know? Yeah. Yes. Like, it just. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the recent photo of Biden when he was out at the beach a lot long ago. It's been floating around, and it was it, it's it's pretty funny because it's like you know the people you can take it and spin it however you want. It's an old dude just chilling at the beach, right? I kind of like it. It's like cool. The guy found a little time to go sit out there. He's got his shirt off. He's sitting there next to his wife. <laughs> but what's funny is when you first look at it, it's like oh, just they're at the beach, and then you can like yeah. really examine it. And there's like a little hill in the sand, and underneath it, there are Secret Service agents like laying in the sand underneath the hill, just ready wow. to pop out of the ground if if need be. <laughs> it was pretty badass when you can like find That's it. You're like, cool. oh, cool! Look at those men just laying in the ground. And he just Biden just kicking back, you know, like just totally nonchalant. And then right next door, next to him, there's like two people. In camouflage, hiding under like a little hill in the in the sand. Um, they got being those guys. <laughs> what what what's their story? Like right now, I was gonna say to work that day. They're like I'm gonna I'm going to the beach today. <laughs> yeah, be in like a little and, sand dune. Like how are those conversations? Like oh dude, you gotta be. Oh man, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I didn't have the nine o'clock shift today. Well, you know yeah. what you got to do. Oh man, yeah, I got. That's it's got to be funny, but. All the, reason, Damn. <laughs> uh, all the reason why we're talking about that is because yeah. this, for whatever the reason be, it just didn't feel like how I assume this situation would be. There were either too yeah. many people, like we said, I don't know, may, yeah. then maybe even not enough, right? If it's just a serious <laughs> situation where nobody knows, it should be maybe yeah. one other person. It yeah. it didn't ring true. Well, how about how about? I mean, it's kind of badass. The way Fury posts up in the chair—that's cool. I love I love when he grabs the chair and he sits down right there. That's cool. Right, but it's it directly preceded by like a nurse basically telling him like, "No, you can't go any further." Like the dude just drove the president to like he drove the president there. Why would you cut him off? You run him this this far. He's the only one. I completely agree. Like he's the one that got him here to this point. (laughs) If he wanted to kill him, he would have just killed him at any point when it was just him and the president. Like he's here. I just that yeah. those are Fury's gonna things. take no he's gonna take no for an answer from Again, like, right? who's who's why? gonna stop him? There was nobody there to stop him. At like, this point, so why, why is he, he saying no? Why is yeah. he I don't think his character would have done that. His character no. wouldn't have said no. This was 
like one of the gripes I had had when he was in a scene with Talos and he was just sort of letting Talos come at him, you know, he it was yeah. like, I don't know if Fury would have done that. And right. And it's, it's just okay. Like, and putting that chair down badass, Right. But if you think about it for more than half a second, you go, wait, he's just going to post up in the middle of the hallway. So anybody who comes in can just shoot him or like, he's not going to take cover, or, like hide behind a corner or something. And, and you know, peer around the door. Like it made no sense to me. He was just like this open target in the middle well, of the it's hallway. it's the same exact thing that that Vara and Gaia were doing. Literally, mm. right? Yes. They were the same yeah, thing. Exactly. They were right out in the open, like knowing people were coming for them and not yeah. even, I don't know. It was like. Exactly. Like a, an ignorant sense of like, of like <laughs> right. bravado or something. I don't know that they were going yeah. for, right? Or like, this is my home. They want to come get me. They can do that. Okay, sure. But you're going to just stand out there so they don't even have to come in your home to get you? Like you said, exactly. somebody can just yeah. see you through the window and shoot you, and that's it. I literally logic out the out, logic is out the window for this episode. They literally threw it out the window and, and did not care about any sort of logic whatsoever. Uh, they ignore the logic that they set up in like scenes just one scene ago. Like they'll they'll do a scene and they'll directly contradict it in the in the following. So like this episode, the more I think about it, the more frustrated I get. I will say the the turn was. I, that was a that was like an AC Slater flip the chair moment. You know, a, cool. Slater used to do that pretty awesome at the max where he'd get the chair yeah. and he'd kind of flip it around. Fury didn't flip it around backwards, but he sort of turned around yeah. with the chair to set it up. I got some real Mario Lopez AC Slater vibes <laughs> as that was uh, yes. as that was happening. So uh, it was surface level cool. It really it was. was. But then, no, you it think was. about it for half a second. And it, it doesn't make sense. Apart. Yeah, it was like physically it looked cool. But then when you start to do the logistics to it, it's like he's not at the max, right? Why would he be doing that? Why would he be, why would he be doing that? So, <laughs> um, we then check in at the scroll compound at New Scrollos. We see Grevic arrive. Uh, Pagan, Beto, and the others, they are now against Grevic. Now, again, it just I would have liked to see a, a bit more of, remember, Grevic kind of set them up. Like Grevic set up Hagen mm-hmm. and had some of his men and some of the scrolls infiltrate the Navy. They were going to mm-hmm. coordinate a strike, but this big plan was all set up just to out Gaia. So he yeah. sacrificed some of his own people just to, you know, just to show that Gaia was the mole. And so, like, guys like Pagan and Beto, who had been his loyal soldiers, like his right hand yeah. men, like, dude, you were, you were just rolling the dice with us? Like, you totally don't care about our lives? And it wasn't even for yeah. for something. It was just to get rid of Gaia. So, again, I feel like, was there a scene? Could there have been a scene or two more between this yeah. to make us feel more about this? And that's how I did feel with a lot of this episode. Like, mm-hmm. damn, just like one or two more scenes in the middle. Yeah. A scene where Gaia and pagan interact and she's trying to tell him look this is what's going down he's he's losing control he's turned one of those scenes you know where she tries to get to him pagan's not there yet but you could see him starting to get there and mm-hmm. and then boom i mean grevic just goes full groot and <laughs> extends his arm and just strangles and kills pagan like pagan impales him right just absolutely reaches out 
Groot like mm-hmm. arm just destroys him. Like he puts his, I think he goes right through his chest. Yeah. Right. He's like yeah. choking him, and then he just like punches right through him, and mm-hmm. it's because Grevik really can't even control himself now. We mm-hmm. we hear Hagen say some very logical things. He said, "Look, yeah, you ordered Fury's death when you knew Vara wouldn't do it, and you had another chance to kill Fury today, and you didn't take it. Why? Well, because he's what we need." Pagan says, explain it to us. So what a sh- shitty leader. You know, again, we thought that he was this really honest guy Great who time. was telling everyone, but he isn't even telling his people what his true motivations are. Um, yeah. you, you told me Fury hid the Avengers DNA, but it wasn't in any of the locations you provided. Fury never trusted you. And it makes me start to wonder why we should. He can't even finish his statement mm-hmm. and he's getting choked by Grevik. So again, no yeah. control can you just show me one scene where like, Grevik is like a steroid, like roid rage scene, right? Mm-hmm. Give me give me one or two of those where we see him losing the control, where we see him not able to just calm himself down, going over the edge. Because right here is another time where it's like, I mean, he just loses it real quick and just kills the guy that was his right, right-hand man, like in the middle of mm-hmm. everyone. He, he seemed... In the first few episodes, like too smart of a guy to do something like this, even if he's evil, even if he's evil and stuff, right? Like you can be bad, but still not be dumb. Like, what good does it do to kill someone like this in front of everyone? Right. This was even different than when he executed, when him and his people executed the the guy who was like who was wounded. You know, that was that was Mm -hmm. a little different. That was like okay. We're on the run. We've got someone who's yeah. like slowing us down. I don't think that's yeah. right, but you at least could understand how a, a leader would feel like this person's slowing us down. We got to get out of here. It's either them or the whole group. But this was just, this was like <laughs> unhinged. Yeah, it yeah. really was. And he, like, yeah. you said it perfectly. He didn't seem like an unhinged character for like three and a half or so episodes, four episodes. Right. But that's the formula with these Disney Plus shows. You know, you go back to, uh, the Flag Smashers and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You've got these uh, these characters that are seemingly kind of sound in their motivations and, that, and see, logical. Yes, and then towards this point in the story, they just become unhinged and start, like, killing anybody and to make it just, like, completely black and white that these are the bad guys. I know, and, and that's frustrating. We're, we're smarter yeah. than that nowadays, right? Yeah. Like, nowadays, with all of the shows and movies and content that we watch – it's very shades of gray. Like things just mm-hmm. are not as black and white and linear as they used to be. You know, I just don't think you need to do that because yeah, like we, we were discussing it in Falcon and the winter soldier freaking Zemo has incredible motivations for being a villain. Yeah. His family was Absolutely. killed. Like who, who would had a wife and kids like who would have had happened to him that wouldn't have the same feelings. It's just, he acted on those feelings. Right, we would all feel the same way he felt. We just wouldn't get ourselves to that point, and that's what in this series you hit it too. I, I, it may have been New Rockstars, one of the places that had said Mm -hmm. they got these really good characters that are interesting, that are like Mm -hmm. layered, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, never mind, I'm just a bad guy. One dimensional, yeah. They they take these three dimensional characters that they you know 
we live with for a few episodes or almost a whole season, and then they completely strip away the other two dimensions and they make them this like one dimensional unhinged thing. And Do they I'll get like worried? Do they get scared, Tim, that we're gonna like root for them too much or something? I don't know. Is that what it is? Like, do they really want to? I, I I couldn't tell you because it's like I, I'm fine with characters being unhinged through and through i like the joker i like you know characters that are just unmotivated bad or or just bad you know just evil that's fine but when we've established a world where that you know this character has certain motivations and certain priorities and certain qualities uh to then just completely forget about all that and have them act in a way that's completely dissociated from those qualities uh that takes you out of the story that that Immediately, the writing becomes like front and center, and you go, "Oh, this isn't this isn't a story about characters. This is something that somebody wrote and is selling to me. You know, this is this is this is a product. You know, it's not. I'm, I'm not invested anymore. It it removes that like veil. You know, and uh, the fourth wall is kind of broken, and we're seeing like we're now deconstructing like why doesn't this make sense? We're we're talking about the writing instead of like talking about how the characters made us feel. Like that's that's how it breaks down. Mm. Grevik scares the rest of the group. They all see what he has done to Pagan. And he says that Pagan thought he had a voice, but none of you do. You're faceless and you're nameless. The only reason Fury was on that motorway because his traitor wife defied my direct order. Do you understand? Send some of our people to Vara's house and kill her. The people of the rest of the Skrulls, they're terrified. They follow through. And Grevik calls Rhodey. Rhodey's on the way to the hospital. But Gravik changes the plans. Keep Ritson alive. Make sure he knows it wasn't just the Russians who did this. It was the Russians with the help of the scrolls. Now, again here, like, mm-hmm. I understand, yep. like, feeling betrayed. Mm-hmm. He's right now within the, like, the one scene that we saw with some of the people trying to kill him. Yeah. That he's willing to throw his entire... Scroll like culture, his life, all of the people to the yeah. to the curb. He's willing to just, yep, like show them new scrollos, and who cares how many of our people die in an attack or get sacrificed? Like it's not about them anymore. Yeah, and I, I besides the fact that he was just betrayed by certain factions, you know, certain people within his faction, uh, I can't point to one reason why he would do that. It just makes no sense. It's completely unmotivated. And then take it a step further, Rhodey, or, or the, the scroll who I forget the name of the scroll. It's uh, actually Rhodey in this situation. Rava. Uh, yeah, Rava is clearly, you know, not cool with this new uh, plan, but goes along with it. Why? Why would, the, why would Rava go along with it? It makes no, it makes no sense at this and point. From a really simple, simple standpoint, this is another thing that was pointed out. Why do we have Rava and Vara? You know, like they're just like so simple, like similar names. Yeah. You couldn't have just given us a slightly different name unless they're the names, like yeah, related or something. It's just like a, a very basic thing that someone should have been like, oh, you know what? Let's just change that name. Yeah. You know, like yeah. at the very beginning, there should have been like a, a check and a balance on that. As you know, we see Rhodey walk into the hospital, he gets off the phone with Gravik. And Rhodey is just, he walks into the hospital just swinging his D around here. You know, he's yeah, just flagging. like, yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, where's the president? Damn, people giving out classified information. 
I, I will yeah. say in this scene, I thought Sheetle did a really good job of just playing the total opposite of how Rhodey would have walked in here. Like, Rhodey's just yeah. a respectful person. Like, he treats everybody like an actual human. I mean, he'll be snarky with Stark and with his friends, but overall, he he's very respectful. Even in the conversations he's had with, with uh, Fury, mm-hmm. one of the really big conversations this season when they talked about race and, hey, look, I got to play by the rules. I can't go and start doing things wrong because then I'm just going to be as bad as everybody else who came before me. You know, so he's mm-hmm. he's a real respectful, respectable dude. I thought this was great as he just, yeah, yeah sure. What the hell are you doing? Lock this whole place down and fury the veil a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, and thank God there's like such quality actors in this series because they really elevate the material and the writing it's just very bad. Because well, when you <laughs> read you've it, got Don Cheadle, you've got yeah. Sam Jackson here. They give life to it. It's one of those things where if you just read the words, it's way different than when you hear it presented. Yeah. As Brody and Fury have a little face-off, Fury holds him at gunpoint, and uh, he said, "You must be out of your scrawl ass mind. Let you, you think I'm going to let you get anywhere near the president?" What I was con- confused about here is. Fury and Rhodes are face to face. Fury's kind of got him by the throat and he's holding a gun mm-hmm. at him and he's threatening him. And then Rhodes' secret security agent is right behind them. But yeah. Fury's not being quiet or anything. Like, does he know that scroll that Rhodes is a scroll? Like, he's got to know. I, is he, he also does. a scroll? That was what was weird to me. He just sort of stood in the background while Fury's about to kill Rhodes. Oh, and yes. he doesn't do okay. or say anything. There's so like, much dumb stuff about that. For one thing, you've got he Rhodey. Done one Ro- of the Rhodey two extremes. In. Like he should There's have either so, killed Fury or yes. he should have killed Rhodey or wanted to do one of those two. Like why would he just be standing there doing absolutely nothing? Why was he the guy that was standing there? He's got a broken arm or whatever. Like there were two guys who walked in with him and uh, he sends the guy without the broken arm to the president, I think. And the broken arm guy, it doesn't make any sense. Why is the broken arm guy like the one guy next to him? And then is he hearing the conversation going on between Fury and and Rhodey? I'm not sure. How could he not be? I know, but it was like, like, he's right there. Like it's, it. And then why doesn't, why doesn't, uh, Fury just shoot him, <laughs> shoot him in the leg or, or something to like show that, show that he's the scroll. I got him. Like I, Rhodey has one line where he says, you, you have to kill me. Well, that's not true. We know that's not true. He would, he would just have to shoot him in the leg or something like that. And he would like half turn like we saw Talos do. Um, and then uh, Rhodey says, uh, you would have to kill me. And then you, you don't want to die, I guess, because the Secret Service agent would, would kill him. But there's two guys there, and it's Nick Fury. You don't think Nick Fury could take out these two guys? I feel like Nick Fury can take out the two guys, especially one guy with a broken arm. So I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Nick Fury's the most badass spy in, in the world, apparently, but he can't take out one Secret Service agent? I, I, I'm, it, there's no logic to the scene. I know. It was it was very strange. And then like, he, he just pistol whips him and walks off. And then even then, like, he pistol whips him and he walks off. Why do the other secret security agents just let Fury leave? Like they all they just and just point their guns at him like on this big show. Like why? Why then? Why and then at that point so it? why do you even? Because because like that's what 
if you're gonna just let okay, hey, it's Fury, like we know Fury, we're gonna let him go. Why do you even get to the point where you pull your guns out and you act like you're gonna kill him and then he just walks away? All of it, it, it was, was like, inconsistent. Again, it, it was, was like, like just yeah, they had visions yeah. of like these cliche tropes that they were just trying to squeeze in to the whole series, and they ended on like the the worst one. Well, we'll get to that later, but like the whole episode felt like the, them just cramming in like these these tropes, these like these visual or or uh, thematic like um, apex points, like these like little climax, but like what we talk about, these big moments that kind of stay with us. I feel like they had those kind of mapped out, and they just placed them, and then they didn't build anything out with them they didn't like they didn't create any kind of like reality to the stakes in order to have those moments be those moments so like as a writer i feel like oh it's got to end with like all the the uh secret service agents holding their guns out and it's kind of like a standoff thing but like nothing motivated that in the moment it's just kind of like oh we wanted to do it that's that's the feeling i get as a viewer at least the scene ends with the secret invasion title screen And in London, Fury hears a reporter on TV. There's actually video of Fury shooting Maria Hall on TV. And Fury goes to meet with Sonya. Or uh, we're actually seeing Fury. Then we check in with Sonya. And Sonya goes to meet with a man in the office, a man that's named Director Weatherby. Mm -hmm. She, even in a a week episode... Damn, mm-hmm. does she stand out? And like, damn, is she fantastic? Her character yeah. is so great. She just busts in first, like the secretary tries, like at any office, the secretary would try to stop you from going right into the office. Oh, hey, wait, they're busy, they're busy. She goes, oh, no problem, don't mind me. And she just walks in. And it's funny because she, when she walks in, she hears him telling the secretary to tell her I'm busy. Um, so <laughs> she says, good afternoon, Sonia. Uh, she asked him, did you see the attack on Ritson? No. Uh, you really think scrolls could be amongst us? I think they're bloody everywhere. And she, and she just shoots him. Yeah. And like he that. goes, Sonia, what are you doing? Uh, I'm asking the, <laughs> the location of Dr. Rosa Dalton. And people come in, like, have you lost your mind? And she shoots him again. And they all <laughs> run over and they see that he's a scroll. Yeah. And this is a very... Uh, what was this a uh, black was this a uh, black widow did this you know like you start shooting people <laughs> to see who the scrolls are i guess it makes sense right like they're gonna they're gonna give up their cover here yeah and it immediately begs the question why didn't fury just do this in the right? previous scene or why, i know why aren't they doing some kind of scroll test like they know this is a, a thing why aren't they just going around like putting out there that they're scrolls and then you know, making everybody do a blood test or something like that. Like everybody yeah. in the government has to do a blood test. That seems like a completely reasonable thing uh, that they could easily do. But if there wouldn't be a story thing, or they couldn't figure out a good way to get the story going, I don't know. Um, this scene was also good though. I, I, I liked it because obviously Olivia Coleman, but they gave her character uh, some interesting little um, little tidbits during this episode like she quotes eddie izzard in here she yes says, or death, which is a great eddie izzard uh so funny uh, uh, funny thing joke. yeah yeah it's like well, we're, we're gonna run out of cake soon I, I love that that joke uh so it's great that they, they did that i guess she's got like her finger on the pulse of like uk pop culture a lot because later on in the episode they get in her car and she's she's playing a stormzy song like right yeah and fury goes we're gonna do this right now that was yeah. that was pretty funny. I thought so too. And she, yeah, she stands out the more and more 
She's a fantastic actress And the way she plays the The creepy With just the proper and the like Oh okay I'm gonna cut your head off now You know just so just like nonchalant It's uh It's great it really is She's now moving up in the SIS As More and more scrolls are being found out So she's she's gaining more and more power We go back to the scroll Commune And Beto approaches Grevik he asks What happened man I'm confused Grevik says you you're scared And Beto says yeah I mean the people around Grevik now they've got to be scared They just have seen this guy who was like Their leader that they believed in They've all sort of turned from Talos Because there was this new leader they felt Was for them Was worried about their well-being Finding a home from that for them And now he's they're just seeing him kill Like Gaia and Pat and uh, Pagan, and, and it's scary yeah. to a kid like Beto. I mean, we saw Beto come to New Scrollos just looking for a home, looking for Haven, yeah. looking for a place where he could be in his own skin and not always have to have the disguise on. Yeah, he was like this innocent character, you know. Like when we're learning about New Scrollos through him, and so he's just uh, he's he's just innocent. He's on, you know, we're kind of on his side throughout. Um, throughout his journey and, and we kind of identify with and empathize with him, you know, even though he's on the, the quote unquote bad guy side. Uh, now it's completely reasonable for everyone in New Scrollos to just be like, okay, the, Gravik is deranged and unhinged. He's not going to lead us to the promised land. This isn't our promised land. Like, like he's promised us. Uh, and you know, we've got to find another alternative here. It's, it seems so obvious that, you know, it doesn't make any sense that Gravik wouldn't just see that coming, you know? So it, that, that's just, again, where the logic just doesn't hold. We get a very Julius Caesar scene right here where, uh, Gravik's on the phone and he's speaking with Rody. Rody lets him know, okay, I'll, um, president's out of surgery. When he's awake, I'll send confirmation of the strike. And as Grevik's speaking, Beto and the other scrolls attack Grevik from behind. They put a plastic bag over his head, try to take him down. He fights out of it, doesn't use his powers at this point, but he's in scroll form. He takes out like three men. Then he walks Mm -hmm. over to Beto and he walks out in front of the rest of the scrolls, the people who were just his followers, threatens them, and then he cuts Beto's throat right in front of the group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the action in this see, scene was okay. I'll, I'll give it that. It wasn't good though. You know, it wasn't like something where I was like, "Oh, uh, I'm I'm riveted by this." There were some brutal moments in it. I think that, that was more you know, of what it was. You were just sort of like, "Oh wow, they're putting the plastic bag on his head." You know, like I like the in I like the idea of how like sick and sort of deranged, and they had a plan. But it mm-hmm. again, it sort of was like it's kind of B minus C level stuff that didn't. Yeah. Look, look, and have the feel like a high as as high quality as they would want. Think of the action sequences in Dare, the Netflix Daredevil. They didn't touch yeah. that. They didn't no. touch it. And this is years later with a two hundred million dollar budget. Get give me a break, man. Like th- th- this should be so much better than what it was. Um, it's it's on the level of like network TV action, which is fine if you're doing a network TV show. But this is a Disney Plus show that where the promise of it is we're taking the big screen Marvel experience and bringing it to your home. Uh, they have not been delivering on that as of late for a long, long time. And this is just 
the, another example of you know that that shortcoming there. Um, and then again, logic. If you want to break down like the 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 logic in a scene, it really makes no sense. These guys have guns. Why are they using a bag? They know he's a super scroll. Uh, I think they start off like hitting him in the back with a pipe or some some dumb shit like that. Like it makes no sense. Like they were they were they would have known that that was a suicide mission going into it like that. Like they would have known, okay, if I hit this guy in the back, he's just going to kill me with his super scroll power. So like, that is so obvious. Uh, so why not just go up to the back of his head and shoot him? Why not? Like, you know, any other thing where you, if you're sneaking up on him, like there's a million ways that you can take this guy out. I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me the way that they and went even, even like if, because if they were going to say that his, Healing right or if they They could heal mm-hmm. with the shoot but ju- Again give me a one scene Where you see Him say something like I can't be killed or you know Look like what him standing next To someone they see it shot him look Over and say you know One of the perks of a super scroll Just a little scene Like that to where we go oh okay because Now like you said as People who are deep diving this show we mm-hmm. shouldn't be having to ask this many questions about basic stuff, and that's right. what's what's frustrating is that there are things that they like. It almost seems like they leave out because they're trying to be mm-hmm. cute, or they're mm-hmm. trying to be like. I, I, that's almost like their excuse. Well, we didn't want to give yeah. you all the information. We wanted to leave it out. It was secret invasion. It was the, It's like no, we still wanted <laughs> a show that was going to develop characters and storylines a little bit better. It didn't have to be all. Complete chaos, and and this, yeah, they have to establish the, the rules of the world and live by those rules. And I feel like they're really not doing that very well. So we get to Fury and Sonia, and he goes into a secret abandoned hideout. Actually, first he meets with Gaia. He goes into the secret abandoned hideout where the squirrels used to live. We saw in the flashback with Talos in the late '90s when they came over, and Fury and Gaia talk. He basically tells her about the place. Um, during World War II, Nazis practically destroyed the area. Afterward, Brixton became a haven for immigrants from the West Indies. I like that, actually. I thought that was yeah. kind of cool. They chose that place because for Samuel L. Jackson, being a black guy, mm-hmm. he felt comfortable seeing the mixing, the melting pot mm-hmm. around him. And, and I think for someone like Talos, also being an immigrant, this was a place that was like a safe haven for immigrants from all over. Right. And... I, I little just again little tidbits, but I don't know. When, I, I like that. It's just a. I like it that makes too. the story feel more complete because then you can look it up mm-hmm. and you can see it's rooted in real history. This was actually a thing, right? And it's, it's yeah. little things like that that they can do very very well. It's a cohesion and a consistency to the the uh, immigration allegory too. And there's but, more and, stuff in this episode uh, with Gaia and Vera uh, that I think adds to that. Which and I look at how pretty, simple it was. Well like we're saying, for all of the gripes that we have about other certain things, all it took uh-huh. was like two lines yeah. in the in the dialogue, and like a good yeah. actor de- delivering them. Like Brixton became a haven for immigrants in the West Indies. The path of struggle is steep, Fury says. I feel a lot of strength when I'm over here. Talos did too. Talos died. He starts to explain, and Gaia stops him. He died on a foreign planet on a foreign road. Nothing will come of it. I ran away from my father because I knew he would lose. Fury interrupts. Talos chose the path of struggle. He did not lose. You cannot let grief paralyze you, Gaia. This is your time now. 
Talos told me how you survived your execution. He knows that she's a super scroll. Mm-hmm. What Grev, uh, what DNA did Grevic steal? She tells him a few samples, Cole Obsidian, Flora Colossus, but he took those because he couldn't find what he was looking for, something he called the harvest. Mm-hmm. So we hear the harvest mentioned. It was mentioned earlier in the, se- in the series once or twice in episode two, but you could tell that Fury knows what she means when she says the harvest. Yeah. But Guy is still grieving here. And even amidst everything going on, she wants to have a proper burial for her father. This is something that like is is really important to any culture, almost every culture, like of the funeral process, the burial process, the ceremony of sort of saying goodbye. I could understand that, and I think she, her character, feels very conflicted too because of how she ended things with her dad. Like the last time she saw her oh, yeah. dad, she was getting into it with him, and the last. Yeah couple months of interacting with her dad you know her mom's died she left she's turned on him she was against him then she's sort of come back to him it's been a very long winding emotional journey so you you can understand why she feels the need to get a little bit of closure and maybe have have like her moment to say goodbye yeah she's got a really actually interesting cocktail of emotions uh, that they they've created for her character. Um, so this is one of the things that I, I did like about the episode and, and the writing of it. Um, you know, she's got that mix of she's still she almost feels like she wasn't in the first few episodes, right? Like she feels like yeah. a completely different character that was kind of dropped in here where I was like, oh, yeah, she's that's so true. That's so the first few episodes. I didn't know her character. I, not I really at all. didn't like, understand what she was doing there or what what she was all about. I didn't know if she we, was a bad guy or a good guy. It seemed a little it underdeveloped. And I, I will again, like I will say it, it's poor in, in, mm-hmm. in, in this sense. It's a it reminded reminds me of what was going on in the book of Boba Fett, um, the series. It's just mm-hmm. it's a poor way of presenting a character. Like that, right? Where you sort of right. give me little tidbits more and more throughout the first few episodes, so we can really feel mm-hmm. this with her. Like one, like spread these big moments out a little more, because by the time we get to this point, we don't care about this character as much as we should. And yeah, yeah. it was like in Book of Boba Fett when they kept they would have these these episodes where it's like we just went for forty minutes and we went on a complete tangent. Like we should have had little five minute scenes more like spliced and more cuts yeah. here and there instead of like, oh, now for this next episode, we're going to go with Boba Fett and, you know, we're going to see him becoming like uh, a tribe with it, it just mm-hmm. it, it, the tone was off. It was like really inconsistent. And I kind of in for, for a completely different way, I can I can feel it with this character because I was like, oh, yeah, Amelia Clark, you're here. Yeah. Oh, you're like, here you are. You know, um, yeah, she seems like important in the first few episodes, but it was like we didn't know anything about her. Why? And we didn't then, know why and she then was all important. Of a she dies uh, or, or, you know, we think she dies at the end of the one episode. Uh, and it feels like, wait, what, what, did she even do anything like for those first few episodes? She's just kind of there there when even the first time when she meets Talos, it, it, it all feels kind of um, uh, anticlimactic. It feels like there was nothing building up to that. We didn't know enough about her that, like, when she met her father, like that that was meaningful to us. You know, there's revelations, and that she learns that her her dad, her mom died, and things like that, and we were kind of revealed certain things about the relationship in those early scenes. But 
they fall flat because we just don't really know or care about them enough at that point. So Gaia in Fury finish up their conversation, but she she wants to bury her father. He says take him to uh, take him to Priscilla. She'll know what to do. Even little things like how do they get the body back? Like wasn't yeah. he like didn't Fury oh. leave to take the president, and then mm-hmm. the scroll body of Telos is just lying there. Yeah, and then that seems like a major hole in the story Fury's because gone, there would be all these. And Fury isn't guys. like on good yeah. terms with Rhodes right now. It's not like Fury's calling up Rhodey and like, hey, Rhodey, send the body over here. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. And this, again, connect- where's all the other characters, too? Again, it's just like him and Gaia in this, in this scene. So it's like, where is it? Where is everybody? There was this, there was, it's the aftermath of this huge like attack on the president. There'd be debriefings, and now they have a scroll body in possession. There wouldn't there be scientists around there? Like, like there would be, there would be stuff going on <laughs> instead of just this like little it's too clean. scene with nobody else. Yeah. It's way too clean. Yeah, exactly. Sonia is at Dr. Dalton's home. We see a man and his wife arrive, and this was, this might have been my favorite Sonia. Scene where she uh, The two people arrive and she's At their home and she says hello scrolls And the guy <laughs> says who are you And uh, She asks I think a more apt question Would be who would you like me to be um, I'm staggeringly Versatile to give you a couple of examples I'm very good at being your bestie I'm also devilishly good At not being your bestie <laughs> Like just amazing Shit here yeah. um, And the guy tells her to get out she says, no, this is quite the clerical error. Nigel, we're going to have to have someone in admin either fired or, you know, shot because this is becoming a bit of a health hazard. And the guy says, my name's Victor. N- no. She goes, oh, no. Nigel's the one with the silencer pressed against the base of your skull. It was just awesome. Like, goosebumps the way she sets him up here. And then she just, again, she just threatens this man. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's got you at gunpoint. And then she just pivots Like she just turns to the To the woman Oh by the way doctor um, Now from the samples I was able to observe Under the microscope you're breaking quite transgressive Ground here would you like to tell me And the doctor says no uh, Our work is far too And and she stops and says uh, um, uh, Let's focus on The doctor kind of says My work is very involved it spans Different areas of focus and Sonia says, uh, let's focus on this. And she hands her a big, what looks like a blueprint, kind of plans for something. This, again, how quickly and how her delivery is is awesome. Like, I wish, I think there should be an exercise like this. And I, because I've done it in mm-hmm. acting classes where you just like this, where you have to say lines with. with different body language and different emotions, right. just like she does, right? You have to talk about like, Wanting to punch someone I want to punch you You know in like a happy funny I love you way And it's a good yeah. exercise To like have you know have you Work on different emotions She is this is so great man How like she'll oh yeah, yeah by the way That guy's got the gun pointed right at your head Well yeah. oh so Dr. Dalton um, Let's look at your research It's just I, lo- I love yeah. it Yeah, it's, it's fun it's like her Her delivery kind of belies The, the context of the situation She's doing all this really dark Stuff, uh, this really on what's the word? It, not immoral, but like she has no um conscious kind of like yep. she has no yes. conscience. Uh, yep. so she's uh, 
she's on i don't know she, she, it seems like maybe she's kind of a sociopath or something oh, yeah. or maybe even a little bit of a psychopath like i'm sure one, one of the good ones you know yeah um, good one. she's our psychopath you know <laughs> yeah she's our psychopath uh and i do like it i think it's a fun character um there's something a little bit tropey about it i mean i feel there's something familiar about that i know just i can't put my finger on it but, but the, it's it's not it's uh, I, by no means do I feel like it's taken away anything. I do feel like it's a positive, but it's she's not. She's a good like, enough actor that she yeah. pulls it off well too, right? I think it's another yeah. one of those things where in the wrong hands we would roll our eyes at it and yeah. go. It's, oh. a, it's a little tropey. It's a little bit tropey. Like I feel like I've seen that character before uh, in certain ways. You know, the the, the chipper psychopath. Um, even if you look at like um, American Psycho. And J- uh, and um, Christian Bale. Name? Christian Bale's character. I forget the name. Some Bateman. Patrick Bateman. Uh, he's got this like chipper, upbeat kind of like that the like, classic scene where he kills Jerry mm-hmm. Leto. He's just talking about um, I forget was it Billy Joel. I'm forgetting who, who he's who he's talking about. I think he's talking about Uptown Girl or some some pop song from the '80s. Uh, and it's it's a a great scene because it, it's so upbeat and he's he's just talking about this very banal uh, kind of um safe subject matter in an almost encyclopedic way and then all in the meantime he's putting plastic on the floor and getting ready to kill a guy with an axe uh so th- there's that contradiction there that's that's really fun to play with um and so there's a little bit of that going on in here although a, a pg maybe pg-13 version of it i'm gonna watch that later you remind it's a, yeah. such a good movie such a good movie i haven't checked that one out in a while um sonia and so they go outside in the next scene we see Sonia and some of her men emptying out boxes from like the doctor's research papers. Looks like a scene from uh, Mar-a-Lago not too long ago where we get uh, boxes being removed from the home here. Right. And and uh, Sonia is standing with the doc with Dr. Dalton and the husband. And the husband tries to take his his scroll wife, the doctor, by gunpoint. And he tells Sonia. I'll kill her right now. We'll never betray Gravik. Let us go. Mm-hmm. And again, like, so just like calm. Sonia says, oh, I, d- I don't doubt you for a moment. The males yeah. in my species are very similar. If they're not busy yeah. gaslighting you, they're threatening you with murder. That's what all the podcasts are about. Okay. Hey, shout out, Sonia. Unless you listen to That's What G Said, because we actually talk Marvel and MCU. It's not all about right. <laughs> podcast yeah. murder. But that was so great. So nonchalant. She just shoots the man right in the head, kills him. Yeah. And again, like you keep asking, you're wondering, like, why aren't more? If you know someone's a scroll, just blast them. Right, <laughs> like she's exactly. doing. What she's doing it, here? It seems almost too easy at that point. Like, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, that's all she had to do. She can just point blank shoot him. Those oh. situations happen on TV like all the time. But it's, it almost seems like it's just the writer's choice between whether the, the person who's trying to save the day can just shoot them or not. Like, sometimes it feels like that's not an option on the table. Like, oh, no, if I shoot them, I'll risk killing the, you know, the hostage. Or sure. uh, or I might shoot them, and then that will cause them to shoot the hostage. Or even, like, uh, Fury in front of uh, Talos. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his friend. Right. He doesn't want to just randomly kill a scroll. Like, okay. Right. But if he's not around anymore and there are... Like, why isn't he killing Rhodey? Like, that was the one, right? Like, why at exactly. that moment is Fury just not like, no, this is a scroll. I'm just going to kill him. Who cares? Like, 
Exactly. Thank you for bringing that up. They all tied. All those moments are kind of the same. That that standoff with with Rhodey and Fury earlier on in the hospital. This moment here. Um, and then uh, even the previous episode when Talos gets killed, I think you were saying like that Fury could have shot him there. They were almost as close as they are now. Why wouldn't he just light up Talos? You know, obviously he shot him the one time. I'm assuming there's more bullets in that gun where he could have like, aimed for the brain or, you know, whatever the kill shot would have to be. Um, why Why in this situation can she do that? But in other situations, you know, somebody like Nick Fury can't do that. Uh, that's to me a little bit inconsistent and just kind of like the writers are just doing, again, just doing what they, what they want to do. Um, that scene also about the gaslighting, I don't know, there's a little, uh, something about that kind of made me cringe a little bit, I guess to say it wasn't that bad, but I feel like they try to inject that kind of politics, uh, into the MCU a little too much nowadays. There's, there's a, there's a whole, I won't go this far as to say MCU. That's that's like a whole. There's a whole faction of like critics out there that are just lambasting the the feminist uh, streak of the MCU these days. I, I think there's a channel on YouTube called Nerdrotic that's that's just harps on that nonstop about the MCU and how Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm and and and, and, uh, and Disney Plus are just completely with identity politics, just just ruining their IPs. Um, so this felt like a little bit of a, of an example of that, but I don't want to give too much credence. Yeah, I mean, I have know. no problem with like <laughs> the female characters or like the yeah. stories or like taking even like having Kamala Khan or having it be about different cultures. But when you just have to throw in the like the snide comments a lot, you know, right. like they're just like little jabs. Expense. Like oh, it was man. sort of Doing well, we best. didn't. That's what I like. And again, I think what frustrate, what not frustrated me, or what just like, if we would have seen it, right? We didn't see like she didn't have like a scroll husband that turned on her. Right, right. Like she didn't have like a bad guy husband that we saw in a scene who was an ass to her. Like we didn't see her that for her to mention it. I think it would have felt a little more honest. It's like, oh yeah, she was married to the Weatherby guy, and she found out he's a scroll. I don't know something like yeah. she'd at least have a little more motivation here to 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 make that comment, but. I agree with you. It's sort of like the, it, it, it felt like a couple of the times in She-Hulk where they just sort of threw things, yes. in, you know, like they just threw in like a few lines of dialogue to be like, screw you guys, you know, screw you guys. I'm going home. You know, it's like a Cartman I'm, thing. I'm um, totally fine with, uh, and I actually happy with, you know, when we see empowered women or women doing amazing unique cultures or, or and stories. Strong, I like it. Strong women are fine, but why does it, why does the narrative kind of have to be, uh, w- women are strong and men suck. Like just to kind of break it down, um, to boil it down, that's kind of the what they're what they're saying there. Like well, men, no, men this suck. Was, exactly. It was exactly what right. like that, they're either the, going to gaslight you or murder you. Like that's what that yeah. was. That was her her characterization of males, right. male humans, and, and that's the writer kind of putting that, injecting that into the. Uh, into the story where that's not even like as much of a like that's not even like a oh my husband won't take out the trap i don't you know what i mean like that's not even like a trope like that's not even a thing that's just like oh men are evil i don't know like i don't do are all men murderers and gaslighters i didn't even know that was a thing like is that a thing people say or is this just like like you're saying was this just like a writer who was like yeah i want to make sure i get this little jab in there or imagine just flipping it let's just the thought experiment flip it 
that Olivia Coleman character is a male like hitman character who's kind of sick in the head, twisted. He he, but he's on. He's the he's one of the good guys. He's kind of this anti-hero, and he says, um, "Most women just want to you know steal your money and uh, you know and uh, and manipulate you." Or, or that he's know, not a hero anymore. Kind of he's negative. the bad guy. You're you know not. I mean? Yeah, you're. But in this case, you're looking at that going, yeah, yeah girl power. Like, we're still on her. That's the subtext there. So there, it's not, it's just not fair. Like, there's something weird about the way that they're, they're trying to characterize men versus women. And I get that maybe it's a reaction to, you know, the patriarchy, the quote-unquote patriarchy, and that, you know, levels of power. And so that this is kind of speaking against that perception of power. But to me, it, they're just unfairly characterizing, like, half of people in that way and i feel like the writer and the audience is supposed to kind of side with it and go yeah she's right like oh that's true men suck um i don't i don't, I don't like that i don't know something about that doesn't if you doesn't if feel it, good <laughs> and it would be different if we saw like if we saw it in this series or in front so we know why she said it and it why she it would, feels that way. yeah it would yeah. it would feel less general right like she right. said Right. It would feel more personal to her that she's had an experience overall just saying like like we said, one thing that I don't like is just everybody isn't just bad or good. And every like there's so many shades to it, right? And there are so few people, like there are some, but there are so few people who are just bad or just yeah. good. You know, like and that's what it when you make it too clean like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, all men are evil and gaslighters, and they care about murder. Like, well, all all of them? Okay, I guess. I guess. Like, yeah, aren't aren't like half the heroes in the MCU men? Like, and a lot of our the fans are men. You know, like like the best doesn't... person in the entire MCU is Steve Rogers. <laughs> right, right. Like the most yeah. genuine and like like the model citizen of the MCU. Um, okay. And so, to be fair, okay, it's a character saying something. It's just a character saying, you know, the writer saying this is true. This is the reality. But it does feel that way. It does. Um, and to your point, the fact that they didn't kind of ground it in any sort of uh, backstory with her uh, to, to, to give you a sense of why she's doing that, it makes it feel all the, all the more like it's just the writer like kind weak, of injecting their own yeah, their own slap feelings. at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before before we go into the next uh, subject, I just want to backtrack a little bit and cur- make a correction. It was Huey Lewis in the news. It was not Billy Joel. I should be uh, I should be punished for making that uh, mistake. The, earlier. I don't, I don't know what the, the yeah. corrections should, and retractions. Right. There we go. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, right. So Gaia goes to Fury's home. She needs to find Vara to help bury her father. Vara, there's a, a moment where Guy is trying to sneak in, and as she sneaks in with her gun cocked, Vara's right there waiting in the kitchen. She says, "You're the one he sent to kill me." No, I'm Gaia. Fury said you could help me bury my father. So we will see the two of them in a moment start to interact, but we cut quickly to Rhodey with the president, and the president is waking up. So this is where Rhodey tries to let the president know. You must have seen the scrolls aided in that attack, but the scrolls are here and they're working with the Russians. Russians are denying this, but we've received corroborating evidence from Sonia Fallsworth and Mr. President. 
what you see on this screen is the scroll compound. Show them new scrollos. It's Russian soil. We have to neutralize this facility. England is 100% behind us. As soon as the rest of NATO sees this proof, they're going to be on board too. Believe me. So Rhodes trying to sell him on a strike. Hey, we got a strike right now. This is where the scrolls new home is. It's in Russia. The president goes immediately, Russia? Hell no. He's like, we can't have a strike on Russia. That's going to create World War yeah. Three. <laughs> yeah. And Rhodes, Rhodes like, yeah, that's the point. Uh, no shit, right? Yeah, he said, I'd rather <laughs> us face a war than an extinction, and a scroll invasion will mean extinction. We have to cut this thing off at the head. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing to remember about this scene, when Fury brought pre- the president into the hospital, and President Ritson was just been shot, We don't know what his capacity was, what he could hear, what he could understand. Fury leaned in and told him, don't trust Rhodes. Mm -hmm. Like, Rhodes a scroll. Did the president hear that? Does he know, like, at this point, that what Rhodes is telling him is bull? I wonder. Because he he might, and and that will be a big part of what happens in in episode six. And I don't want to, I don't want to do this, but we do know that the shelf life for old President Ritson isn't long uh, because Very Thunderbolt, true. Yep. Thunderbolt Ross is going to be our president in not that long. Harrison Ford has been cast yeah. to play him. So yeah. I don't know if old, uh, if our old buddy Ritson is going to make it long out of here. But that's at least something to mention that Rhodey is really pushing the uh, pushing for the attack here on Russia to try to create this big world war. But we don't really know. And we don't see what decision the president makes as they cut away. Yeah, and it really makes you wonder. That's one of the things going into the finale that has me still very intrigued. Just how they're going to wrap this up and how they're going to leave this series going into the next series. Because we know there's such big things coming up. You just mentioned Thunderbolt Ross. He's going to be president. Uh, they're they're angling for a Red Hulk story along with that, uh, which is from the comics. Um, so I, I can't wait for it. Obviously, Harrison Ford, that's a great um addition to the MCU there. He's replacing the late, great uh, William Hurt, uh, who was in a number of uh, MCU films, uh, especially early on, all the way through, I want to say, Civil War, maybe even beyond that. Um, great, great actor. Uh, but yeah, like it, it really depends on uh, whether he heard Fury or not, and what does he do with that information? Um, part of me wonders, is this going to actually lead to World War Three, where we're going to see nukes launched and like a post-apocalyptic kind of a follow-up there i mean we've got the the title new world order um that i I think allows for uh a change that massive but would the mcu go that dark i mean they, they killed half the universe but would they do something so kind of uh realistic i mean we're facing tensions with russia right now in real life and an actual nuclear threat from from russia with you know everything going on in ukraine so it's like, would they even, you know, step on that? Would they cover that sort of a, a storyline? I feel like that would be a very hot button, yeah. controversial, maybe a little too too dicey for Disney Plus storyline. But it would be very interesting to see what that would look like. I mean, uh, imagine Russia nukes the U.S. and that that's how the president gets killed. And a lot of people go go down like that. Um, they've already upended the world in such a massive way with, you know, the giant um, celestial in the ocean with obviously the blip 
everyone is aware of like alien invasion. So like this is not Earth that we recognize. This is definitely like an MCU Earth that is absolutely now looks very very battles. different. From, People have from seen real stuff. Life. They know that there are super. Yeah, like beings that are heroes. It's not like you or I walking down the street. We, we've never heard or we've never experienced. We don't know anything like this. You're right. They, you're you're becoming a little bit more. Yeah, like yeah, you're becoming more accustomed to Mm -hmm. a shape shifting scroll, right? And even like even though the news report was positive of how Mm -hmm. the scroll had like helped save the president initially, sort of was sounding that way, and and that's sort of you know. In a weird, that's kind of like a beautiful moment for Talos. You know, that's mm-hmm. what he was yeah. pushing to Gaia all along. They exactly. got to see our heart, is what he told mm-hmm. him. And and that's why Fury said he didn't lose. Uh, yep. You know, he he just chose the that the felt true. Struggle. That was yeah. one of the parts he of the did, episode that won. feels honest because it does. Like we saw that conversation, we saw Talos sacrifice, and now we see the aftermath of it. So we feel yeah. it. It was like a three part little boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. We don't, yeah, we don't, um, we, we don't get that in a lot of the other parts that we, that we're kind of complaining about or the parts that feel a little more hollow to us. Yeah. So Fury gets a call from Gravik and, uh, he's Gravik says, you like to think you're a step ahead of me. He says, I'm a, you're a jet. I need rocket fuel to stay ahead of you. Uh, that was just a funny Samuel <laughs> uh, line, you know, um, yeah. he says, I got, I got a deal for you. If you. Bring it to me in person. I'll call the whole thing off. He wants the harvest. He wants all of the DNA so he can become the most powerful super scroll. Huh. And Fury kind of acts dumb. Call what thing off? Gravik says, if I don't get what I want, your president's going to bomb new scrollos, and then war is on. And bring me some iodide pills. The reactor room can be a touch aggressive. <laughs> so a uh, quick phone call between the two of them to set up an inevitable... Face to face in the season finale yep. But Fury gets on a plane And we see our buddy Rick Mason Is mm-hmm. uh, he's He tosses Fury a widow's veil He gives him a couple of funny snide comments um, yeah. says, don't, you know, don't were, Go ahead Sorry to interrupt Those guys were not in the same room together When they were shooting this right? I, I felt that so hard when it I was watching very it very impersonal And even, mm-hmm. in, even from the way it was Like it felt like these guys are joking, and I don't know that they know each other. <laughs> right, right, like, right. We didn't get any of that. Yeah. Mason was even a, l- a little bit, like, condescending to Fury. Like, Fury gets no respect this whole season from anybody. Which is so weird, he, because is crazy. he's never been that kind of a guy. Like, you would, he was no. the type of guy that you would never, you wouldn't even, like, you'd be careful about how far you joked with him. Yeah. You know? And now and, everyone's just like throwing zingers at Nick. Hey, Nick, you're too old for this shit, right? Like it's just like a bunch of people. Like you yeah. lost the step. Everyone's telling him he's no good. He's over like, the hill. Mason practically rolls his eyes and seen out of it. It's, it's kind of wild. Uh, but uh, the the one thing I, I I found out and watching some of the um the follow up videos about this episode, I, I didn't know this, but apparently he was supposed to be. The uh, the original Taskmaster. Taskmaster. Yeah. I didn't know that. I saw That's that in the really video. Cool. I forget who 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 shared that this week. Uh, but I I thought that was a really cool piece of information. Um, it might have been emergency awesome. I, I'm not sure. I watched a few uh, recap videos this week. But um, the fact that they had reshot that apparently that they initially he was going to be the Taskmaster, and you could see the stunt man 
in a lot of those uh, scenes, and I thought this took me out of it a little bit in the movie when I was watching it, you know, in real time, was like, that's clearly a man. And then at the end of the movie, when the, the helmet comes off, it's, it's you know, Draco's daughter, whatever the guy's name is. Um, I, I, uh, I didn't like that. I don't know if a lot of people were a big fan of the Taskmaster and how it was portrayed, but I feel like, ah, dang, we missed out maybe a little bit. I would have probably preferred having a twist of Rick Mason being the ta- taskmaster. I've actually seen, forward. did you see some of the early filming when he was in the suit and, or when he was in the costume and how big, cause you know, he looked just a lot taller and right, leaner right. and it was cool. You could see there was like a different presence to it. It's, it's, it's kind of uh, ridiculous. I think that they did that, <laughs> but whatever. It must suck for him too, to have been cast in such a cool uh, role one of the most fun like exciting unique villains a villain that popped up in the spider-man game a really cool ps4 spider-man game ps5 ps4 um and uh somebody that has a really cool skill set i mean the way it was portrayed in the black widow movie i thought was pretty well done the way the, the character was mimicking the, the the fighting styles of all the avengers at the various parts uh and that's what it's supposed to do that's what the character's supposed to do but just the wind came out of the sails when they, they revealed that it was the daughter. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's, again, a lot like what we're experiencing with this series where we're talking about how the writers maybe just just wanted to do it. And regardless of how it, whether it makes sense or whether it you know feels motivated or even feels realistic. The next scene is Gaia and Vara having a funeral-like ceremony. And I actually enjoy really in all... <laughs> Like any content, I like seeing stuff like this. Um, just yeah. different cultures, how they celebrate, uh, traditions, things like that. So this was what would be a scroll ceremony. Gaia places a ring on her father's body. He's down there. Um, they've set up like a like a little area where they are going to burn the body, and mm-hmm. he's in. He's like cloaked in in white robes, and Gaia actually asks Vara. Do you know the prayer? I don't know the prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, she guy is a little bothered too because her dad was a general. She mm-hmm. says he deserves a procession of mourners. But Vara does remind her, and I I kind of felt the same. Like Talos wasn't much for pageantry. You know, yeah. he he wasn't like that. He cared more about the heart and what people care about him. And Which that makes that makes sense to me, but it also feels a little bit like that thing where you're describing where Oh, we need a one line here to explain to away. Get it, to this, explain this it thing. away. And to yeah. me, to me, the thing that they're explaining away is like, okay, we can't afford a bunch of people for this funeral scene. Why don't we, we have so many people actors. in the back of the hospital? Right? That's yeah. yeah right. Like the same, they're telling it's the us same here. kind of reason, but they're giving a, a good. Uh, you know, they're creating an in uh, in universe reason for it to to be that way. Which, yeah, like it's an it's fair, an okay it, enough it reason. Enough. Yeah, it works it, enough. Yeah, that, that's exactly what you're saying, right? It's not perfect because you're right. We still should see there be a secret underground ceremony. Yeah, right. Yeah, where people I, are I all like, they, yeah. coming to, at late at night to celebrate. Like that. That's a thing. People get yeah. in trouble, and like all the time, fugitives get caught at funerals. Sure. Like, yeah, they get true. staked yeah. out all the time because the cops know that. That someone is probably going to show back up for that moment because it does feel like a real like last chance to say goodbye to someone before their body yeah. is either cremated or buried or put down into the ground or wherever it is. Like you physically feel like you want to be there. There have been once or twice where I wasn't able to make it to like a close friend's 
funeral or a close <laughs> family and you feel it, right? You feel bad. Oh, like yeah. you truly feel like this weight of like, man, I wasn't able to be there and just be around in just that last moment. And the, so yeah, I, you we wanted to see this be bigger. At least mm-hmm. they gave us the line. But they like True. at least they gave us yep. the line and Vara recites the prayer in the scroll language while Gaia mm-hmm. burns the body. I thought about that too. Like that's not gotta be not easy, like just lighting the flame to burn your father's body. Like yeah, that. that's tough. Yeah. Uh and I, I did enjoy um the I, I kind of touched on this earlier, but the allegory of the you know, the immigration and the multi-generational immigration uh, story and how Gaia here is has lost touch with, you know, yes, her, that, that's her culture. True. And that that's, feels, that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. That feels real. So um, it's a nice touch. Gaia then says, travel well to your beyond father. And they go inside and Gaia and Vara talk. I actually... Um, this was just a like a conversation. I thought this was the one of the more like honest conversations in the episode between like kind of like what you're saying, a younger girl who has like lost touch a little bit with with mm-hmm. her culture and where they've come from, and just a, a younger girl who who just maybe doesn't understand that when you're an adult, you mm-hmm. got to make some sacrifices sometimes. You got to do things that are tough. There are a lot of decisions I'm sure you make as a dad right now where like. Mm-hmm. Damn, either decision I make, something crappy is going to happen, right? Like someone's going to be upset. Like it's just two yeah. bad decisions to pick between, right? There's not really a good choice here. Um, and sacrifice, you, that's the perfect thing you, uh, to point out here, because I think at, with age, you start to understand personal sacrifice a little bit more. Um, and you, you start to put yourself behind the needs of others. And I think that's part of growing up. So that's part Talos as a father figure in this story. You know, he was already at that at that place. But, you know, Gaia is, you know, coming of age. And so she could, can't really identify with that yet, that that she doesn't understand that type of self-sacrifice. But she's learning. This is part of that learning. And the the real the real like part that hits home for Vara is when Gaia takes a kind of a snide comment at her. You know, Vara's explaining the like the love that her and Fury have had together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she says, um, I, I wanted to stay in this home. That's what Gaia asked. She's like, people are coming to see you. Like, they're coming to kill you. Why are you still here? Well, what what do you want me to do? Vara was sort of saying, you want me to run and someone can just shoot me in the back alley of some, you know, some random place. No, at least I'm yeah. here. I'm in my home. Mm-hmm. And. And and they even talk about what Gaia said to her father, her last words. I told him he was a failure. And Vara says, yeah, I told Fury before the snap, if you keep spending <laughs> your time with aliens, you might lose the one you married. And they sort of share a laugh. I don't know, it just felt like a joke, like a real, like I don't, this felt mm-hmm. between an alien and another girl who's super powered. It just sort of felt grounded. Like conversations like this are things that I love about the MCU. And you pointed out when they can take these like out of world concepts and make it feel like two people in a room just talking. 
Yeah, and th- this scene worked for that reason. Uh, every all their interactions, there was there was there was subtext to it. There was nuance. There was tension, and yet there was still care between the characters. Um, a lot of that that scene really really works. It's just the shame that the logic of the whole thing uh, is kind of undercut by that they're just they end up just standing in front of windows and waiting. Yeah. To be interrupted by If they were just in her Twitter. panic room having this conversation right. It would have been fine <laughs> Like it, you just would have yes. felt fine about if it If they had the guns out If they already had their guns out And like were, were somewhat fortified It's a fortified position but they were in the just, Like they were completely just them like, looking at the security footage And yeah. like Vara as they're talking Vara like is finishing up her comment And it's like okay We gotta get ready here they come You know just like I a mean, moment of that Yeah Imagine, imagine in the middle of their, their their they have the security footage, and in the middle of their conversation, instead of a, being interrupted by a bullet, it's Vara seeing something in, in the corner of a screen, and then immediately going into you know everything plays out the same way, except they're not interrupted by the bullet. The whole they, just, they point... see it on the screen, and then then they take defense, and it that, it seems more badass that way. It seems like, like oh yeah, they were ready for him. Um, the whole point of her being at the for. home is to be defended right. better. Right? Like right. she can be <laughs> better defended and be in this place that she, and she's not even like paying attention. It's weird yeah. because when Gaia wa- comes in, it seems like she's waiting for someone. Uh-huh. And then, like, as soon as Gaia comes in, like her guard's just completely down. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a little, a little bit inconsistent. But we find out a little more about Vara and, and her backstory. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. bought the home hoping that it would lure Fury. She loved yeah. the home, and she said, you know, I know I needed to create this. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if he'd ever commit to calling any place home, let alone with me, but I figured if I was going to give it a fighting chance, I need to find a place that offered the three things he valued most. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of security, lots of privacy, and Gaia intervenes. Leather? <laughs> uh <laughs> No, uh, and she goes on and she talks about the lighting. And mm-hmm. I actually thought this was sort of sweet how she just mentions, like, he'd sit there by the window reading a book, letting the sun kiss mm-hmm. his skin, and I'd get lost watching him like that for hours. I wish we could have yeah. just seen a clip, right? I just wish we could have yeah. seen a clip right there of like there's like a little flash of fury kind of looking over, smiling, like reading, and her watching him again, just a little, like a little gripe. But yeah. as she's sharing this beautiful moment, Gaia, in a really like immature kid way, makes a snide yeah. remark. Right? This was like such an immature kid. Um, she said, about being uh, in her own skin. Yeah. yeah Vara mentions I'd I'd get lost watching him like that for hours, and Gaia responds, "Did he ever get lost watching you in your own skin?" And like, boom, the, mm-hmm. the energy changes, the mood changes. Vara's yeah. like, "That's none of your business." Mm-hmm. And it's again a disconnect between um, Gaia and her youth and understanding adult sacrifice. Um, because, you know, Vara, she, she, her situation is what it is, and she wants love. And she found somebody that she fell in love with, and, and she's going to make certain sacrifices to make that work. It's, an, it's a very sad one in, in its own way, but it's kind of like something that can't be changed, I think. Uh, and so uh, she's an adult about it, and she knows what's important to her and has made the decision of how she's going to live her life and has come to terms with that. 
But Gaia just can't can't get around that. She can't get over that fact of that Vara had kind of put put herself, um, you know, kind of hidden uh, at, that she that she's not completely being herself. But the reality this is, is that like the that's new not, that's not adulthood. Yeah, this yeah. is the new era of scrolls. They think mm-hmm. it should just be about being able to be in their own skin. Like that's really like their their biggest. Uh, it seems like their their biggest gripe is that they want to be able to be themselves, which you can understand. But that's it's what perfectly reasonable, yeah, perfectly reasonable, right? But but as Talos had pointed out, like this is in our home. We are yeah. guests. We are being hosted. We have to play the long game here. We have yeah. to let them see that we are good and that we're not scary, evil aliens. And mm-hmm. there's a patience that the the older generation has because they've been through it. They've seen the struggle a little bit and the newer generation. It's funny. It's kind of how like you, you see things with technology and social media. They want the instant gratification right now. Yeah. These younger yeah. scrolls like right now they want just not to have to do anymore, not to have to put in any time and effort. They just want to be themselves. And if not screw you, we're going to kill you all and take over. Right. And it's black or white to them. They don't see the yes. gray. You know, yes. you need to you need to have live a little bit to understand the grays. And for her, the, the gray is like she gets one life. She's on this planet. She found a, a human being who has a human form that she f- feels love for. The sacrifice that's in front of her, the, the choice that she can make is she can, you know, have the love and sacrifice a part of her identity. Or uh, she can have her identity and not have the love. And she's, as an adult, made that choice. Uh, and she's content with it. And she she chose love, and she chose that sacrifice. But Gaia, she she, she just can't she just can't connect those ideas together. Uh, it's too black or white. It's wrong to subvert your identity. Therefore, it is wrong to make the choice that you did. And so she needs a, to grow up a little bit to understand the the gray areas of life. And you can't always have exactly what you want. And that sometimes compromises and sacrifices are just what needs to be done. As Priscilla Vara explains, you're young, you think you know everything, but you don't know what it takes to build a life with someone else, to sustain it. And even in a simple sense, man, woman, scroll, alien, human, yeah. she's right. It's not easy. Yeah. Like it's it's hard. Right. It takes work. It takes compromise. You got to really love someone and and be willing to Forgive and be willing to compromise, and then there are days where, like, I'm just in a bad mood. You know, I mean, like it's just, yep. it's hard. Like it's hard, and you you do kind of feel it when Vara says it right here. When it comes to facing down my executioners, I'd rather meet the bastards standing right here in my happiness than to meet them running down some dark alley. Boom, gunshot. <laughs> and Vara oh, and <laughs> Gaia go running. Of course, she. They kind of go into her panic room, lots of extra yeah. ammo all over for her and Gaia. And they kick ass. Like you said, it's yeah. a real Mr. and Mrs. Smith back to back, the two of them in a nice home, kicking some ass. And it's it's just a pretty quick scene, honestly, for like yeah. the fighting for for uh via or for Gaia and for Vara. Mm-hmm. And then we did a just a quick cut to the Finnish airport, mm-hmm. and an old white man gets in line for a flight. And then that man gets off the plane and he gets into a car, gets into Sonia's car, and it's Fury with the facial yeah. disguise, with the widow's veil. Yeah. But apparently it only disguises your face, not your body. So he has <laughs> – he's, like, got gloves, gloves. leather. He yeah. doesn't know – you can't have your skin 
showing anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and he has a little conversation here with with uh, Sonia. We we see that they are 294 kilometers from the Russian border, and Fury and Sonia drive to Fury's grave, one of his graves. He has many yeah. of them uh, all over. She explains that she's now rise, rising through the ranks. She's the new head of CIS. Um, and she says that she's been working with the U.S. government. She was just talking to Rhodes. He said, last I checked, Rhodey is a scroll. She's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, that totally throws her for a loop. And, like, who isn't a scroll? And then Fury said, yeah, I thought you said I lost my touch. And yeah, she did say, who the hell isn't a scroll? <laughs> and then, and at least she's asking what we're asking. Why would Gravik mm-hmm. want to blow up his own people? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, thank you. Thank you. At least. <laughs> so he says leverage. If I don't give Gravik the harvest, Rhodey is going to incinerate the scroll compound, including all the scrolls and humans trapped inside. Russia will retaliate. The world will lose its mind. And Sonia says, yes, yes, war, but the harvest. She doesn't know what that means. He explains. And it's funny, this is basically the whole reason for the show. Like yeah, what he explains yeah. right here. Nearly yeah. every Avenger spilled blood in the Battle of Earth, even Carol Danvers. In the aftermath, some were sent in to collect the DNA, some with the ability to blend in. Nobody knew about them but me and the collectors led by Gravik. That's mm-hmm. where he got the idea for the Super Scroll machine. So when he says, so you are responsible for all of this. Yes. Why do you think I came back? And they made it seem like he came back, you know, uh, for Talos. Maybe there even was, a, a, they could have made it yeah. seem like it was for the wife, right? Like it was like, I, yep. I came back. But really, he came back because he knew he was in trouble. Like he set something up that was not yeah. going to go well. And it was, this was his fault. Like his, his yeah. plan. Which was a great plan, right? I wouldn't even have thought of that. Like, blood spilled from the Avengers on the battlefield. Yeah, like, they're going to oh. be people that try to go get that DNA. Sure, like, great plan to, for the cleanup. Makes but, great sense, yeah. I mean, think but, about it real quick. Uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead, please, yeah. I, I was just thinking it, it ties back to off stuff we've already seen before and has worked really well. You know, after the Battle of New York, uh, we had the, the alien tech, the Shatari tech was left over there. Uh, and then that is how, um, what's his name? The Vulture got, you know, Michael Keaton's Vulture got mm-hmm. his tech and some, and some additional tech uh, through that. So I like that story of like they're procuring, you know, this alien technology. In this case, it's like, you know, superhero DNA and alien DNA. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, that would be a very volatile thing that you would need to protect, and it, it makes sense. I just don't know if they presented it the right way. Like, maybe it would have been better if we knew that from the beginning. Like, if this series started off with, like, a flashback to post-Endgame. 100%. In the I think you need to see more engaging. It. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to see Gravik and a couple others shapeshift yeah. while they're out there doing the cleanup and, and doing it. And even just... A, a quick scene with Fury. He's on the radio with them. Okay, good. Make sure you get Steve Rogers, and you know, like just telling them like where to get. I agree with you. There are so many of these things of these where I don't need everything to be spoon fed to me when I'm watching shows and movies. Right? We don't need that. Like I, I, I understand like suspending your disbelief for things or stuff that happens off screen or off camera. It just felt like there was too much of this in in this series. Yeah. 
for well, a spoon feeding it. They, they're well, spoon and, feeding it to us through dialogue. Which yeah, is, and it's the like wrong the way, option. right? It's the wrong yeah. way to be spoon fed instead of watching it. They're telling us, and it's funny yeah. what I just was telling you at the beginning before we started recording. It's like mm-hmm. what the problem that I'm going with through with my son is, who's three mm-hmm. and a half. I, I tell him to do things that I've never showed him, right? right? And so sure. then I'm expecting him to tell. to do something yeah. that he's never seen. Um, yeah. and it's hard to it's hard for him to understand that. Like it's hard to become emotionally invested and to truly get mm-hmm. something if somebody just tells you and you don't and they don't show you, and you don't feel so it. True. Yep. And that's that's here we heard it and now it all makes sense. But damn. That should have been the opening scene, like the cold open so. to the series should have yeah. been watching the like in the battle, us seeing some drops of blood fall from some of them yeah. onto the floor and then how it has to be cleaned up. And then, boom, we get like the start. Even then we get like the young scroll. I, there just should have been way <laughs> better ways of doing it. I even think of like the opening scene of this year's Mandalorian, you know, like just the <laughs> way it was done with the baptism. And they were mm-hmm. sort of like there could have been something like that, right? Like where yeah. it, it and and that was why I think when this is said, we're like instead of being like, oh, I think a lot of people were like, are you effing serious? You know, like it's like why <laughs> couldn't you have just done this at the beginning and we would have felt a lot better? It was yeah. the, our our reaction. I think was more of a frustrating than it should have been. Like, oh, it makes sense. Because it was would yeah. have been way better set up from the beginning. Um, it's, it's like I feel like they withheld too much info from us. Absolutely. Like they tried to keep mysteries from it was us. Too that, cute. They were trying to be too yeah. cute all the time, like to be but, this mystery show. And it's, it's like, no, the part of the mystery shows that are are still good. Like you have mm-hmm. to either be consistent from one person's perspective throughout. Right. Right. So right. like that one person, you're staying with them and following along or so true. or like we as or on the opposite way, we on the as the audience need to know a little bit more about yeah. who is good Potential. and who is bad so we can understand mm-hmm. it. And it felt yeah. like there were just like holes, like a lot of mm-hmm. holes missing. Yeah. And not the Shia LaBeouf movie, which was a <laughs> good book that I, I read. But Fury mentions that if he doesn't give Grevick the harvest, Rhodey is going to incinerate the scroll compound and all the scrolls and humans trapped inside. Russia will retaliate, lose their mind, World War III. He goes on, he explains what happened, and so Sonya gets it. But she asks, why haven't you called any of your special friends down? Mm-hmm. And this is what everyone has asked. Right now, they are, they've arrived at the Scandinavian cemetery. And they're at the tombstone for Fury. Yeah. And he, he gives a good little a speech here to let her know why. This is personal. We can't keep depending on the superheroes to swoop in and save our asses. None of them have lived the life I have. None of them can defend the world the way that I can. The only power I have. What? <laughs> yeah. Just, make, I'm sorry to interrupt. It just doesn't make any sense. That, that line doesn't make any sense. Literally. None. Like, completely put a line right through that line. Yeah. Everything yeah. else, everything else is fine. That line makes no sense. Of course they can defend the world better than you can. Yeah. You're a human. Awesome. They have superpowers. Like, we've seen mm-hmm. them do it. You called them <laughs> for that reason. All of the other stuff about why, like, 
like your wife being a scroll and how they yeah. have shared the experiences and maybe they don't understand or maybe telling Sonia, look, I wanted to make sure I, I made a promise to Talos that we weren't just going to kill all the scrolls. I made, I've got a yeah. wife. It's one, right? That, that all is fine. What, but like, yeah. right. That one line, you're just listening to it. And it's like, well, no, no, they, they can defend the world better than you. And we've seen them do it. Otherwise it would have been yeah. Nick Fury as the Avenger. And not the Avenger. Like you, it's the Nick Fury <laughs> show. We have MC Nick Fury, right? Like it's not yes. that. It's it's the MCU. Um, exactly. And well, also why this, when there's a perfectly good alternative reason that you could have Nick Fury share, which is that no, we can't bring them in because that will that's too big of a risk. That's like you know handing over a potential nuclear weapon to our enemies right yes. there. Because if if we you know if they happen to capture one of these you know of actual Avengers with real power, that that's they just told us why the, the DNA. Yeah. They just told us why right. thirty it's seconds right earlier. There. It's literally so it's right just, there. Doesn't make sense. I, I I would even accept if you had that as the reason. Plus, just Nick Fury saying, "This is my mess. I need to clean it up." Yes. And then at least you go, okay. Well, it's his hubris. It's his like um, sense of like uh, uh, duty there, and he feels like he can't go to them. I, I'll, I'll I'll accept that, even though it doesn't really make the most sense. The stakes are high enough where it's like, yeah, break out the big guns, dude. Let's let's get this going. Let's get as this over with. He tells Sonya that his wife is a scroll. Yeah. You see it on her face. It just makes sense. She's like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I understand. There, there really didn't need to be more than that. And nah. like what you said, he just talked about how, yeah, Gravik was the DNA collector. So if mm -hmm. we get any of these other heroes down here and they're able to manipulate a way to get some of their DNA, the, the, these scrolls are going to be, become all powerful. Like, yes. boom. Now you got two reasons. You got three. I don't want to kill the scrolls because I promised Talos I wouldn't. I have a wife that's a scroll. And, oh, yeah, we can't get the Avengers. Like, it all makes sense. You got easy ones. Yeah. Not, I'm, I do more than them. Like, <laughs> that was okay. What they, what they were going for. <laughs> even, even when he, like, even after that where he says, the only power I have was planted between my ears by a single mother and wrapped around my finger by a woman who's far greater than I could ever hope to be. If that ain't enough, then I don't know what hope we have. Like, I would be okay with that. Even right. not saying the, like, none I'm of them better than the, the Avengers. I yeah, like, even yeah. saying, I'm going to do my best, and if my best isn't enough, then I, then I can live with that. Sure, right? Like, that's a, a total human way of doing it. Like, you, yeah. you take your best swing, and, like, you know that you tried, and you feel a sense of closure knowing that you at least did everything you could, and you're not going to be wondering what if. No, he just says, I could do more than you. I'm yeah. sorry, Nick. I'm sorry, Fury. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. And we're, we're, we're overthinking it, honestly, because the, the only thing that's needed is just the DNA stuff. That's, that's it. All, that's, that's so rock solid of a reason. It's like that's we it. cannot bring these guys near there. It's too risky. Like I said, Period I love that. Like that's all we need. It's like something that I hadn't thought about either, too. Like the cleanup, and it's so like it's so simple. It makes so much sense. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. there's probably DNA all over the place from all these places they were. They were they was spilled from all these different battles, and then yeah. the moment that Sonya asks why Finland, why why did you set up this tombstone in Finland? Because Priscilla and I honeymooned here, 
scrolls like the cold. And as she, it's funny because she did a fantastic job with this. Um, this was it reminds me of the the line from Friends when Joey's an acting cl- teacher in an acting class, and he talks about mm-hmm. reacting. It does not mean acting right. again. It it means <laughs> it means when someone else has a line and you can really have an important part. And he's just telling up. He talks about how like he uh, when he needs to cry, he puts a pair of tweezers down his pocket and starts plucking pubes. <laughs> it just funny. I remember out. that one. Yeah, it's such a funny scene. But the reason what makes me what reminds me of it is when Fury tells Sonya. Priscilla and I honeymooned her here Scrolls like the cold You mm-hmm. you see the moment where she hears it yeah. And the then reaction. The yeah. reaction like two seconds later Where the light bulb goes on And she's like yeah. oh yeah scrolls like the oh, Priscilla scroll that's why Oh now it makes <laughs> sense It was just that a really clicks. cool like moment Where you see it you see the wheel spinning In her head Good actor. Good Yeah actor. She is, and it's like, <laughs> wow, she she portrayed all of that with just like two seconds of look. And Fury says to her, now you understand? And she says, wait, so just let me clarify. You knew how dangerous this vial was, so you swapped its location to protect it from Gravik, and now you're going to give it to him. Exactly. <laughs> she says, well, they do say Darwin never sleeps. Let's give our extinction a nice leg up. Uh, and she'll always... go. So I guess if they write a dumb idea in the story, as long as the character talks Makes about fun how of it's it? dumb, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that, a... that's the MCU in a nutshell right now. You're that's, right. Uh, like, if we're hey, self-referential, you... we can excuse any bullshit we put on screen. You, hey Tim, you can't talk shit about me, but I can't. Like, <laughs> like no, I will tell all of right. you out there. If any one of you say a bad word about Tim Kelly, you're gonna hear from me. <laughs> but I can pile on TK because he's my mm-hmm. guy. He's my guy. And, uh, exactly. That's uh, that's what we're what we're dealing with here. As yeah. we see the the final scene, it's the Fury suit up scene. It's <laughs> it's Fury getting in his costume. He uh, he goes into a hiding place for the Fury suit. He puts on the jacket, the cap. He gets his weapons and the eye patch, and he makes a phone call. And he says, "It's time. Let's finish this." So the, the big question everyone was asking. Who obviously did he call? Let me throw some people out <laughs> yeah. there for you. Mm-hmm. Did he call Gaia, who we just saw him talking to? Did he call mm-hmm. Grevik, mm-hmm. who we just saw him talking to, getting ready uh-huh. to set up the meeting? Did he call mm-hmm. either a Talos or a Maria Hill? Or one of them alive, not dead? Is he calling them? So. Or is yeah. it an Avengers call? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like those are the those are all the options. I think you covered every yes. single option that it me could too. be. Uh, I'm leaning towards Maria Hill. That I was think the so big. Too. Twist. It happened in the first episode. Uh, they just didn't give her enough. I feel like they're gonna pay that off in this episode. Usually, when they kill a character proper, um, and it's a character that we've been invested in for a little bit, they give them a send off. One thing I'll I'll notice if it's like the season finale or if it's a big episode on a TV show, and there's a character, and all of a sudden this character has kind of like a big like resolution to their arc or a very big moment, like a moment of heroism. I'm going, oh, shit. next episode, they're done. Or yeah. like later in that the episode. end of the episode. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that happened with with Talos, right? Like we saw his arc. They, they reestablished what he wanted in the episode that he died, like about how he wanted to show the humans that were our hearts, essentially, and that we're good. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, he, sacri- he sacrifices himself and that comes full circle. Right. Uh, Maria had none of that. There was nothing. It was just completely 
you know, she's and, there for a little bit and then she's dead. We didn't even uh, get it retcon either, right? Like sometimes yeah. you'll see it where the person will die and then following that, the next couple episodes, you'll get flashbacks. Right, right, right. right. You'll get to see some, like, you'll get to see the moments that you mentioned, but just after right. the fact, not before the fact, right? You'll see the so good true. things Maria did. We didn't get any of that. It was like, oh, bye, Maria. You're out. And that right. was it. Which is a tell that they're probably bringing her back. That's not yeah. going to stick. They wouldn't yes. do the character dirty like that. A different type of show, like The Wire. The Wire is a great example of a show where they'll they'll just kill somebody or Game sure. of Thrones, like yeah, without any resolution. With that, and then it, that keeps the stakes feeling so high and so, um, like cruelly random and and realistic in that way. In the way that life can be just cruel and random, um, and that makes it feel real. Uh, this is definitely not that type of a show. This is a, no. a kind of a tropey, um, you know, classically framed story, a TV uh, story, um. I would love to see it be a little bit more Game of Thronesy and a little bit more, you know, if they. But I just don't feel that that's what they're going for here, and so I. And because of that, I think that Maria Hill probably will come back. Um, but some of those other options that you mentioned, you know, they're a possibility. I gotta say though, that scene made me gag. Like that was the shooting up scene. I know. I've that... never. I, I. I. That. Honestly, I. I lost like self-respect for myself for watching that i'm like what am i this feels like the most power rangers shit i've ever like what am i i literally was like questioning like should i even be watching this stuff as like an almost 40 year old guy right now because it was this batman like putting on the suit and i get it like what but he doesn't even have a suit that's the problem he doesn't even have a suit if he had a suit i'd be fine with it it's not it's just a jacket it's a jacket and a beanie like he's got it. I've got that hanging on my on my door right here. It was so cheesy, and then and then it could only the cherry on top was that he goes, "It's time, let's finish this." Like that is a placeholder line if I've ever heard one. That is the most cliche line ever. I get that you want to end the episode with that. You know, it's the penultimate. We're going to the finale. That's got that energy to bring it into the finale. But that is the most generic TV piece of dialogue i have seen in a long time like it was just beyond the pale for that type of, uh, of cheese we had a start that was kind of mixed with the first three episodes <laughs> where we went over them um, there were some positives there were some negatives i think we felt yeah. like getting towards the third things were improving really good coming off of four and then five probably like lackluster I'm curious how it would have been If we would have been doing weeks one, two, three Sort of individually If we would have felt that same way In the middle of any of those um, yeah. Versus now yeah. And then and then even like next week If Will we feel maybe a little better About some things in five After they put a bow on it with six Or the opposite Or do we feel like Dang, it could have been a lot better If they would have just done One or two small things here and there I'm yeah. super intrigued Still with like the questions we asked about Me too um, <laughs> It's not like I'm, I want to turn it off And I'm completely done uh-huh. I just, the energy Like I felt like we were really moving well Up like up the roller coaster And getting ready for like the big You know, and then it was just like kind of flat And that, yeah. there's still does, There's a lot of dot, Like T's to cross and I's to dot mm-hmm. in, the, in the last week and, and sometimes they've given themselves too much So, um mm-hmm. I'm completely mixed feelings heading into the final episode, TK. Like conflicted, um, like positive stuff I like from this series. And like we said, 
I'll think of Sonya. I'll think of some really cool scenes and interactions. But at the, I, I'm I'm kind of back to where I was after episodes one through three, feeling like yeah. maybe the timing of it was off. Maybe it needed to be a couple years before. Yeah. Maybe it would have been better either like much shorter or much longer. Yeah, the structure exactly right. It should be a movie or it should be a longer series where it has some more time to breathe and open up into some of these you know subplots. Uh, provide a little bit more motivation, some 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 scenes to kind of uh, take you, you know, I feel like they jump from like A to Z, whereas like we've missed, you know, B through Y. Yes, <laughs> like there's, there's absolutely. No, the, the whole alphabet we've just kind of skipped and over because you knew that you wanted to show. start at A and get to Z. They've done it mm-hmm. in a lot of the show with the characters, yeah. with like scenes, with bits of information. That felt like the whole first three episodes for Gaia. Like we had mm-hmm. no feel for who she was, what was going on in her life, and now we know better. But mm-hmm. kind of just inconsistent overall. Let's hope they we put a. Get, yeah, we don't get the lived-in stuff. Sorry to no, interrupt, but we no, don't get the lived-in right. stuff. We go, we go from turning point to turning point, which to me I think that's what makes it feel so. Um, everything feels so unmotivated and so unearned. It's like we want the 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 plot to move here. And so it just happens, but we don't get the stuff that happens in the middle of like, okay, we, we established new scrollos. Let's live in new scrollos for a minute. Let's see how that society works a little bit. Let's see what they're doing on their day to day. Let's, let's get to know some of the characters and their, their nuances and we'll get a little bit of characterization, you know, in between the big plot points so that we actually care about some of these people so that then when they do things, to kind of upend their situation when they have the revolts, when they get killed off, we care even a little bit because it feels like right now it just happens and it's flat. Uh, and then there are certain things that, you know, are carrying our, our investment toward the end. You know, I want to know what's happening with Rody. Like what does that scroll get found out? I want to know, does the president survive? Does the nuclear apocalypse happen? You know, these are, you know, important things. I want some resolution here. Uh, I want some answers. And so I'm going to watch this final episode, but they just fumbled the the they fumbled the ball so many times throughout the story where it just they're they're um, undermining their credibility and they're undermining any tension that they build with kind of superfluous uh, junk and and unmotivated action. What you'll get here is you'll get <laughs> us talking about episodes that we like positives. And us talking about episodes that we don't like for some of yep. the negatives. And that's sort of kind of been the roller coaster that we've been on with this series where good to take out of the first three, but overall maybe wanted a little bit more. Really felt good coming off of episode four, five, not as much, but heading into the the season finale with still an open mind, hoping that they can knock yep. it out of the park. And if they don't, we'll be here to talk about it. If they do, we'll be here to praise mm-hmm. them for it with Tim Kelly. Anything else uh, to mention before we put a bow on this one, buddy? Uh, you know, I, I think that's about it. I mean, I'm looking forward to what, what's coming up next. Uh, but I just, uh, again, to continue that narrative of that the, the MCU, I think, has just been stretched too thin. We're, we're, we're still feeling that, mm-hmm. the effects of that. Uh, phase four, is it, are we in phase five now? I don't even know. Uh, yeah. But it's like there's just too much going on they, they and we haven't gotten out of that i know they've changed courses and bob Iger and the people at the at the top have made some decisions or, or statements that we're going to kind of back off we're going to focus on quality over quantity 
Bob Iger specifically uh, just made some kind of statement where he said something to the tune of like, we sacrificed a little bit of our uh, credibility by pushing a lot of streaming and we weren't previously in TV before. Uh, and uh, we kind of lost something w- with that, with that venture in, into TV. And I saw on Twitter, Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson, and you know, was in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series and for like seven years. Uh, he was like, what, really? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> you're just, yeah. just going to erase like my show and everything. But to that, to that point, kind of, it got me thinking, this series, Secret Invasion, is about the level of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It doesn't get past that. It's the same like production quality. It's about the same level of quality that you were getting in that series, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has a much smaller budget, did, I think, 22 episodes per year. I just have much higher expectations for a series that's six episodes with the best cast that Marvel has ever put together uh, and is a continuation of, of you know, the, she- the, 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 the stories. stories, the spy stuff, the stuff that Marvel has done so well in the past with, like, Winter Soldier and some of their best films have kind of focused on that aspect of the MCU. And I just feel like they're they're fumbling it on this. It should be so much better than what it is. We will finish up Secret Invasion. We'll see where they go because we know that this will lead directly into The Marvels, which is a movie that's going to come out in November, which will have Carol Danvers and Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau in there. So I'm imagining at the very least we'll get like a pretty important post credit scene at the end of episode six to you know, mm-hmm. really set us up for where we're going moving forward. And uh, Tim Kelly and I will be here with you. In the last couple of weeks, we've been able to do the recaps and reactions a little quicker, a little, a little yeah. more instant. And I think it's a, sometimes it's a little nicer when we just watched it and it's and it's fresh and it's right after. Yeah. As uh, we have one more to go with Secret Invasion episode six, we'll put a bow on the season series next week. Tim Kelly joins me to finish up Secret Invasion. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. Tim is not funny. You can check out all the great music. Projects that they've uh, they've had there with him and his wife, TK buddy. Enjoy time with the kids on paternity leave. The crazy madness of having multiple kids in the house. Like we said, it's Jeez. it's a beautiful <laughs> chaos, right? It's like yeah, you love it, but it's it. just at the same time at the end of the day when you sit down and kick your feet up, it's just a yeah. <sighs> one of those, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, beautiful chaos. That's a great way to put it. I'm going to share that with my wife right now. <laughs> Tim Kelly will be back here with us anytime there's uh, anything going on in the world of Star Wars or the MCU. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with Secret Invasion. To Kubaloo, Chad Cooper for talking wrestling with us. And Eric helping us out with the AFC previews. We talked about the South this week. Now, anything you need in the world of horse racing, if you want some help with Del Mar opening day Friday, we've got you covered. On Twitter or on YouTube, it's me, Gino B. We've got you covered for Saturday Woodbine. We've got you covered for Saturday Monmouth. Those are already out. Those are already posted. We'll have Del Mar for Saturday as well. Give me a follow. It's me, Gino B. And then starting next week, the horse racing will always be on this episode and just on the podcast as well. We were just full. We were maxed out. We couldn't fit anything more on this particular episode. Hope you all have a great weekend.
Faria 